Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I think you know I'm in a mood. I, yes. I've been in a mood, but I'm not going to let it affect the podcast, especially since today we're tackling a topic that, that you and I, and you particularly, yes. have wanted to get into for a long time. And then serendipitously, mm-hmm. one of, if not our favorite guest. Oh, hang on. Um, what? Okay. <laughs> uh, Stop right there. Emailed us, or or maybe texted. In some way, got got a hold of us and said, "Hey, do you guys want to talk about this thing?" And we were like, "Do we? It's <laughs> it's literally something we have talked about talking about for a long time." It took this guest to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah why did we put it off for so long? And we were waiting for, for, me. for the right guest. Me. But let's yeah. let's hold off on introducing Don't, the guest. Shh, no one knows. Hold no off on it. Uh, yeah. Because we want to actually get through a couple things before we uh, no. open up the floor. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, tweakedaudio.com because um, that's the place where you go to get uh, professional level earbuds mm-hmm. at an affordable price. And if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, P-R-E-T-E-N-S-I-O-N, mm-hmm. uh, you get one third off and free shipping. Uh, they got a variety of styles and colors. They're great earbuds. That's at tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. I also want to mention last week, Here's what I did last week. Okay. We got something in the mail, as you'll recall. You'll recall. Uh, yes. And um, it was a CD, a, guy, uh, a listener's uh, project. And I I don't know if this was intentional to be like it was like a subconscious thing. I didn't listen to it before we talked about it. So that mm-hmm. way I could say thanks for the CD and not have to give an opinion on it. Right. I've since listened to it. It's very good. I have not listened to it yet. I'm sorry. Y- you're missing out. Yeah. So people, um, check out A Horse and His Boy. The album is called This Pilgrim Way. Uh, I really like it. Okay. So it, it's it's sort of, uh, it's got like a country-ish, like it reminds me of like a Rodney Kroll or a Bruce Robeson. I don't know if you know Oh, those guys. I hate that Robeson son of a um, bitch. Definitely Rodney Kroll I, I thought of, but a little maybe less populist, maybe a little more, uh, I don't know. Elitist. No, just with a, with a bigger scope. Oh, maybe. okay. I'm, uh, really, really enjoying it. So that's uh, a, a Horse and His Boy. Okay. The album's called This Pilgrim Way. Um, so yeah, uh, if you send us something, uh, we will talk about it before we have listened to it or watched it. And if we never talk about it again, it, yeah. it, no, it, it probably just means it's, uh, you know, fine. It's just that I happen to be listening to a horse and his boy on the drive over. It's in my head. I still haven't watched time. sleep debt. They were nice. Our, our old sponsor oh. was nice enough to send me a copy and I still yeah, haven't watched it. I still haven't either, but sorry, everybody that I don't like. We have. You and I have so much stuff that we have to watch now because of the true. website and whatnot that, like, I pretty much only watch stuff that I, like, have to watch. Yeah. You guys making money off this stuff? No. No. Nah, nah. I mean, nah. It, it, it pretty much pays for itself at this point, but that's yeah, that's as far as You're getting goes. free things. Yeah, we yeah, get, there is we get some free stuff. Yeah. yeah. I got to... No, I can't. Okay. I <laughs> got to it? go... I won't say what. I got to go to... Uh, uh, a back lot this week, which is not uh, a rare thing anymore. I get to go to certain lots right. to see screenings. Uh, I won't say what's, which one this one is because I don't want to get in trouble if I did something wrong. But basically, they had moved the screening to a different theater on the lot, so I was supposed to go in a different entrance, and I had not read that part of the email, so I went into the entrance I thought I was supposed to go into. And it turned out the reason they moved it is because they were having some sort of party or reception type thing. So I come up out of the elevators, and there's like a whole spread and an open bar and I'm half an hour early oh, <laughs> so I just nice. kind of hung out and like ate some cheese and crackers and had a beer and then I walked over to the theater I was supposed to go to uh, so yeah that sort of stuff pops up and that makes it worth it even though we're not making any money off the site yeah 
All right. You get to get sloshed and no one and have no one notice or have people stare at you going, who's that one guy? <laughs> yeah. And that makes it all work. Well, well it helps that I tend like, to wear like a, a jacket and tie everywhere. Yeah. You know, I don't know I'm in a polo shirt tonight, but it, like it helps me like people don't question as much. If you're standing around in a jacket and tie, you look like you're supposed to be there. Right. And hey, you right. can always play that critic card, you know, and just be like, they're like, what are you doing? He's like, hey, I'm Press. assuming you're drunk at this point. Because uh, <laughs> hey, I've had half Heineken, yeah. so I'm... Yeah. I could Three make or break this movie. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. Uh, all right. Um, something you wanted to talk about. I sure do. Uh-huh. I guess. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, More Than One Lesson, my other podcast, was uh, recently nominated for its fourth podcast award. Fourth consecutive. Fourth consecutive. Ever since it, my other podcast has existed, it's been nominated for a podcast award. Uh, we've never won, and I'm pretty sure we never will. But it's not for lack of trying, because at this point, uh, it's time to mobilize my listeners. But, of course, I don't have a lot of listeners over there. So, hey, you guys, yeah, help me out. And between now and uh, November 15th, head on over to podcastawards.com. And in the religion inspiration category, you'll see more than one lesson. Click on that. Scroll to the bottom. It'll ask for your email address. They'll only send you like a thing to click on for confirmation. You can do this once a day if you want. But frankly, if everybody just did it once, I'd be fine with that. Well, look, we always say it doesn't matter who you vote for as long as you vote. Well, no, I want them to vote for me. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize this was a partisan plea. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm Tyler Smith, and I approved this message. <laughs> so I haven't approved anything that's happened on this podcast for the past five and a half years. I can't say as I blame you. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, a, a vote for more than one lesson is a vote for Battleship Pretension, since uh, we were nominated once. and Last year. Last year we were nominated, and maybe it's the fact that we never took it seriously and every time we talked about the podcast awards we made fun of them oh i i still make fun of them for example if you go okay all right they're not listening to this uh-huh. they don't care uh, like the the people that wait well, before they, you go on i have a question okay what do you get if you get a podcast you award? get a pretty good looking trophy and uh you get uh, this some other prize i don't recall what it is and and i think maybe if, a couple it, listeners that's it oh uh what I what I've in the past gotten from a nomination mm-hmm. is uh, sort of a, a a relationship with other podcasts. Uh-huh. Um, like for example, uh, the first year I was nom- nominated alongside a number of uh, atheist podcasts, uh-huh. and then one of them took it upon themselves to uh, review all of the shows they were nominated alongside. And as it turns out, they uh, reviewed every single one of them unfavorably. And uh, <laughs> that's and, what uh, atheists are like. I don't mean to say, hey, including some of the, like, there were four atheist podcasts nominated that year, and they found those ones wanting oh, as well. We don't, we don't like each other. Okay. One bit. All right. Well, that's, that's not my place to say, but if you want to say it, then I will agree wholeheartedly. But, um, and uh, they really tore into me, and it was really off-putting. And then the next year, we were, not, we were both nominated again, and so this time they decided to invite me on the show. And uh, after several phone conversations, I, uh, I went on, and it was a very nice discussion. I got, a lot, I got some listeners from their show. No one locked horns on the show. Not on the show, no. No. But, uh, but the horn locking went, ha- happened prior, and then it was all civil when you went on the show. Well, no, there were no horn. No, no. Last time, they were just beating up on me because I wasn't there. Right. But, uh, but that's all right. This, this year, uh, it's interesting. There are two separate, they have nothing to do with each other, two separate podcasts that are Christian dealing with science fiction 
Wow. Yeah. So I feel like I'm gonna. I, I feel like I'm actually gonna reach out to those guys and say that's like, really hey, cool. I feel yeah. like we're kind of have a similar sensibility and that sort yeah. of thing. So, so yeah, it's uh, so good things do happen from this. But uh, and I just want that trophy because it's a good looking trophy. Right. Great. So, okay. And you're a hoarder, and Look. it's just extra crap to sit around. Yeah, kind of cluttered apartment that I'm sitting in. Well, my Riddler shelf is, uh, yeah. you know, it's all it's full, so I got to start collecting other things. It bowed under the weight of <laughs> bowler hats. Uh, all right. Well, look, we've gotten the like intro thing out of the way in record time. It's, it's we know we're going to spend a long time on this topic, so uh, let's get into it, shall we? I want to introduce our guest, whom if you haven't recognized his voice uh, from his previous appearances or from his appearances on 30 Rock. Or his more low-key tone tonight. <laughs> uh, what, what else? What else? 30, uh, Eagleheart, what, what else am I missing? Whatever you, you know, whatever. They can look it up if they want right. to dig. They can, they can dig if they it's, want. It's, it's Josh Fadum. Thank you. Being here. Thank you for, for having me. No and problem. also being here, because I was so not here just alone and Tyler's apartment. Yeah, that'd be weird. weird. That'd yeah. be a little strange. Um, uh, can I also say, in my may give myself a little intro. I am very happy to be here again. I'm very happy to be doing this topic with you because it's ex- an exciting uh, topic to me, as I think it is to you guys, and I think it's about you know the same the formative years of uh, movie watching that we probably yeah, all share. We're all about the same age. Actually, yeah, I don't know how old you. I'm are. 32. 30. I'm. You're 31. I'm, I'm 30. No, I'm just yeah. 30. Oh, you're just okay. But you'll be 31 before I will be. Yes, I'm re- class of 99. I don't know if you guys are 99. 2000. 2000. Right. Okay. So right. we would have hung out. Yeah. But uh, and then the other thing is just like you know, just that that. Uh, I've been doing a bunch of podcasts. Uh, we just got cut off, but now we're back on. So sorry for that abrupt jump. But I just to finish my thought, I was saying I'm glad to be back here, which I consider my guest podcast home. As that's what we consider consider it as well. Absolutely. Thanks, thank you for welcoming me home again. <laughs> there we go. I mean, you've yes. been. I'm sure I haven't done the count. You have to have been on more than any of the guests. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I should hope so. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, At yes. least a couple times a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah Since '08. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have anybody else back uh, that back that often. No. We. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about. I'm sure we've talked about the story of how you came to be on the show, which was that someone pulled out. I don't remember who. I don't remember. Some um, ding dong. Was it Graham Elwood? Uh, I don't remember who it was. Nice guy. But all I know is that Zaljanon gave us a bunch of phone numbers, and that's how we yeah. ended up. Uh, like Josh, you came essentially that day. Yeah, and then also uh, I think Stephen Reedy was also yep. that that same. Has day. he been back? He has no, not been he back. Hasn't. He's, a, he's a busy guy, but we should we should get. What's funny is over. I think uh, here's how out of touch I was, and and still about am. I think I didn't even know what a podcast was. <laughs> you said want to come to this podcast? I said, well, you know, what is that? Said, we just talk. I just come and talk. I don't need to prepare anything. Yeah. I don't need anything. Even now, I've, I'm just like, should I get my own podcast? Should I get a Tumblr? <laughs> Do you have a Tumblr? No. Are you I don't have anything. I have, a, I have Twitter and Facebook. You were showing me... So you're not on Instagram? No. You were showing me some very cute pictures of your dog that would be a hit on Instagram. I, now, what can I get out of that? Just lots of taps? I know that they do tapping on there. But I get a lot of taps and likes... I think you you tap to like. So I, I get a lot tap of tap likes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not faucet likes. So right. <laughs> now, when you say, "What do you get out of that?" and and earlier, you were talking I get about fame what, and fortune out of that. 
Well, probably not fortune, but uh, you know, you could get more fame. Like, what, what is it? Why do you have to, Why do you feel the need to monetize everything? You know, can't well, you because just- this is stuff is work for me. You know, I mean, I could be sitting down, just not doing anything in a pleasurable way, uh, and then it's like, oh, I got to show everybody my dog. Sorry, I got to show everybody my my dog that I that's not in front of me. Like uh-huh. when you're sitting right here, I'm like, want to see this picture of my dog? <laughs> but if I'm at home, I'm like. I want people to show my dog to, but no one's here. (laughs) And then I also, but I also don't want to talk to them much longer. I just want them to like my dog. Uh I guess I should get on Instagram because then I won't have to look at them or talk to them, but I will get the satisfaction of them liking the picture of my dog. And they'll say, what a cute dog. I find Twitter and Instagram good for exactly that. Like things that I want to share with people when I'm watching a movie or a TV show at home at one o'clock in the morning when no one else is up and I've got no one to talk to and I have something to say about the shirt that Sam Malone is wearing <laughs> on Cheers and then I'll just Instagram a picture of it and, and say a thing. Where can I get this shirt? <laughs> yeah. I, I do that, wind that up. Was Mervin's. I do. Oh, Mervin's. Oh, well. I do wind up uh, tweeting a lot of photos of Charlie because uh-huh. he just sleeps so funny. Right, and he likes yeah. getting in cubbies. Like, a, like if there's an empty empty laundry basket around, he will no. be in it. You guys- now, do you tweet it at more lessons? Yes. Uh, and so, are there is at more lessons? It's just all around Tyler Smith. Yeah, it's Twitter. A, it's, I mean, it's, isn't there it's, someone it's who's official. like, I specifically want the podcast. I don't want this cat stuff. Uh, it's it's you both at this point. That. You know, the pretension at the pretension is David's thing, but it's also Which, ours. Yeah, at the pretension started as just the official thing for Battleship Pretension and then I started I was like running it and I started like injecting my personality into it and then it sort of became me right because yeah. I don't stand by really anything that you <laughs> that you tweet including the blog posts um, but, but if you uh, said now I, I have a BP thought uh, David will you tweet that would you say that to him? No, I will tweet I, it myself and then I and then you, you, I would retweet it yeah. uh, I got it I got you yeah I got you um, all right, so uh, and now, and now that uh, Josh, because that's the thing, for a long time, more than one lesson was hosted just by myself, but now I have a co-host, my friend Josh Long, and he also has a Twitter, but it's in no way because he's the co-host, and this is still more than one lesson with Tyler Smith and no one else. Uh-huh. I shortened it to just with Tyler Smith, but um, <laughs> then he's uh, like your sidekick. He's more. Si- he's like, he's your tried, Ed McMahon. We he's tried to co-host. avoid sidekick, and yet that is exactly what he is. You <laughs> throw to him every night if you wanted to have a back and forth, but it's mate. You're driving the ship. Yeah. He's like, yeah, exactly. And yes. he wouldn't be offended by me saying that. Probably, I don't think so. Hope. Yeah. All right, you guys. No. We've let our. We've let the the. Uh, we're just the, getting the recording down. cutting out get us off topic. We were we were really streamlined early on. I want to get okay, back. We're to ready that. to go. Let's get streamlined. Let's get uh, back to business. The, the, here, here's the topic: is I, I, I don't know why I'm like teasing it. You you know it's the name of the episode or, or what what have you. Um, but Josh got a hold of us and said, "Would you guys want to do an episode about the year 1999 in film?" Uh, which I think is pretty. Uh, Roundly considered one of the greatest film years. This isn't just like something that you and I are onto, or the three of right. us are onto. But sometimes I bring it up, and I, I bring it up, and people go, "Oh, was it?" And they go, okay. "Yeah, dummy." Here's, here's what it is. Okay, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because I I am of the opinion that it is the best movie year ever. Here's why. Of course, forty one pretty big deal. Seventy five a pretty big deal. Like a lot of the seventies years are pretty big. Yeah, deal. I wouldn't know if seventy five is. The other, you you well, could go through every 70s years and be like, I'm that one, that one. In terms of like, you know, movies that changed film and also just great movies that came out. And that Are you talking about thing. the China Syndrome? That's what I'm talking about, yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. that 75? I don't know. Maybe. 77? That, 79? I think you're talking about 79. the Nickel Ray? It might be 79. 79. I, I am, I, I'm not a fan of the China Syndrome. I think it's I know really, you're not. really it's, corny. 
It's it's corny as hell, but it's was that kind of, a joke because the China Syndrome didn't change film, or was you you really guys well? Think it I did mean, change hey, film? look around you, no nuclear power. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm not a fan of that movie. I at like all. Wilford Brimley. someday but we're going to do a profile on him. I, I love the joke in uh, Wet Hot American Summer, <laughs> where like the kids in Bunk Thirteen want to watch the China Syndrome again. <laughs> again, they love it. Yeah, I, that is a good joke. Um, but yeah, it's so I've been saying for a long time, '99 is the best year, and then people immediately. They say, like, well, you're probably saying that because you were 17. Which is something we you, want to get into here. Right. You were 17. You had just, within within a couple of years, like, probably around 14, 15 is when I started taking movies, like, really seriously. But, like, you're 17, senior in high school. It's a change. It's a formative time in your life. So it's probably that. And then I respond with a list of movies off the top of my head that uh, came out in 99. And it's interesting to watch their face. I can't, obviously, it's an audio podcast, so I can't demonstrate. But eventually, with each one I say, they're like, huh, yeah. And then I get to, like, around 15, 20, and they're just like, wow, yeah. Yeah. And so it's a year that in some ways changed some filmmaking, but also just, like, some of the best movies you've ever seen came out that year. But then also, it's this weird mixture of, like, old pros turning out pretty good work in some cases, great work. And then new directors announcing themselves. Yeah. It's I, this very strange... But I, I think... Comes I, together. I, go ahead. I, for, like, years... A few years after 1999, I had convinced myself that it was... Because I'm always skeptical about my own opinions. So right. I had convinced myself that it was just because of these things, you know, because of where I was in my life. And also, a big deal is that, like, 1999 was the first year I, like, had a car and a license. Absolutely. And so I was going to the movies twice a week, Mm -hmm. uh, really, uh, at least, um, when before I was dependent on other people going to the movies because I needed a ride. Um, uh, But, yeah, the further you get from it, the more you realize that, like, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty much singular uh, i knew it was an exciting year when it was happening um um and uh and and in the years following but maybe that's because i was 19 and, and 18 and 19 and 99 so i was so much more mature yeah, you guys were, well, you I was were much more well-rounded than you but but i knew i mean i was also pretty in the film but i was really like my nerddom and and obsessiveness was sort of like really coming in to play you know where i was like oh this guy oh that guy oh i gotta see all his movies oh this guy's back you know but um and then and the years fall i mean 2000 if you look at 2000 it's shit there's not that many good movies came out there's a there's a handful the big ones are like the contender with with Joan Allen, I hate that movie. Yeah, yeah, well, that was like a big event movie. I remember. What, like, no, who talks about the Contender now? The, the trailer is, by the way, I talk Gary about it a lot as uh, really? a movie I hate. Oh, <laughs> with what? With you like the part where Gary Oldman goes in the trailer? He goes, uh, "Deviant sex." I do. And he's smacking food. <laughs> she, she was having deviant sex. Says who? I do. <laughs> it was a scathing attack on the yeah. Kenneth Star. Because yeah. I'm going to have a great big microphone in front of me. <laughs> So, um, and I, I think his performance is okay. The performances are fine in service of, uh, you know, whatever. This is not what we're talking Sorry, about. Let's yeah. go back. Let's go back. We're still, yeah. oh, but the other thing I want to say, yeah, and just in line with what you were saying about the, the old guys and the new guys, but it's also kind of like a comeback year period for a lot of people. And it's like, and, and there were like big art films and big blockbusters. And yeah, it was just yeah. like, and kind of big comedies or just like interesting comedies or people working together. It's just an interesting time for everyone in different eras all coming together. Uh, yeah, and I think in thinking about it, I, I often think about um, the 
uh, strong work by established directors, like, say, a Bringing Out the Dead, uh, or, you know, um, what you were saying, new voices, such as uh, being John Malkovich or The Blair Witch Project. Um, but in looking at the list today, realizing that it was, uh, there, were, there were these great blockbusters like South Park, mm-hmm. the, the South Park movie, and uh, probably some others. Matrix. Uh, uh, the Matrix, uh, yes. Phantom Menace. Um, I'm not a fan of Phantom Menace. Right, obviously. But, That's another um, thing I feel like we should talk about that we're going to cover, is that there are a lot of movies that were gen- you generally were very excited about, and then they didn't necessarily work but out. Yeah, there were milestone movies. Like, think about, like, there was a, there, it's weird to think now, uh, even though this happened in our, I would say, our adulthood. But, like, there was a time when Star Wars meant those three movies from 77 to 83. Like, that's what Star Wars yeah. was. And, uh, was mis- and a misguided uh, Christmas special. But, like, the, uh, but now Star and Wars means so the, much more. The special edition, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, or one could say so much less. But I remember uh, that was a big deal. It you- was a huge deal. Like, we were all, it's like, holy shit, like, there's another... There's another Star Wars movie coming out from the guy that made the first one. Well, oh, like it was a huge deal, and I think it made. I think that's number one at the box office. That it year, is. Right? Yeah, I have okay. a list here. And did so, it beat the Matrix? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It crushed the fucking Matrix. But uh, what I was saying, is, is, yeah, it's in addition to these sort of like, I guess, end of the year type of Oscar-y or like awardsy movies. There's the yeah the blockbusters. There's also great comedies like Dick. Um, great, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Iron Giant, maybe my favorite, uh, yeah. one of my, at least one of my favorite kids' films or animated like children's films of all time. That uh, I should make that list. It was a bad Office Space came out that year. Name, yeah. all right, um, it was a good year for animation, just in general. Yeah, Toy uh, Story two, Toy Story two, South yeah. Park, Iron South Park. Iron Giant. Um, but also something I hadn't considered. At the time, maybe because so many of these movies we didn't get until the, a year or two later. I didn't see them until a year or two later. Great foreign movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, All About My Mother uh, mm-hmm. came out that year. Um, Beau Travail, which I know I'm not saying with the proper accent. Apparently, I didn't. Year. I wasn't. I wasn't on top of it at the time. But My Best Fiend came out that year. The Hurt Oh, really? Movie. Uh, yeah, I never. I still haven't seen that actually. And oh, that's great. I, I've not seen the film. But, oh, Girl uh, on the Bridge by Patrice Leconte, oh, right, a yes. director you and I very much like. Uh, audition. Which I actually have never I seen. Haven't we're seen getting through the stuff we don't care that much about. But oh, no, we're, saying, we're, saying, we're getting through that stuff first. To I, no, I, I mean, I, I do like all this stuff. But yeah, I, yeah, and there was also like there was there was even just the movies. I, I want to talk about the movies that were not good. Well, we'll just rattle off some of the big ones yeah, that, that came by, out. Just by like category. We'll just shout. Well, we'll just rattle them off, and then we'll let's get more organized. We'll okay. say like. For those who are like, well, what came out that year? We had like Fight Club, Magnolia, Talented Mr. Ripley, Three Kings, Election, Being John Malkovich, Straight Story, Eyes Wide Shut, Summer of Sam, Rush, Rushmore. Well, Rushmore's 98, technically, but mm-hmm. Midwest, I'm Tulsa, didn't get it till 99. Um, Julian Donkey Boy, The Insider. Things like, um, things like Thin Red Line, Hillary and Jackie, and Affliction didn't really open wider until early 99. Right, right. So you can kind of say there's something in the air. Right, right. Um, Bringing Out the Dead, Sixth Sense, Ghost Dog. The Limey. The Limey. Um, South Park. By the way, can I quickly run down the list, the top ten grocers of the year? Yeah. Sure. Uh, one to ten. Phantom Menace, The Sixth Sense, Toy Story 2, The Matrix, Tarzan, The Mummy, Notting Hill, The World Is Not Enough, American Beauty, and Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged. Wow. I didn't see a couple of those. I didn't see World Is Not Enough because some of my friends went to see it without me. 
I didn't see Tarzan. That's the only one on this list I haven't seen, actually. Uh, what else was there? There was something else. Six and Toy Story yeah. 2. I the saw, Mummy? I didn't I saw, see The Mummy. I saw The Mummy. You know Friends what? The Mummy without me. is fun. It's fun. It's, it's not a, a, I, I, enjoy, I find that movie to be fun. It's an Indiana Jones type movie. It's not a, it's not a horror movie. I think that was, that's kind of the cra- That's like the dawn of, like, for me, over over-reliance on CG. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say Phantom Menace is that. But right. But this guy I was Steven's- actually a big Phantom Menace defender for years before really? I'm like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy, Stephen Summers, who made The Mummy, would go on to make Van Helsing, which is... Probably one of the ten one, worst movies of that. One decade. of the only movies I've ever coaster. described as uh, mind-numbing. Like, <laughs> and just at the time, I was like, "This is such an interesting premise," and they are completely ruining it. Um, um, but should we maybe? Uh, I, I know what I, I'd like to talk about. I don't know what you guys. Well, I, I I like the idea of talking about some of the big movies that weren't as good. Yeah, the like, ones that I, like I was Wars. super pumped about, um, like also, Star Wars. Now, when to, you say big, I want to make sure when you say big movies, do you mean like the big anticipated blockbuster movies or big movies that, like, for example, something like I want to talk about big. It was a big deal to me. At okay, the time. that's a good. Right, yeah. Fair enough. And yes. I'll, I'll actually, you talked about Star Wars. I'll throw one in I, uh, that I've already mentioned: the Spy Who Shagged Me. I I loved and still love the first Austin Powers. Me too. Movie. Mm-hmm. And the second movie was essentially all the dumbest stuff from the first movie that the you know how watered like, down and presented not in a narrative form like, just as a bunch of bits like there's people there's people who like Sopranos for all the wrong reasons because the, the movie the, the show Sopranos because they just want to see people like get shot get and see, like yeah yeah and uh, those kind of people liked Austin Powers for all the wrong reasons for the catchphrases yeah. and, and silly this the, the worst stuff the drinking the, the poo or whatever yes. happened. Yeah, what second, does that have to do with James Bond and yeah. that sort of thing and the second movie became all that that was it and the third one became uh, a worser version of it yeah, although I but, still like the 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 movie parody within the parody at the beginning of Gold Goldmember with like I think like Kevin Spacey is Doctor Evil and Danny DeVito is Mini Me. Spielberg Cruise. make a cameo. Yeah, yeah. I still I still find that funny. Still never I don't it. even remember it. But yeah, I, I was just saying I was my friends and I we loved Austin Powers one and we were super psyched to see it and then it it was total letdown. We were like, yeah. oh, that wasn't so good. Yeah. So that was a that's one that was like yes and then. Uh, yeah. Um, another one for me, which I have a is a Man on the Moon. Um, really? I was I was a big Andy. I was very I discovered Andy Kaufman uh, when I was a teenager and became really into him. I was also into Jim Carrey, and there was all these like reports on the internet of Jim Carrey staying in character and oh he just won't break character and then he's, and he, he was doing come, all these things he's just on come MTV. Off of the Truman Show, which I thought he was yeah. great in, and yeah, it's he was it's on a Milos winning streak Foreman and yeah, yeah Milos Foreman's back. You know the yeah. guy who made you know Amadeus. Uh, Cuckoo's Nest, you know. Mm-hmm. People so, versus Larry Flint uh, yeah. a few years before which that. Is, which which is, we talk, it's, it's crappy, but yeah. then back, I think you guys had an episode about, you know, it was kind of, back then you thought it was really good. Yeah. 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 You know, and, uh, and um, you know, so, so you would, it seemed like this is going to be a great movie, you know, like it's a, the, one of the best guys who makes biopics is going to make a movie about Andy Kaufman. And it just wound up being like just mediocre, and and Jim Carrey was doing basically just this impression based off all the available videos of Andy Kaufman that were around at the time. I I loved it when I first saw it because I was fascinated by Andy Kaufman. I liked what Jim Carrey was doing. I loved it as you can see. I I own it because I got it for Christmas the the following year, uh-huh. I was, and I've not I've seen it a few times, and I remember liking it. In retrospect, though, like when I think back on it, I haven't seen it in years, but when I think back on it, I think like, okay, like Jim Jim Carrey's doing like, you know, all these impressions, and part of me is like, well, what more 
what more could he do? And I'm not saying that as a defense of him or the film. What I'm saying is like, you really, you were going to do a straightforward biopic about Andy Kaufman, one of the most mysterious figures in, in <laughs> entertainment. Here's like, the well, thing that, that I feel like the movie is basically, um, a, a loose adaptation of Bob Zmuda's book about Andy Kaufman, mm-hmm. which is just this sh- shit rag about how he came up with most of Andy Kaufman's best bits. Mm-hmm. And it presents him as like, this mysterious guy who just wants to trick people and then just, I'm laughing on the inside. Maybe Andy was the guy who was laughing all along. And that's just not... If you that's know good, anything about that's him, that's just, Demuda, it's just not what he is. Yeah. That's just not what Andy Kaufman was, you know? Like, um, he was a strange person, but it doesn't get into any of that. It just kind of presents this mediocre fairy tale version of it, which seems like devised to sell Bob's Muda's books and to sell the idea that Bob's Muda basically created Andy Kaufman. And to sell the idea that Jim Carrey is channeling Andy Kaufman, and maybe Andy's still out there somewhere. It's just, it's just crap. It just like makes me mad because sometimes you, you know, if you were Andy Kaufman has this like strange like stigma now for like comedians. People, no one says uh, he's so imitated, but no one says, "Oh, I love Andy Kaufman," because it seems embarrassing now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that movie has a big big part of being embarrassed about saying like Andy Kaufman it just sounds like obvious or on the nose or like someone says like I don't know I think there's a I think there's a good movie to be made about him unfortunately I don't think they're going to do it now but like but there's a good movie to be made about him I I feel much the same as I do about and I think David and I disagree about this um, J. Edgar which is like a little the movie a little bit towards the end which I guess is when they should do it but like where they kind of make reference to the idea that maybe he's just lying about himself. Right. And that he's kind of a sensationalist and a fabulist and that sort of thing. And there's an intent, like there's an intangible quality to the character in that moment. I'm like, Oh, that's great. But that, and that's why, uh, to defend Jay Edgar a little bit again, I always feel like I end up in the position of defending this movie. I didn't see it, but is it entertaining? Uh, I like it more than most people. So I would say most yeah. people don't seem to like it very much, but there is the fact that every time it comes back to him, like dictating his, um, his uh, memoir, yeah. he's got a, a different person like taking dictation. And like part of yeah. that, you could say, oh, that's just showing that this is passing a lot of time. But I think it's also like anytime someone gets too close, he pushes them away. Yeah. And if they had gone more down that direction, and also little things like the big, this, this is not necessarily the fault of the film, but the campaign was like the most powerful man in America. And you watch the movie, you're like, I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> right. But, and, but like with Andy Kaufman, like okay, nobody yeah. knows what. Nobody really knows what drove him. They could have and gotten into that more, yeah, you know, and the story's out there somewhere. Yeah, they I think could have it's speculated. Just... Or what I think is much more riveting is this idea of, like, just being an absolute, just a total mystery. It, it would have been uh, cool if they made a movie that embodied what Andy Kaufman represented. Yeah. Instead, it felt like a commercial for Bob Zmuda and Jim Carrey. Yeah. You know? it, not unlike mm-hmm. uh, the movie that would come out, uh, TV movie, uh is it the life and death of Peter Sellers? The one with, with, Jeffrey, with Rush. Jeffrey Rush, yeah. where he's doing a good job, but ultimately it's like it's like this is a because uh, I think Jim Carrey's good. It's a good performance. I think it's who, an impression. Gives, it's a good impression. But what's not really? He's but not you know really what? doing much. It's it's if they had asked him to do more, he could have. But as it is, that script and the way it's directed, they only want him. That the only thing they can ask him to do is an impression. Like that's all he's. 
Well, there's la- a lot of lazy stuff going on. I know then there's actually a lot of people who I get in this argument about, and I get on a high horse about it, and people think, like, I think it's entertaining. I actually think it's funny. And these are, like, people who they don't know how – they have no frame of reference about Andy Kaufman, and they just think, you know, like, oh, I didn't know anything about him, but I think that guy seemed like he was funny, you know? So I guess there must – I would concede there must be entertaining parts of the movie, but those probably are the recreations of the original bits that right. he was yeah. doing. And so good, like, so it winds up being like, like, oh, yeah, that Mighty Mouse thing is pretty funny. Like, what does this movie have to say about it aside from just replicating it? Like, Yeah, I, sloppily too, may I say, because, you know, it's just they, all, all the um, – it, it, it comes off like a tribute band, the mm-hmm. movie. Uh-huh. They get, like, Dave Letterman to play Dave Letterman. They get some people playing, like, Norm MacDonald plays Michael Richards, you yeah, know, for a second. And some people are dressed up in, like, bad 70s costs. Some people are dressed up. Paul Dave Letterman's apparently in it. Is you know, he? Yeah, that was a big get. Yeah, yeah. He's like a busboy or something, something like that. Some people aren't dressed up at all. Lauren Michaels is like, no, I'm just gonna look like I look now. Dave yeah. Letterman's like, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna look like I look now. It's like, why get these guys? This takes place in the '70s. Create the era. Show what's going on in the world. You know, it's just lazy. You so know, lazy all around. I actually look, have. Oh, sorry. We've got a lot of movies to get to. We can't okay. spend this long on every on every one. We've got right. movies that I have. We have more to say about. I imagine. You're right. The, the last thing that I that I that I will say about this is that uh, as I when I talk about like the film like maybe trying to embrace an intangible quality like I feel like if they were to make a movie another movie about him it should be a documentary done sort of in the style of Exit Through the Gift Shop where you never quite know what is artifice and what I is I think not. that would have been cool because that embraces the spirit of him mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of what's it, what was invigorating about that it that would have been a cool movie that would have uh, been no um, I want to get to a couple more, or a few. I have three more sort of disappointments, disappointments. and I'll see what you guys think. I got a few um, too. You say what now, yours were. Okay. In 97 and 98, I watched the shit out of Swingers. I watched it all the time, and I still really love that movie in the way that it is sort of like, I think, winkingly derivative of the whole 90s American indie thing. You know, it has very specific references to Scorsese and, uh, you know, and the, Tarantino, to, and, and, Tarantino and, and stuff like that. Um, but it also... It has an ambition to be it, more commercial, I think. But it also, I think what the, it's, uh, the commercial well, aspect think, is the fact that it's, it's under, it's, it's both like uh, paying tribute to the stuff that was going on around it, but also undercutting the, uh, the overriding irony of the 90s with, with some... A really sweet scent, like yeah. it, not 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 cynically or panderingly, like it's a really sweet movie. Right, and I watched the shit out of it too when I was a teenager. Yeah, and I then still haven't seen it. Interestingly, and, oh, really? though, yeah. uh, in line with what you're saying, I, I feel like the movie uh, really wants to. Uh, it's got a like a willingness to uh, uh, an eagerness to succeed, uh-huh. but but then saying that out loud, I just realized like, oh well, it is about like struggling LA actors. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of. Yeah. Go on, what were you, you going to say? Well, then, 99, uh, I was looking forward to Go, and I felt that that was exactly everything that Swingers tried not to be. Go right. was, like, just too cynically derivative. It did, didn't feel like its own movie at all. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. Does that I make you think maybe it was John Favreau behind Swingers and Doug Liman was just more of a stylist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good... Uh, I, there's a lot of things I that I like about Go. Again, Go is kind of a guilty a pleasure time. for me. I like yeah. the way that it moves. I like those. I like movies that are about like stuck in the middle of the night in the city. I'm not mm-hmm. a big drug guy. I'm not a right, big rave right. guy. But something about the movie I think is like entertaining. And I don't, don't even like No Doubt, but I like that No Doubt song. And that's actually <laughs> a, que- a question that I, I have wait, for... Wait, I had the soundtrack. What, which song? Don't let it go away. I don't remember it. Oh, yeah. yeah it was a good song. I had, but, on, I had on my Winamp. 
for a couple of years when I had a Dell. <laughs> <laughs> the song I, of course, remember from the Go soundtrack is Don't Steal My Sunshine by Lynn. Oh, yeah. yeah. I enjoy that song. That's a, big, that's that's a, a good song. soundtrack. That's a big 1999 song. Music um, was not as cool in 99, I will say, though. LFO. Anyway. What was going on in 99 in music? I worked at Best Buy. Let's so stick with I movies. Know. I don't care what's going on. Oh, okay. Right. I want to talk about Macy Gray. Tom uh, Waits uh, uh, released Mule Variations that sure. year. That was yeah. a big deal for me. What were you going to say about uh, well, the no, last it's one to... I really like by him? Really? Probably the last Tom Waits album. Mike you don't like Real Gone? Not really. You're crazy. I just Don't get me wrong. Mule Variations is probably my favorite of the last, you know, whatever. I don't. I don't know much Tom Waits music. I know his acting very well, uh-huh. and also one time I was going to a Jamba Juice about seven years ago, and uh, his car was right next to mine. And uh, he was like, we, "I pulled up," and he was like, "Oh, you can get out first. <laughs> Did he have like a? He was a, in he a was, junky old car, or he had like a polished old. It was something. It was like a Cadillac, or it was a big black car of some sort. Yeah. And he was dressed in black. Uh-huh. And I was like, Tom Waits, and he's cool looking. Yeah, I get. I, I'm I not surprised he has an older car, but I bet he takes good. It was care like of it. really sure. polished, yeah. nice looking car. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on to other stuff. I don't like. Um, uh, there were a bit, of, bit, of, a bit of a disappointment, and this is just like glancing. Is Sleepy Hollow? The I was going to say Sleepy Hollow too. Was that the first big disappointment for for Tim Burton? Tim Burton. That was the end of Tim Burton. Uh, I, I liked Mars Attacks. As did I. Yeah, so and, did I, I. and Ed Wood, I think, is also pretty great. Ed also is, written by the guys who wrote. Larry Flint and Man on the Moon. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's an example of of that type of biopic working because it's in the spirit of what Ed Wood is all about. Right. Um, um, but what I'm saying is, is Sleepy Hollow the beginning of the big slide that pretty much continued unabated until Frankenweenie, which I, I liked. I think no, because I think I think Planet of the Apes obviously is the well. It's, Planet the, of the Apes is like he's done. Yeah, yeah like, that's what I'm saying. No, Sleepy I think Hollow I mean everyone after that. Are, are the, I, think, but I think you like Sleepy Hollow more. Than I, I do I like Sleepy Hollow, and one of the things that I like about it is that you still have a certain, for lack of a better term, like a certain vibrance to the film. Like it is incredibly violent and really bloody. It was already and, rated, right? It was oh, already rated, yeah. yeah. And he's like really committing to like, all right, headless horseman cutting off people's heads. Here we go, <laughs> you know. And just and he clearly was excited. You could tell he was excited about doing something as overtly violent. I mean, you got some of that in Mars Attacks. Like, those are those are pretty... pretty yeah. You know what? Not necessarily mean-spirited, but they're pretty dark movies, and I yeah. think visually it's still kind of his thing, but he's still really... En- you can tell he's enjoying himself, as opposed to you see Planet of the Apes, and then you see, like, you know, uh, Alice in Wonderland and, yeah. uh, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I got it a little bit more with... Uh, like, he seemed to kind of come alive a little bit with uh, Sweeney Todd, Oh, which but, I skipped. Uh, I skipped that one. Yeah, it's, it's I, interesting. I heard Have you guys com- seen Frank and Weenie? No, no it's, it's good. I heard a comedian. I'll paraphrase. I don't know who it was. I apologize. Maybe it was on Twitter. Maybe it was it live. Someone recently said something like, "I no longer have any interest." Uh, in in hearing about or in seeing something from the mind of Tim Burton, right? Oh yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it does. Um, maybe there's a joke in there somewhere and I lost it. But it's, <laughs> I was just like, I agree. Uh, I just don't care. You know, it's just like this worn out aesthetic. It's like a maybe I said this before, even on here. It's like a font now. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. let's let, oh, let's get Tim Burton to put his stamp on this. And it's yeah, it's but, one of those things that like when it, when he made Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like there's. There's actually some okay stuff in there before they actually get to the Chocolate Factory, but like, um, 
And then you hear about Alice in Wonderland. And I'm sure everybody, much like myself, I know that my wife and I were both just like, of course. (laughs) That's absolutely, that makes perfect sense. Don't get me wrong, I'm not happy about it. But like, everything just felt like a computer put it together. We're just like, well, Alice in Wonderland hasn't been made in a while, and this is the guy to do it. So like, there was no creative thought behind a guy who used to be the essence of creativity in film. It's like, I wonder if he's even doing anything anymore if he just says okay get a bunch of artists and tell them Tim Burton's making it and tell them to, <laughs> tell them to do Tim Burton-ish again, he, and he keeps winning art direction Oscars like it always uh, happens again I like I like Frank and Weenie I think you guys should but also that. Frank and Weenie isn't it a remake it's a remake of something you already made that when yeah, he, it was a when live he still action had short the, he made in 84 I think yeah and this is animated uh, this is yeah stop motion um, uh, I, I will say one, one the final... problem with for me with Sleepy Hollow was like I think I, I really want it to be scary, and I haven't. I kind of want to rewatch it, see if I like it now. Because I'll say another thing about '99: a lot of movies that I didn't like back then, I think I was spoiled because there were a lot of interesting movies coming out. So it's possible I could go back and be like '99, maybe it's actually good because I don't like a lot of stuff that comes out today. Right. So Sleepy Hollow came out in yeah, 2000. I, I might be pretty excited about it. Yeah, but um, I, I think I wanted it to be scary, and it actually wasn't. Just wasn't that scary. Uh, it's just kind of violent at parts. The uh, final disappointment for me, um, and keep in mind, John McTiernan made Die Hard and Predator, two of the greatest action films of the 80s and two of the greatest action films in the history of cinema. So his Thomas Crown Affair was no, I forget a disappointment about to me. And also this was, only, I think, only, uh, was this the year after the year before 13th Warrior, which was... A horrible mess. Thirteenth Warrior might have been the same. I year. thought it was the same. They, year. He, the same. he had well, both those movies. Thirteenth Warrior, I think, had been completed first and yeah, sat yeah. because it was there was like it was shelved. Huh? There were arguments between him and Michael Crichton about it, and there were all these different people stepping in and recutting it, and that's why it's all right. Such a Michael Crichton mess. actually went and reshot stuff. I think. Yeah, have you seen it? No, it is I, a horrible. I, mess. I saw it. It's not the, a good movie. The it was theater. probably greenlit during the era of Antonio makes everything. Like there was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. two, three years in the mid '90s where Antonio Banderas had to be in every movie made. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Thomas Crown Affair. And at this point, I had not seen the uh, Norman Jewess and Thomas Crown Affair, uh, so I didn't know that the remake was in the tradition of being crappy, because <laughs> I'm not a fan of the original either. Um, but John McTiernan hasn't really made, I mean, wh- uh, I'm trying to think what else he's made since then. Basic? Rollerball? Rollerball remake? I didn't Basic. see the Rollerball remake. I, didn't I don't it. imagine it was any good. Yeah. Uh, the original Rollerball, Rollerball, also not good. Not so good. Wait. That was so the first. John McTiernan has remade two Norman Jewison films. That's weird. What was the other one after, other than Rollerball? Thomas, Thomas Crown Affair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ne- that never occurred to me before. Yeah, interesting. That's really interesting. All right, uh, those are my disappointments. Um, the the other, um, and this isn't so much disappointment because I don't think it had much. Oh, Mystery Men was a disappointment because it had this great cast yeah. of co- comedic actors. I, I need to rewatch it because I, I it was mediocre. It at the time because oh, I didn't was, like. It. Yeah, we both we both like. We both were into bit. it. Um, it just felt so like I think part of it was that I was you know in high school and I was like punk rock and like being an outsider and I went to see it opening night like with a bunch of kids my age and younger and they all hated it like people were just like talking during it and throwing stuff and everybody right. hated it so I think I took some sort of like outsider-ish iconoclastic pride but you in being guys like, you don't get it yeah I get this I get the this thing is like I wanted to feel like I, I got I think I went to go see it and I was like there's no one even here and this isn't funny and it's all these people that I think most of these people I think are cool and no one's just it was like missing the mark mm-hmm. all around or whatever 
Um, but the, and there's yeah, it, I think because it can't settle on a tone. Like sometimes it's like sometimes it's Tim Burton. Sometimes Kel it's a commercial. Yeah, doing, Ke- yeah. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, Kel. Kel doing the fart jokes or or uh, Paul Rubens does the fart jokes. jokes. He does. Yeah, and sometimes it's like goofy, but then sometimes it's really fucking weird. And yeah, I like, like when stuff. Captain Amazing gets uh, destroyed. Yeah, like yeah. suddenly like the su- super dark. Um, another one uh, that I don't think it. I thought it was going to be good going in. I think I actually went to see it with my buddy because we thought it was going to be a disaster and it was really totally crappy and mediocre was 8mm. Mm. I didn't see that till much much later, but yeah, that is... That was total crap. Oh, that's just, like, that is... That was... But it was a hot script because it was the writer of Seven uh-huh. and uh, Joel Schumacher actually made two movies that year. Flawless, which, which I didn't see. It. It's not good. No, it's but not. that was also another one to be excited about. Like, it was yeah. like, oh, De Niro's giving it a try again and he's working with this hot young actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's giving it a big try. Yeah, it's going to be in drag. And yeah. Like, so yeah, there is so like that a was daring like, And it was Joel Flawless. Schumacher also, like, he's, I'm going to make the commercial piece of shit and then I'm going to try to make like some kind of arty and personal yeah. that was his attempt at that it didn't work I guess I didn't see it yeah, it's not, it's but uh, but that's, a, that's another one where it's like people seemed like they were allowing directors to take chances and Joel Schumacher I don't know what he has on Hollywood or had at one point but <laughs> he he just kept getting chances and chances like oh I screwed up a big property with Batman I'm going to make, you know, this hot script from this hot young screenwriter, Andrew Kevin Walker, make 8mm, and I'm going to make my personal movie about a drag queen, starring one of the biggest actors uh, of the time playing a retard character. Maybe like the old Hearst file fell into his hands somehow, and he just knows (laughs) where all the bodies are buried. And Hollywood's like, don't don't get on uh, Schumacher's uh, bad side. Schumacher, Joel, whatever you want to make. I mean, what do you want to do, buddy? But yeah, 8mm, eight, eight like... Eight millimeter is bad in the way that if someone told me they enjoyed it, I would like be weirded out by that person because it's so, it's so like relentlessly unpleasant and yeah. for no good reason at all. Right, it, it it does it gives the impression, and you know there is that seven connection, but it seems like it so badly wants to be seven but yeah. isn't. You know? And it's like, look, we can do scratchy. I do remember thinking newcomer Walking Phoenix was really good in it. Yeah, he was good. He was like a scene stealer, and yeah. he had been in something I think the year before, to die for, to die for ninety seven. That was ninety seven, ninety six, ninety six. Yeah, uh, no, Clay Pigeons. Uh, which I never saw. And then he was also in. Was he in U Turn? I never saw that. Yeah, as which, a character was, named which was ninety seven, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so he was kind of up and coming, and uh, and I remember liking him quite a bit. And uh, yeah, in eight millimeter. But yeah, yeah. It's, uh, he always had this type type of cool energy about him. Yeah, there's there's an intensity like, to him that he was like, coming from another movie, and so he wasn't. Another thing I'll say about 8mm, we'll get off it, is that at the end when it's supposed to be real suspenseful and he's walking around the serial killer house, it's a total Silence of the Lambs scene ripoff, you know, right. where she's in the dark and he's walking around. And they keep playing the most obvious choice. They keep playing, like, uh, Aphex Twin, yeah, come, come to, to Daddy, Daddy. Yeah. you know, on a record. Which, who had records in 99? <laughs> they, they hadn't really come back. And who had these, like, hot... IDM techno records, nonetheless. I yeah. guess DJs did, oh. but serial killer DJs. Yeah, I guess the kind of people who would have Aphex Twin would have, might have records. Man, I think they'd be all into the digital stuff. They'd, just, see, they'd get a CD. I just remembered how that movie ends. <laughs> I, how does it end? Let's spoil it. It for ends. Them. Okay, so there's that yeah, very, a very large, yeah, a very large, imposing man who's kind of does all the bad things. He's in a, the leather mask, and then like. 
towards the end, like Nicolas Cage like rips it off, and he's just like a guy, and he like puts on glasses, uh-huh. and, and he says something like, "It's like you, it's like I don't remember exactly, but it's like, it's like you were expecting the monster, weren't you?" It's like, oh. <laughs> I, like, even at a fairly young age, I'm like, this is really on the nose. You know who I'm surprised isn't in that movie, and my friends and I were joking about it the other day, is uh, the, uh, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, actor, Leland Orser. Oh, uh, Leland Orser, yeah. <laughs> to do a whole show about Leland Orser. <laughs> uh, 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 I fucked her. I killed her. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> Every like uh, I, do, I do have neighbors though, Josh, uh, and now it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's getting kind of late. Are they going to? They're being yeah. like, oh, they must be watching a Leland Orser movie down there. <laughs> yeah. Little because uh, he's the same guy in Alien Resurrection, right? Yeah, very yes. much so, and yeah. very bad things and Seven. And we should also we should do the episode just so we can talk about the fact that for no reason I can no reason think at all. of the two killers at the beginning of a history of violence are named Leland and Orser. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Who is who are the is it? Stephen McCaddy. I don't remember who the other guy is. He's somebody, but I don't. Oh, remember. he's like a young actor. He's the. I think he's a young guy. Yeah, yeah, he's since gone on to be in other things, but I don't remember who he is. Speaking of Cronenberg, Existence came out. That's right. Yeah. Here. Well, okay. Well, sh- well, should we get into? Let's let's segue then into um, horror. Est- maybe uh, I was I gonna know. go what with you, uh, Tyler's thing of esta- you guys make your move. Like already established directors doing great work in yeah. 1999. Yeah. Or should we start with the old school guys doing great work? But here's the thing. I don't think any of them do the work that they are now known for. It's like when you say Martin Scorsese, people don't immediately think of bringing out the dead. You say yeah. David Which Lynch. I, I use Spike, it. You don't think of the straight story. Spike yeah. Lee, you don't think of Summer of Sam. Right. That's true. That's yeah, an interesting yeah. observation. But you know, uh, you don't I think should, of Topsy Turvy. You don't I think of. I should say, of, by the way, um, I, I held bringing out the dead up as, as the example earlier because it was the first one that came to my head, but I'm actually not a huge fan of that movie. I sort of No, it's like, not that. It's it's very flawed. I sort of, res- yeah, I respect it more than I enjoy it. That's Here's true, thing. yeah. Here's it almost thing. seems like Sc- Sc- Martin Scorsese had, like, a bunch of ideas in his head that he wasn't able to use in other movies, and he just sort of put them all in one movie. Did Paul Schrader write that? Yeah. Okay. And interestingly, in the Blue Collar DVD commentary, which was recorded around 98-99, he talks about, I'm making this new movie with Marty, and he still wants to do this Christ imagery stuff. And I said, Marty, you can't do that anymore. You gotta stop doing that. We're not 20, 20 something years old. You can't do that. And uh, so he's talking about bringing out the dead. Uh-huh. And another thing that's like um, interesting about a lot of these guys is like it's kind of their last stand. Like that is the M- Marty was Martin Scorsese. Oh, my my, my buddy Marty, your, you're still in your Paul Schrader mode. Ma- yeah. Martin Scorsese was like he he wasn't he wasn't on top at. The, when he made Bring Out the Dead. Right. He wasn't, like, he He had just he come respected. off of Kundun, right? Yeah, yeah. and he, his the last, I think, prestige movie he made was Casino, and was kind of not as beloved as mm-hmm. as Goodfellas. So he was kind of, like, flailing a little, and he couldn't get anything he wanted made. And then he, like, once he got Leo, you know, on his team, he could make whatever. He made Gangs of New York, and then everything after that was, like, a big studio movie. And yeah. so, kind of, like, even though Bring Out the Dead is, like, totally flawed... It's like the goodbye to his real personal type films, I think. And also, like, I don't want to get too far into uh, Scorsese. Like, he does tend to make movies that are a bit more ensemble based, and uh, and they're about people interacting with each other. And then he makes movies about the lo- you know the loner, and you get like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Last Temptation of Christ, like people who are just outside. All those of, three of the written norm. by oh, no, all, I think all those are written by Paul Schrader. 
Was Raging Bull? Was it? I think it might have been. I, I don't recall. I could be wrong. I think it I was. I the other two are. But, uh, and, and bringing out the and dead. And bringing out the dead. Like, it's just... And and I do sort of think he kind of gets into that a little bit with the, the Aviator. And, and those are always the ones of his that I like more. The, the, uh, than, the like, mental illness ones. Yeah, I guess so. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but my favorite movie of his, Last Temptation of Christ, everybody mentions Goodfellas, too. and it's Mine's Goodfellas Taxi Driver. Yeah. I, I probably would, would just watch Taxi Driver any time, all the time. But this interesting thing about Bringing Out the Dead, it's supposed to be like his companion piece with Taxi Driver, mm. but you can see how he's kind of left this sort of like gritty New York guy director behind, because Taxi Driver, when you see the crazy people on the street, you think, oh, that guy's really crazy. Like the one who's running out, I'll kill her, I'll kill her. Yeah. And then... The crazy people in uh, Bring Out the Dead are all like they have that like hot god lighting above them, and they're yeah. all like, "I am creepy and crazy." Whereas yeah, that was a they, really they, on, they're the really nine, on the nose line there. That Paul Schrader, he was really <laughs> yeah. What was he I'm thinking? Creepy and crazy. Well, that was the subtext behind it. <laughs> yeah. It looks like he's got these kind of you know um, these like uh, just little theater, you know local theater actors dressed up with crazy person costumes and he lights them all cra- it just looks all like it looks like a music video he's kind of mm-hmm. trying to do like some sort of 90s music video um, and, and that's it's okay. not as authentic I, I, feeling it, it doesn't the feel 70s authentic one. there's yeah but I kind of like it I mean I, it's it's something I respond to as David says I respect it a lot because he's trying to do something different for him right I'd um, kind of like to write like to go back and review it just for the sake that I you don't get to see Martin Scorsese making a movie like that anymore and it's not 1999 anymore, and maybe that'd be kind of interesting nowadays to see a movie like that. Okay. And Nicolas Cage is crazy in it. So now, more now that I've put out this idea, because I, I said it without thinking about it, and now that I've said it, it works so well that I'm thrilled. Because um, it doesn't happen very often. This idea of, like, great directors, well-established, some of them Oscar-winning, putting out movies this year that they don't necessarily go against what the director does, although to a certain extent they do. Um, Milos Forman's another one. Okay, yeah, okay, so, and I, I kind of organize this a certain way. Okay, you've got The Insider, which, okay, uh, that's probably Michael Mann's, like, one of, that and Heat. No like one his, ta- his no, I don't think people, people talk about The Insider as much as they talk about, like, Heat when they talk about Michael Mann. Uh, they talk know? about Heat and probably Last of the Mohicans and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and maybe these days Collateral. Uh, I think I'm kind of in an echo chamber when it comes to that. Like, a lot of my friends like The Insider. But then you got Milos Forman, Man on the Moon. Star Wars also, Woody one. made Sweet and Low Down. Sweet and Low Down. Which I Nobody think was his last really is it, good movie. Um, I liked, uh, what was it, last year, Midnight in Paris. Right. Um, and I didn't see Vicky Cristina Barcelona. It, but is, he, it, I just feel like he became something else that's, I mean, I, know, I guess you could debate all day about this. I, I haven't really loved a Woody Allen movie since 1999. I do love true. Sweet and Low Down. That's probably in um, my top three. Real quick, of his. is The Insider your favorite Michael Mann movie then? Yeah. I need to think about what mine is. It might be the Insider. Robert Altman made Cookie's Fortune I, that year. Although I do which I thought that was 98. It was 99, I think. Okay. I thought it was 98, too, when I was going through my stuff today. But like, okay, so you got Barry Levinson makes Liberty Heights, which is a very good movie, by the way. Right, but you've that's got, one that no one talks about. Um, yeah, you've got Polanski makes The Ninth Gate, uh, which Heights, I like. Actually, I wanted to talk about okay. it a little bit because it was um, maybe kind of like what you're saying with Scorsese. Like, it was the, la- it was the last of that Barry Levinson. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he's, I'm going to make a sentimental personal movie. And it, it was part of his... Um, his Baltimore thing. Baltimore, what, diner? What's the one in the middle that I'm missing? Avalon. Avalon and Liberty Heights are sort of this, you know, Baltimore in that trilogy. in that era tr- trilogy. And it was sort of 
put a button on that Barry Levinson. And I don't know that I've really liked a Barry Levinson film. No one really talked about. You should go see Heights, The though. Bay. It's quite good. Yeah, I like it a lot. He also kind of got stuck in director's jail for a little bit, and so that's why he made these TV movies, and probably why he made this, you know, uh, The Bay. You know, this mm-hmm. found footage movie, which is I, very good. You saw it? I love it. Oh, cool. Well, you know, I, the, the trailer actually looks like you know crowd pleaser. Um, but, uh, yeah, no one really, no one cared about Liberty Heights when it came out. Maybe because there was all these edgy movies coming out, no one really wanted to see this, like, traditional Barry Levinson, Oscar bait, sort of a, you know, his version of a personal movie. I don't know. Yeah. Does it, is, it, is it an Oscar bait film, do you think? I mean, in the sense that Avalon was, you know, and Barry Levinson was, a, at the time, a prestige director who he made, like, Wag the Dog, which was Oscar, yeah. you know, Oscar and Rain Man. and Sleepers, is that him? Sleepers. That's, that was, yeah, I, that's, I actually enjoyed Sleepers. I don't know. Maybe it's, I it's do bad I if I went back when and watched it. I was a teenager. It. I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I haven't seen it since. But I was like, oh, this is good. It's like these kids getting revenge on the ki- guys who raped them or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I think what I don't like, it's it's this weird jarring, we're not talking about a 99 movie, but like, it's this weird jarring shift in tone. So I can't, like, to the point where now it just feels like the idea of these kids being raped seems almost exploitative and we're watching this fun revenge thing right. that is that has way more prestige because of the director and the cast. Right. But ultimately it's like... It ultimately it's a rape-revenge yeah. movie. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, kind of a pulpy kind of thing. Cinephile Video has... We have a rape-revenge rape section. section. Is Sleepers in there? No, because Barry Levinson has his own section. Uh, but but now that it's... Once I said it out, I was like, shit, Sleepers should be a rape-revenge movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's weird to think it's that they're... more rape-revenge than it is Barry if Levinson. If you said... That is very strange. If you said, you know, there's a movie, a popular studio movie, or a a fairly known studio movie with major actors about kids who get molested and then they take revenge on their molesters when they get older, someone would say, that movie doesn't exist. (laughs) You're like, it does, and it stars Brad Pitt and Robert De Niro. And And Dustin Hoffman. And Kevin Bacon. Dustin Hoffman's in it, too. And Jason Patrick. It has a fucking, like, (laughs) A-list cast. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and Billy Crudup. And uh, I, I like him. Yeah, I really like. And uh, I never remember his name. The one who played the sleazy blonde-haired guy, Ron Eldred. Ron Eldred. Yeah. All right. Um, um, what else? Another one that bombed. That was that wasn't exci- like a t- to be excited about it movie at the time. I never saw it. Uh, Cradle Will Rock. Yeah. Did I you guys see here. it? I. I did see it, and I actually I admire it a lot. It's not that great, but I admire yeah, it a lot because it's, it's really ambitious. Like it's, it's ambitious. I think it's one of those ones. It thought it was going to be a big deal. Well, uh, it's Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins made Dead Man Walking, and yeah. and he thought, you know, I'm hot right now, and and then just went nowhere. I want to talk about more of these um, departures that you were talking about, okay. like major directors, because um, oh, uh, R- R- Rob Reiner was kind of established, and he made a flop story of us. Oh, which I didn't oh. see. I never, I never saw it either. Everyone I did says see it bad. With, yeah. I remember to it by some. Uh, I remember friends. the the press for it. Um, uh, a very a very pleased with himself. Bruce was like, Rob Reiner thinks it's his best work. Michelle Weiber thinks it's his her best work. I think it's my best work. You guys see it <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it was. I remember him talking about it, and I was like, Ooh, maybe it is that good. But the trailer just looks so bland and nothing. Yeah, it's it, it had the it had the potential to be something really special because it's this idea of like. A marriage that's kind of falling apart, but only if these two let it, you know. Is that what it's but, about? But, yeah, but like if an interesting specific. Thing yeah, about it a movie. could have been. It could have been like a woman under the influence, but it's Rob Reiner, right. so 
It is not that. But he was very Oscar Beatty in prestige in the 90s. And then yeah. he started slipping after North and then made Ghost of Mississippi. And then. But that was Oscar Beatty. That got a James Woods. That's nomination. true. But I think overall, that's about all I got out of it. I don't, I don't think anyone else saw it after that. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what, well, uh, David really wanted to straight get... straight story we we talked about. I yeah. don't know what to, what to say. About I love it. that movie. Great. I think it's great. It's great yeah. I think it's uh, cool, and I think it's it's right up there. Just David Lynch yeah. can do anything if he yeah. wants to, including make a movie that is in no way a David Lynch film. Like no, actually, I, there are there are some character things there. I, I rewatched it recently, and I think it does work in his oeuvre, um, <laughs> in the, in the sense that he's working with all the people that he's come up with uh it's uh, jack fisk um sissy spacek jack mm-hmm. fisk's wife uh, yeah, uh freddie francis i think is freddie francis yeah. shot it and her, her sissy spacek's character heredine stanton's in it feels very much out of a david lynch yeah she's kind of the, the dad she's kind of yeah. got this like strange stutter and yeah but you it's know not, it's, got, I, it's got an old rickety quality about it when i think of of and this this doesn't necessarily keep me from liking his movies, but when I think of characters in a David Lynch film, I tend to think of characters that are kind of f- funny at times, but I do sometimes feel like he's laughing at them. I feel like he has affection for them, but is laughing at them. And so, like, whereas I feel like a great deal of, I feel of, uh, a great deal of affection for every character in the film, even if they're viewed point. as a little... You feel I that think, way I, about... I don't think he's laughing at his characters, but I do think he tends to treat his characters more as archetypes than characters in, yeah. in a lot of his films. I, I think sometimes... Here's, here, there's a couple takes. Obviously, you could debate David Lynch forever, but, well, one thing I'll say is the Elephant Man is just as, like, sweet and sentimental yeah. and emotional as the straight story. Yeah. Um, I think they're both rated G. But, uh... Um, I've noticed when I've rewatched some David Lynch movies recently that a lot of his characters seem like he's trying to make the audience laugh. He's not so much judging the character. He's like, I think this would be funny. <laughs> like it's, it's like he's taking like, oh, what if you took this kind of guy and you mixed him with this kind of guy, and then he's just that one guy, and then it's like these two type but, of characteristics that don't match. But then, and and now it sounds like I'm like I'm bashing him, and then I'm siding with Roger Ebert when he talks about Blue Velvet, but like. Uh, but it's one of those things like that's that's not a bad philosophy of like filmmaking, but like to take th- these kind of strange characters that that he wants to use to make the audience laugh and put them in the midst of like horrific stories, which the straight story is not. But like these horrific stories and you're just like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't be laughing. Like now I feel like you're kind of mocking these people. But I, I guess maybe you put the maybe you made them in order to be mocked. But now I'm not sure if I like the idea of that either. Right. Um, my take on, on my most recent take on David Lynch is that he's kind of spoofing or playing in melodrama. Like oh, he no must question have about that. Yeah, he, yeah. he must have gotten a big a big uh, dollop of melodrama as a kid, you know, and really enjoyed it. And somehow that influenced him. And he, and he's he's playing he's putting these funny different characters through the filter of like this 50s. You know, well, he's got. I mean, like, yeah. Given his sort of preoccupation with like the uh, the version of the fifties that's sold to us, yeah. Uh, he, uh, I'm sure he's a Douglas Sirk fan. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, or or like Mulholland Drive. I when I rewatched that a year or two ago, like having lived in L.A. for a few years, I did not realize when I saw it in the theater as a 21, 20 year old that it was hilarious i just didn't get it i think i was like this isn't good and then i watched it this the whole scene about them eat, sipping espresso and this is the girl that's as funny as like any mr show sketch i yeah, think it's, i it's think it's hilarious funny. um 
But also, when I mean, you mentioned uh, one thing about the straight story that is immediately Lynchian to me is Freddie Francis's right cinematography, which really does not shy away from just inky. Like it's really embraces the black. You know, yes, when he's yeah. when, he, when he's sitting around the campfire with that with that girl. You know, there's like there yeah. might as well be on a soundstage. It just like sinks into nothing. Yeah, anything them. the campfire I, does not light is completely yeah, black and, I, and I, I like that there's also a, he, he kind of makes a, a reference or it's like he's having a conversation as they say with his himself uh, as, a, as a filmmaker because he takes like some of his trademarks and spins them on his head like you know the there's several mo- there's a few movies I think in it Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, Lost Highway with the, the white lines and the uh-huh. freeway passing by. And he does that in the straight straight, but he yeah. does it in slow motion. <laughs> right, yeah. So you see these like – and then also there's this great shot where it's just – the movie's just like, I'm just going to take my time. There's this great shot of like a girl like standing on the road. I think she's hitchhiking. And the way the, the camera slowly moves toward her, you remember this shot? Yeah. It's just like, yep, there she is. And she's just getting a little bit closer a little bit at a time. Yeah. It just takes yeah. its time. I, I saw that movie because it's a Disney movie that's rated G. The theater was full of parents with their kids. Like I saw it probably on like a weekend during the daytime. Yeah. And so I was like, even as it started, I was like getting nervous. I was like, this is not going to go well. And you know what? It went great. Like yeah. people had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. It's I. It's. <laughs> is it my favorite movie of his? I David do like. Lynch? I do uh, like the Elephant Man. Mulholland Drive is my favorite by far. Uh, but uh, you also. Josh, you mentioned, or was it you, one of you mentioned uh, Summer of Sam as being a... I like Summer of Sam. Which is a movie I, I did not really like underrated. at the time. And Likewise. Ha- haven't seen since, but in reflecting on it, I feel like I would like it more if I watched oh, yeah. it now. I think it's, I, I, in my memory, I think it's really interesting. And, uh, I think uh, I was... Spike Lee's trying a lot of different stuff. Yeah, I, I was unable to, at the time, embrace this sort of, the more heightened, the more thea- the theatricality of it, yeah. you know, in that it's like this street level, like hard boiled. Here's what it was. Here's what it was like. But it's also everyone is like in a David Lynch movie, playing sort of an archetype. It's almost like a and in, like like the classic like World War II pl- platoon movie, where yeah. each guy in the platoon represents a different walk of American life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah totally. Ride. Yeah, it, you you kind of get that sense among these these guys. You know, it's that, like I'm a punk rocker. Hey, I'm a Guido. Hey, I I I'm a I'm a disco guy. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Puerto Rican disco guy. Well, and that and it, it was. Uh, uh, quick sorry it was also this is before 25th hour it was surprising that spike lee was making a movie where most of the characters aren't black right that at the time that mm-hmm. was but had, it was about had, new york that was the whole his yeah he had ties in i his, don't think he had done that yeah i think all his characters had been centered all his films yeah, have been centered around black characters yeah i think so and it does feel i mean like what? it does feel very much like uh a cousin or something to uh do the right thing like the theatricality the archetypes like it's it's all there the and but a little but a bit more f- not necessarily focused because it, it it is just like all these people like uh, and i haven't seen it in many years but um you know the idea of the uh the son of sam killer it's not it doesn't focus it's not zodiac it doesn't focus on on him right but that is a focus on thing. like the people of the time and yeah. it, it does kind of take these archetypes and generalizations of what was going on in the 70s at that time yeah. and and, yeah. and says like you know here here are these characters that each one represents. What I will say is that I remember when I saw it, I thought it felt like a little bit like Spike Lee trying to do 90s Oliver Stone. Huh. Does anyone else see? And because and, and Ellen Chorus, who was, was shot a lot of cool stuff, 
uh, was kind of doing some of the Robert Richardson things that he, that Robert Richardson and some of the crazy cutting and the weird lighting and reds and stuff that mm, yeah. that he'd been doing like in Natural Born Killers and stuff like that and a lot of like you know how uh, Oliver Stone kind of did like you know here's what the '60s were like a peace man type guy uh-huh. and I'm Jim Morrison and here's Andy Warhol like it was. It was kind of like, in that sense, it was kind of bad, but as an interesting, I just think it's an interesting movie, mm-hmm. which maybe that should segue us into Oliver Stone. Well, real quick, yeah. one more thing about Summer of Sam. Uh-huh. I think at the time, my r- relatively strictured and, uh, you know, um, in- insulated uh, cinematic mind was not able to handle the fact that you actually see the dog talking to the the, the killer. Oh yeah, and, and telling him to kill people. Which at the time I thought that is so stupid and corny, and now I think that is so ballsy and crazy. Yeah. I love that he did that. See, that's why I think it's kind of taking all these like notes from Natural Born Killers, you know, which mm-hmm. was also maybe it works, doesn't work, you know. Some people think one or the other. Like it's still that movie try is trying all kinds of things with different film stocks and different like mm-hmm. lens, you know crazy wide lenses and like you know it's suddenly it's a sitcom suddenly it's a kung fu movie or whatever you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And this is what I'm talking about. Like think about like even the movies that don't work. And I'm not saying Summer of Sam doesn't work, but like even the movies that don't work, there's just something about this year where people were gonna. There's were trying just stuff. something like there's just something going on. Everything felt electric to a certain extent like even the stuff that's just like oh that 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 failed even something like go had a had a vibrance to it that i don't think it was artificial i think maybe it might have been a little misguided but i don't think it was artificial even something like sleepy hollow clear i i think tim burton was having fun with the r rating yeah you know, well, and also like, it was his it was here's the thing about that we didn't talk about with sleepy hollow it was the first time tim burton got really cinematic like mm-hmm. he had emmanuel lubeski like who shoot it and it, mm-hmm. and it looked great you know yeah. Like, I mean, Ed Wood looks cool. It's, like, this kind of cheapy black and white. But, like, this was the first time I feel like Tim Burton was, like, we're going to really try some, like, make it look beautiful, you know? And, like, have have this really cool art direction. That story, uh, I I don't know if it's true. Maybe it's on the DVD or whatever. But in Sleepy Hollow, because they were shooting with that blue filter, the fake blood they were using, in order to make it turn up blood-colored on the screen, was actually, like, this weird orange color in, in real life. I, I don't know if that's apocryphal which is, or not. But which is interesting heard. because the Hammer movies, I remember when it came out, they were like, it's going to be like a Hammer film. The blood back then did look very yeah. orange, mm-hmm. you know? And, and same with, like, the Argento movies and stuff like that. You know, it's... it's uh, we'll, we'll get to uh, any given Sunday in a moment. But yeah, the, I do uh, want to talk about that. But, like, you know, it's interesting... You're right. There is a there's like an inherent cinematicalness. That's not at all right. But uh, to Sleepy Hollow, and it makes me wonder. Like if you go back and watch Batman, uh, the action aspect of it is clunky as hell and does not work. Yeah. But I'd be interested yeah. to see the Sleepy Hollow Tim Burton go back and make a Batman. And movie. I is think it's just w- like audiences right. being less sophisticated because I noticed that like. Um, like I think Spider-Man Two is an, a, a great action movie. Yeah, you watch Darkman; it's this all the same ideas, but it's like I think it, it's, it seems so like clunkier. We were used Darkman seems clunkier, but in a, in a in a good way. But it just seems like I just wondered if if we as people who watch action just in general American audiences, if we become more sophisticated and therefore action is less less theatrical less like staged and more just almost impressive. I think action follows the trend of whatever's popular in action at the time right like we are coming off in not of, a good way like 
Schwarzenegger and Stallone mm-hmm. uh, action movies of the 80s where everything was just big and kind of slow and powerful. But and also so, like, the so camera you, stayed, the camera yeah, let you yeah. see the fight, the yeah. action, the kicks or whatever. Yeah. And then, then there got to be, I think, something more of, a, more of like a, a John Woo influence into action. Well, but even that looked beautiful and there were like pans and it right. wasn't... There was I, a fluidity to it. I would say like Saving Private Ryan and Gladiator and all that flickery shutter stuff mm-hmm. kind of screwed up action for today where everything has to be sh- sh- shake the camera a lot right. and it, you can look at Expendables as an example of that because he's shaking the camera like crazy and doing that shutter effect which well, none of those movies that there were that there all the stars are in were doing that in the 80s yeah. but for a while there was a clear I think a clear Asian influence with John Woo Jackie Chan shows up Jet Li shows up and there was this and suddenly like you know, big and bulky. You know the the giants of Predator. Uh-huh. Uh, and no, I'm not just talking about the alien. Like, it's like that gave way to small, sleek, and fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think you look at Darkman, you look at Batman, and that reflects this older uh, way. Do you know what's funny though? Directing um, in rewatching the second time I saw Dark Knight Rises, um, the the fist fights between. Batman and Bane, they're not exactly as stagey as what we're talking about, but they are pretty much just, he's pretty much just pointing the camera and it like... Two guys punching each other? Yeah, and, it's, it's, and it took me out of it for a moment. The, first, the, the, the second time I watched it, I was just thinking like, this seems... Dull? Or, or yeah, or, or it seems... I, I feel like I can tell these are two actors, you know, running, going through the motions. Yeah, I wonder if that was intentional on Christopher Nolan's part, where he's like, oh, I want it to be like, they're just two guys fighting and punching each other. Yeah, yeah. And I... I um, I like that Bane fight. I thought you liked it. Which uh, under uh, the under the sewer one or yeah. the street one? Oh yeah, I love it. I love oh, it. Okay, and it's oh man, I, is it time? Can we do Bane impressions yet, or is it still hacky? Because I just want to say, well, there was, was it a, ever hacky? I there, there was a time oh, when you I and I thought prom- it was funny. Yeah, there was a time when you and I promised to do Bane impressions on yeah. the show. But uh, I have to. I have to do this if I'm going to do it. Peace has made you weak. <laughs> Victory has defeated you. Yeah. What does he say about the dark? Like you uh, may, you think the darkness is your ally. You think the darkness is your ally. <laughs> I was born in it. Yeah, you uh, adopted it. I, I want to before That's we. It's a lovely, lovely oh, voice. Are we done doing Bane impressions? I, I was done. Yeah, I don't know I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Josh Fadum. <laughs> are guy, you growing tired of our voices? <laughs> the guy, the guy who only comes on here and does impressions. How'd you like that Bruce Willis impression I attempted at? That was pretty good. Uh, so this is why you're cutting the, us off because you think our Bane impressions suck. Yeah, I, th- oh, okay. I think the audience is like, we get it, Bane impressions. <laughs> if I can't chime in, I'm the guy in the car driving to work, listening to this, and if I can't chime in with my Bane impression, I'm not interested. <laughs> or basically, they were just like, you know what? Josh's wasn't that good, and Josh isn't going to... I want to hear Josh do the Bane impression. That's what they're probably thinking. And, and you weren't happy with yours? I just, you know what? If everyone's doing it, like, who's here to laugh at mine, you know? Like, right, forget right. it. We're all doing a Bane. All right, fair enough. Right. It's fun. Speak Maybe the devil, I yeah. should try to do a all part of the plan. <laughs> Now I'm the Joker. I propose that everything we say about any given Sunday is in a Bane voice. Well, no, before we move on to any given Sunday, what you, you said something that talking about just like the electricity that was going on in that era. Uh, we were going to talk about. I wonder if it was some sort of a reaction or celebration of what was going on in the Clinton administration or something like that. I think it was probably a combination of that. Like, there's some a certain sort of degree freedom. of prosperity combined with. A new millennium's about to start, and I don't mean like a Y two K. We better get our cra- crazy ass movies in while we can. Right? It wasn't that. I think it was just like, I don't know this idea of like, like the 
the thousands are done now. Right. Like, this is, I, I think, even just psychologically, uh, subconsciously, I think there's also, just something about, like, like something big is, you know, we're about to switch over to a new thousand years. Let's, uh, I don't know. And so I feel like a lot of filmmakers just jumped in with, with abandon. I mean, I wonder if, though, the allowing of those films to be made, because I don't think there's a shortage of artists who might be able to make movies that good today. Mm-hmm. There's a sh- probably a shortage of people allowing them to be made or allowing them to yeah. reach a, you know, a far audience like they did then. It's very strange how, how uh, some years, for, for no particular reason that I can ascertain, they just sort of, like great movies just kind of come together in one year like I think 2007 was, a, was an amazing yeah, that's, year yeah that was the end of the year but I actually did my try to make a list and still 2007 only has like a third of 99 oh absolutely movies. it's got 15 it's a so, it's like 12 to 15 it's a solid 12 to 15 but compared to the the massive 99 like 25 to 30 solid amazing uh, films another thing I, what I was going to say is like a lot of those new guys like uh, that were bursting like out like you know Paul Thomas Anderson, Sofia Coppola, Spike Jones, David Fincher, you know uh, Wes Anderson, uh, David O. Russell. They were probably all they had grown up on the movies of the seventies that were making mm-hmm. the you know that they were movies are kind of similar to. Um, the other thing I want to say is like Summer of Sam. I don't think that the type of movie that Summer of Sam wound up being could have been without the movies that had come in the 90s prior, Mm -hmm. like all the Oliver Stone movies or maybe some of those David Lynch movies. You know, I feel like those movies influence how Summer of Sam looks quite a bit. It does have, you know, and I think in that sense, it does have a 70s feel to it where just filmmakers are inspired by each other. They're just like, whether it be older filmmakers who've, who are trying to do something maybe a little bit new or younger filmmakers who are, who are like finally getting their shot and like, and they come in like a Tarantino or a Paul Thomas Anderson. They come in with all of this, uh, movie knowledge and movie appreciation. And now, now they have their opportunity and they're not going to blow it. <coughs> and, yeah. uh, it, it makes me think, I wish Tarantino had made a movie in 99. I know. I wonder the, what or that the Coen brothers. Like, yeah. Uh, they didn't do it either. Yeah. Or Spielberg. Yeah, but of course Spielberg the next year is going to do AI, which I think is no. He waited two years. Two thousand one is when he made AI. AI is two thousand one. Okay, and then and then his last one before that was like Private Ryan, huh? Yeah, yeah. So he made two movies in two thousand one, I think. Minority Report was two thousand two. I'm just looking at people who had. We were talking about uh, McTiernan having two movies in 1999. Um, Did James Toback also have two movies? Black and White. I wanted. I wrote that down. Did he also do uh, Two Girls and a Guy? Yeah, but that was like ninety eight or ninety seven. Oh, it's on my it's on the list as being a ninety nine movie. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was ninety eight or ninety seven. Okay. Anyway, let's go back to let's finally talk about any given Sunday because yes, because here's, here's how I feel about any any given Sunday, and I want to say this before I uh, like you guys get your opinions out. Okay. Uh, it's a movie I loved at the time, but like American Beauty, it's a movie that when I revisit it, uh, it does not hold up for me. No. See, here's the thing with for me. I think I knew when I was wa- I was enjoying it when I was watching, but I knew I was watching crap. Uh-huh. Like I knew going, like I knew it was like, I knew it was crap. I was excited because it has a cast, and it's like, I mean, that cast is like, st- everyone's like, I'm here to be in Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone was on top of the world, yeah. But I think it was his first movie without Robert Richardson, hmm. who mm-hmm. I think is, if you look at when Oliver Stone was big, all the movies he shot were with Robert Richardson, and 
Like, it was just a really interesting collaboration. And then Any Given Sunday doesn't quite have the same feel as yeah. his it earlier It has the, the hints of the... Um, he, he edits his movies, in, in, like like That's War Killers and JFK, edits the movies in a way where they're... The, for certain stretches, it's not about the plot of the characters at all. It's sort of... It becomes non-narrative. Yeah. You know, yeah. like... The part where are these strange montages and stuff? Yeah, like or like scenes from Ben Hur. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. Al Pacino talking to Jamie Fox, and then there's like it the chariot race with like Ben Hur. Yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. The, that kind of stuff I still like and, and respond to, even though it's. I mean, it's never been a subtle thing with him. That was, but that was another thing. Even just like the fact that it's like this is a movie starring the Al Pacino, who like yeah. in '99 it was like this is a guy, he's Al Pacino, you know, uh-huh. and we should really appreciate that Al Pacino is still around acting in movies. Like, yeah. let's go see Al Pacino. I mean, he's the guy. We're all appreciating who he is now, you know, and Oliver Stone. I mean, this guy's been making some of the best movies the past 10 years, you know, yeah. but it was really kind of the beginning of like, oh, Oliver Stone sucks. There, there <laughs> are know? things, well, there are things about it that I, that I like. I think Jamie Foxx, by the way, is really great in the movie. I think he does. I think everyone's sort of having a, fun in it. Everyone's yeah. chewing it up. Yeah. No one's bad. James Woods, especially. Yeah. Um, but of course that's always the case, but, uh, it's one of those things. I, I liked it at the time. And in retrospect, there are things I like about it. Uh, but at the same time, I kind of view it the same way I view Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, where... What's that? That's Aaron Sorkin's follow-up to oh, West yeah, Wing, yeah, yeah. where he's still doing... He's making a... Uh, in the, in Stone's case, he's making a movie the way he always does, but there's a little bit of a difference between JFK, Nixon, and any given... Like, it's like, oh, uh, a disgraced president who, you know, has this weird, like... Greek tragedy type uh, <laughs> fall from grace and then there's like oh JFK you know the, the fall of Camelot and our government may be being against us and then like oh this guy he's kind of arrogant and uh, he doesn't have respect for this older quarterback like it just it's one of those things like uh, maybe change your style a little bit because this bombast for this story seems completely inappropriate yeah. well, I remember all the marketing for it presented it like See, Oliver Stone's a Vietnam vet, and football is war. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was like what? That's what though, they were. Though there was the the subplot of Lawrence Taylor like uh, gonna get hit and get a concussion and yeah, die. Yeah, that's right. Like there was that, so there's life and death there. But uh, uh, and like, uh, doesn't the guy get hit so hard that his eye pops out? Or that's only that wasn't that's the, the director's cut. cut. That's yeah. the director's mm. cut. Yeah, um, yeah. They saved that bit of gold for, uh, for the. <laughs> you know what I do? Cut. I mean, there's there are there's a great cast and there are good performances. I even like Cameron Diaz. Yeah, and one of my favorite lines in the movie is when Al Pacino's like, "The first contract I negotiated with, with your father, we did it over a handshake and a beer." And then he walks away, and she's like, "Fucking beer!" Yeah, <laughs> and it's a very funny line reading to me. There is there she's is one very angry. <laughs> and oh, she was like the ball buster, like eager, yeah. like I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And she had inherited the team from her father. Yeah. And then right, she gets right. taken down by Charlton Heston, right? Yeah, is probably. Heston in the movie? Yeah, oh, he's yeah, like yeah. the yes, commissioner that's right. or something like that. Charlton Heston is in the movie as well as scenes from Ben Hur, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, as long as we're talking about, you know, the sort of. I feel like only every movie that Charlton Heston did like the last three of his career were all like oh look Charlton Heston's still alive and we're gonna make a wink that he's in the movie like he made a cameo as an ape in uh-huh. Planet of the Apes remake did you ever see Town and Country that uh that w- Warren Beatty movie yeah that's no. notorious it's, it's notorious shelved 
Yeah, because it's it's just it's not like some special effects extravaganza, but because of like Warren Beatty cast, tinkering for years, it's like the one. It's like this hugely expensive movie that got shelved and then completely tanked. Yeah, but yeah. Sean Heston's in that. Uh, Messen- anyway. Oh, Messenger Joan of Arc. Oh, I was gonna move on to Eyes Wide Shut. Oh yeah, because of, like in keeping with with oh with the directors who were like yeah I forgot we were still on that yeah. the directors who were like um, legendary and then there was their comeback. Right, yeah. I mean, he had uh, Eyes Wide Shut was his first movie since Full Metal Jacket. Jacket, which was twelve years, eighty-seven. I think? Yeah, yeah, so twelve years uh, before. Uh, and I have seen Eyes Wide Shut very recently. Rewatched it, and it is amazing. It's one of my favorite Kubrick films. I have seen I it once, guys... but I have a shocking memory for it because I guess it's not a movie that fades uh, yeah. from your memory. But how do you uh, feel? Yeah, I love Joshua, it. Uh, Eyes Wide I Shut. think it is great, and I also think that it is. I also kind of feel like I, I think it's great, and I also kind of feel like it's it's a movie that I wouldn't dare to put my foot to put to step into the ring of be, speaking critically about it. Yeah, um, it feels like it's bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on, and I even feel like have like these strange conspiracy theories in my brain about uh-huh. you know it about like was it really finished you know and and how come he conveniently died you know like right right before he sent the final cut you know to be looked at and and that it was tinkered with you know with the with the with the CG blobs of naked people and stuff. Yeah, which, like, by the way, the, the Blu-ray, like, in the box set, which is what how I watched it, thanks to uh, a friend, Frank, Feel My Wrath McGrath, um, d- obviously doesn't have the... It doesn't have without, And it's so tame compared to, like, what... Well, but it, I actually so heard a, a another conspiracy theory about the movie recently. Um, someone saying that the people having sex with each other are all... Are each of them are representing like a different religion of the world or something like that? Um, and uh, maybe someone told me that John Hurt said this or something, and he uh-huh. was friends with Kubrick. I, I don't remember, but but that that each person and and that maybe even Tom Cruise represents something. I don't know. There's a conspiracy theory, not my opinion. Don't secretly poison me, conspiracy theorists uh, listening out there. I, I, I will step Illuminati in, Illuminati listening out there. Critically, don't and, kill me. And talk okay. about how yes. okay. uh, Eyes Wide Shut is actually. I think in rewatching it, much more personal and intimate and smaller scale than that. I mean, none of his movies is small scale. He makes even but like, it's like the a shot s- of someone walking down a hall is the biggest, most cinematic thing in the world. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that's great about about Kubrick. But it's, um, it's a small, it's, dreamlike, it's intimate movie. Yeah, about a certain type of male Obsession. mind that is like. Uh, uh, on, on the surface, very much a man of his time, sort of you know politically correct, uh, you know, uh, progressively thinking, but is still rooted in the like uh, sexual hangups and like gender role ideas of of the past, and actually has uh, there's a lot of inner turmoil between those two things, mm-hmm. you know, about uh, how he uh, he wants to be adventurous, but he's also a bit of a, a prude. Um, and, he, and or maybe moralist or something like that. Yeah, and he wants his he wants wife to, to he wants to have like hot sex with his wife, but when he wants it and he doesn't want her to want it when he doesn't want it. Right. You know, and then he has these ideas that because he's he's a man and he's successful, the fact that he's a doctor. One thing I I, I was recently on uh an episode of the Autour cast talking just about um Eyes Wide Shut. One thing uh, West, uh, a friend of the show, West Anthony, and co-host of the Autorcast, West Anthony, uh, pointed out is that Tom Cruise's character is constantly... T- 
telling people that he's a doctor. Like it is, it, like pretty much in every because the, the movie like a he bunch has of, nothing. A bunch of he vignettes. has nothing inside, and that's all he has to represent himself or something. Is that like, yeah. is that sort of a thing? It, it, yeah, it, he's a doctor. It, like it, so, he says in every one of these vignettes, he sort of he manages to mention he's a doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor, and, and he also is all always like people are always offering to take his coat or he's giving his coat to someone. I think it's this sort of like idea that he because of his privilege uh, and the things that he assumes about the world he thinks that he is safe and so he is willing to give up his armor as it were that's why he's often like uh. giving his coat and if you remember the fact that they took his coat at the big party is sort of what got, what got him found out and, and, and because he was stuff. so like oh the world can take care oh, the world yeah. will take care of me yeah I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rich guy there's a bunch of rich guys around I could just hand my coat there's off there's also a lot of strange um I wonder if you could connect dots with, like, there's a lot of moralistic, like, fables uh-huh. in the movie, yeah. you know? Like, that that it's like um, the universe is saying, like, all right, if you, you can want this, but this will happen if mm-hmm. you actually take it. And, you know, and, and it's like, you know, going, well, like, he, he almost had sex with Vanessa Shaw, and then, oh, I got to go. And then it's like, oh, she got AIDS. Didn't you remember? Mm-hmm. Or didn't you, you know that girl? Yeah, she had AIDS or something like that. And it's like, oh, shit, if he had sex with her, he would have gotten AIDS. Yeah. And then yeah. I think maybe the whole thing where, like, the one, the one girl sacrifices herself, you yeah. know, or she, she, or did she sacrifice herself yeah. or did she just, like, was it all a game? And it's like, she just wound up screwing and then overdosing on drugs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great movie. Yeah, yeah. I always, I, I always liked one of the things, and you've already talked about it a little bit. Just the idea of uh, entitlement—you could call it, you know, male entitlement, or, or, you know, uh, being fairly well off and feeling. T- but just this idea of like, but I, I I'm inclined, being who I am, to uh, make larger points about uh, human nature, and just this idea of like everything. And I hate to sound like the Joker, but like everything, uh, like. It all works a certain way. We all agree to play by the rules right up until something doesn't go our way or something happens. Like we, we come across somebody who maybe even entertain. They, they merely entertain the thought of not playing by the rules. And that, and we somehow feel like, Oh, all right. And so this idea of like, you know, he's, he's loyal to his wife and all that. But the minute he finds out that she has even toyed with the idea of being disloyal, he's like, fine, well, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. It's just like, it, like we're always constantly looking for license to also, do whatever we want. I think in, in I could be wrong in like every scene after that when he goes on his little journey of figuring things out, he gets offered something mm-hmm. like whether it's sex or whether it's like the idea of like hey maybe you want to have sex or someone hitting on him or hey I know a place you might like to go or mm-hmm. you know I think that like I don't know I don't know. I'm, it's, it's it's that's why I say it's too big for me to like try to like put the you know put the dots together. I'm not smart enough. I enjoy watching the movie. Yeah. This is the cool. film that killed Stanley Kubrick. Like <laughs> the, we can't we can't get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Uh, all right. But we... but interesting. But that's just another you know another thing with our point. It's like that Stanley Kubrick ha- put a movie out in '99. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's yeah. crazy. You know. Yeah. yeah. And um, then uh, maybe that will take us to Magnolia, you know, because of the Tom Cruise connection. He was think, on fire. You think so? Too. And yet I've got I, I want to just list one. off a couple others. Uh, so oh, the old the old timers. Yeah. Okay. The, so we you've got Topsy Turvy, and by the way, like by far the most ambitious thing Mike Lee's ever done. Uh huh. Um, Which I never saw Topsy Turvy. Oh, I love it. That's another one that, um, and I'm going to give credit to um, 
to uh, Adam from Film Spotting for this sort of insight when they talked about Topsy Turvy that it seems in surface ways like it's uh, a big departure for Mike Lee, but like thematically and character wise, it's about the same it's, stuff. It's yeah, that his movies exactly. are about. But it's but it's on a on a larger scale. Well, like it's told on a lar- in a on a bigger stage but the story they, it's just a, this relationship thing about these two guys who are trying to make a a relationship work um so topsy turvy ghost dog well i wanted to well, get into more of the like sort of indie okay all right uh, i'll move i'll move past that uh the ninth gate what what about these what about these movies well these are like established filmmakers right. now admittedly Jim Jarmusch is not like a it's hugely popular but filmmaker he, he is but I, 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 I want to just split I, the, to me the, I mean I think stuff. to the people who he's a big deal to he's a really big deal to yeah like for me no, he's, that's I, a, he's a big but deal but yeah to, um, uh, this does actually tie into the fact that I was 17 like there are already established like indie or, or foreign directors that I discovered in 1999 for the first time, mm-hmm. such as Pedro Almodovar, Jim Jarmusch, um, Adam McGoyan with Felicia's Journey, which mm-hmm. is uh, in the larger scope of Adam McGoyan's career, Felicia's Journey is seen as a, a, a minor film, but it was the first one I saw, and it really has stuck with me. I think. Did, Neil Jordan, did Neil Jordan make a movie in 99? He made it like Into the Affair, didn't he? He did make The End of the Affair. I didn't see that one. I saw it on, a, on an airplane, and yeah. I think like... Uh, all the sort of sex was cut out, uh, pretty much. Uh, who, who made the mediocre thriller in Dreams? That's uh, Neil Jordan. Also, okay. that was ninety eight. That was ninety eight. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, Neil Jordan's an interesting director. Uh, we could I, talk about for a while. I wish yeah. I knew more about him, but I don't. He really. made what he Interview with the Vampire, Crying Game, Mona yeah. Lisa, Crying Game, which I watched Mona, recently, and, and I Mona thought Lisa that was pretty awesome. Are Mona great. Lisa. You you like Mona Lisa? I love Mona Lisa. Yeah, Mona Lisa and Crying Game are great. Uh, Interview with the Vampire, I don't like. I think it's um, it, it, well. I always enjoyed it, even though it's dumb. It's but an Mona Lisa is like is I think it was. Did fantastic. he do in America? Is that him? No, that's Jim Sheridan. Jim Sheridan. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, okay, so why I get them mixed up? But but you were you were saying you were you were saying Ghost Dog in, in line with what were the other movies you? Well, listed? just the idea of like, and I, I hate to use so cynical a term, but like Jim Jarmusch had a has a brand. Now, admittedly, he had started to deviate from it with Dead Man. But then he then dead, he further. I would, I would put Dead Man in his in his. But um, it's a, I mean it's a very specific genre film and it's a different time. It's a bit more ambitious. But than he's he using the does. same. Yeah, he had film, never made a period piece. He's before. using the same film language as he's you know as as Mystery Men and I mean I'm sorry Mystery Train <laughs> and uh, uh, Down by Law right. And you know, it's all this. A lot of stuff. It's the frame. You know, a lot of stuff plays out in this sort of wide frame, and it just. Uh, Robbie Mueller shot it. It. I. I. I don't think Dead Man strays that much from. I guess his, I just style. mean in so far as the he's working within a genre. It's a period piece, and more things happen, uh, and he's dealing with certain character archetypes and and that sort of thing, and right. certain tropes of the genre. But then with Ghost Dog, he makes uh, a movie, and I haven't seen it since then but I, and I remember not being a huge fan of it but at the same you time didn't like it. oh it's amazing at the same time I was not a Jim Jarmusch guy yet it's right. an action comedy I actually think Jim Go, about Ghost, Dog, Ghost Dog is probably more of though it stays in his in his aesthetic more of a deviation with characters you know mm-hmm. that it's got a black guy who's yeah, yeah. like this assassin uh, and it's dealing with the mob- yeah, uh, yeah it's it's with mobsters and stuff he uh, kind of makes yeah. whatever he kind of just Here's my style. I'm going to put it in this or whatever. Yeah, um, I, I, I love Jim Jarmusch. So, okay, did you see. like the last of the um, 
what was it called? Um, the Limits of Control. Limits of control. Limits of control. Did you like it? Uh, for me, it was a little too kind of clean. A little too. I don't mind it being slow. I don't mind it being slow either. I, it was just. It was almost the style of it was almost like. For me, it was almost too clean. Like everything, like looked like perfect and polished. I, and I can see that. I, I, I kind of like he, he's got. It's usually kind of this perfect polished frame, but then there's messiness within it. Um, the thing I. Uh, and I do like. There's a lot of stuff about limits of control that I do like, but I think the thing, even in his most like sort of artsy, ponderous films, there's a lot of laughs. And limits of control doesn't really have jokes. Right, or right, right. Um, and the laughs are kind of presented John almost like an accident in in all his movies. Where, like uh-huh. you just have like this coldness, but then you have like Roberto Benigni ranting and raving, and it's just like <laughs> yeah. very dry. And like, look at this guy. Uh, okay, but you, I'm sorry, you said Ghost Dog and then what else? Well, uh, let's see, uh, Ninth Gate is a Polanski film, yeah. you know, and that's a minor work by him, certainly. Right, I, I enjoy it, I think it's silly, but it's, it's. Yeah. I kind of wish he'd make more to- movies like that. And it totally fits in with, like, his whole thing of, like, a character who the whole world is against him, and, and he's just yeah. s- struggling for, you know, his own survival and stuff. Then you've got a movie that David hates, but I like quite a bit, called Mumford. Um, oh yeah, Lawrence and Kasdan. That's, that's Lawrence Kasdan. So like, then here's another uh, interesting uh, departure: the Winslow Boy. Oh right, which is yeah. is that Neil Jordan? That's David no, that's Mamet. Oh, it's David Mamet. Mamet. You know, oh, yeah. and and it's interesting. And he's adapting a play, and so and it's you know this uh, turn of the century Britain, and so to a certain extent, it's like, well, how much of a stamp can he put on it? Aside from casting Rebecca Pigeon, um, <laughs> uh, quite a bit actually. If you go back and watch it, like. <coughs> In spite of the fact that these characters are not swearing, and they uh, and they're speaking in British accents, it still has a, a David Mamet feel to it uh, in how it's directed and, and how it's written. But that's a huge departure from for him, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but it's worth watching if you haven't seen The Winslow Boy. It's got uh, Nigel Hawthorne in it; and he's wonderful. Oh yeah, I never saw The Winslow Boy. Um, I, I I would say that um, I would say that like uh, Existence. I would kind of put that as like in the same world of as like um, Ghost Dog, in that like these guys they're, they're not of the same generation as like maybe Polanski or like Kubrick right, or whatever, yeah. but they're guys who maybe around the same period, not in the same genre, got big and they're very much auteurs and yeah, they, people know what to expect from them. Not and to they say they're predictable, within, but yeah. And then I think after '99, Jarmish kind of branches out a little bit. Like Broken Flowers is. It's kind of it's pretty different. It's got a bit of a visual difference mm-hmm. in style than his earlier stuff. And Existence, after Existence, I think Cronenberg went away from like the body horror quite a bit. Yeah, into and that was into, like his last venture into this nasty sort of. Which I love Existence. I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what did he do after that? Spider, and then History of Violence, and then Eastern Promises. Yeah. So yeah, he really kind of veered off. Not that Spider is particularly mainstream, but after that, he veered off into surprisingly mainstream. And then I didn't see Cosmopolis yet, but it seems kind of like a return to. Uh, yeah, it certainly isn't body horror, but it's uh, it's it's absolutely Cronenbergian. It's, yeah, uh, it's absolutely relentless. But so, um, should we move on to talk about some the new ones? First time directors. I, I'd like to just real quick brush past like okay. some of the comedies that came out that oh, let's year. Do that. Sure. Um, yeah. We talked about Austin Powers, but uh, Galaxy Quest was a big hit yeah. that year, and I think it's pretty fun. Yeah, Dean Pariso, who had previously worked with Stephen Wright quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, his wife actually is Sally Minkie, who died. Oh. Um, 
and uh, which I, and I put this together myself. Uh, I think that's probably the connection why Stephen Wright is the radio voice in um, hmm. Reservoir Dogs. But anyway, uh, Galaxy Quest is pretty cool. Um, Bowfinger, I think, is a pretty underrated movie. Bowfinger, and that was right. also I the like both fans. I, I, yeah. I didn't like it that much. When was the last time you saw it? I, you know, I actually rewatched some of it recently. You still didn't like it? It didn't, didn't like it. It just happened to be on. Eddie Murphy's doing some pretty think, great work in that. Yeah, and, and just that also was like it's the meeting of Eddie Murphy and and Steve Martin. You yeah. know, and they both were kind of in this place. That's Frank Oz, right? The yeah. Okay. If anything, the direction is probably the 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 most lackluster part. I think that's maybe the part that I have have trouble with. It doesn't look. Polished. Doesn't look that interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's not, not visually a, exciting. That's not necessarily unusual for a comedy, like especially at that time just, in the wake of like you know Fairly Brothers, who they didn't try to make things look good. But uh, uh, I, I think it's a funny satire. The script is funny at heart. The, you know, um, it's it's broad. It's funny. It, um, yeah, Heather nice Graham's Scienti- funny in it. They have a nice funny Scientology, Scientology thing in there yeah. with uh, Terrence Stamp. Yeah, yeah, which they used. Uh, that was part of the uh, one of the parts that I saw. They used that the Pacific Design Center on San Vicente, which is mm. like that big like yeah. red and green and blue building, which like looks so weird. But now because I like have worked in that neighborhood and driven around it, it seems so like. Like uh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, Run of the mill, not trivial. Yeah, something like that. It's, I feel like the word starts with an M that I'm thinking of. Mundane. Mundane is exactly the word I'm looking for. I, I don't is think that a joke like that would would be in um, would be in a uh, like a comedy today. Another thing I'll say about it is the comedies today are not really scripts. It's not like someone writes a script and mm-hmm. says, "Let's make this script." Mm-hmm. It's usually a panel of people comedians or comedy writers who get together and sit at a table and say what about this what about joke about this and they all punch up the script yeah. and it's got all these popular isms of the day and lots of talking like whoever's the popular comedian of the day and mm-hmm. the, the just like it's kind of an old school attempt at a sat- as, at a Hollywood satire mm-hmm. starring like two guys who will they ever work together again I doubt it yeah. and they're both you know I think pretty good yeah I, I do I do uh, really stand by what Eddie Murphy he, he's once again playing a, like a girls yeah it's not funny I always thought that was a funny joke in it yeah he's like he's funny as the uh, like the egotistical uh, uh, movie star but then I mean that other character named Jif yeah like it's such a man there's like there's a scene that I still laugh at which is uh, when the the Kit Ramsey uh, double, which is like the nerdy guy, Jeff, has to run across the, the highway, yeah. <laughs> and it's genuinely pretty funny because the whole time he's, just, he's like, he just he's yelling, "Heavenly God!" He's like, "Heavenly God! Heavenly God!" <laughs> and just and when he get when he's safe, he's just like, ah, "I don't want to do that again." Uh, I, just get, God. I just want to get you coffee, get you guys caught. Yeah, he's he really wants to be a PA. <laughs> yeah, he's really excited. Uh, the the other one, which uh, I haven't seen, it, and I, I keep meaning to watch it recently. I thought of it. Um, because I think it's I'm gonna enjoy it. Um, is Detroit Rock City? Did any of you guys I see never that? Saw one? I saw it. Yeah. Did you like it? It's okay. It's okay. I mean, maybe you got to be in it. I don't like Kiss per se, but the reason I want to see it is because I uh, recently fell in love with the movie The Dark Backward, which oh, okay. is from like 1991 is that or something. Judd Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. And and Bill Paxton. I think it's hilarious and dark and weird. And it's directed by Adam Rifkin who's had like a strange varied career but he directed that and he had a real particular visual style in dark backward and 
And then I think he kind of made a lot of money as a screenwriter. But Detroit Rock City looked like, oh, here's an, a second attempt to make like something kind of crazy or whatever. And yeah, it's pretty conventional, actually. Is it? I feel like I remember the trailer, like the camera doing some kind of crazy swooping things. And just I one guess, of those, like, not, is it like guys stuck in the middle of the night in the city trying to get somewhere? Sort of I, guess there's, I guess there is kind of a manic quality to it. Uh, yeah. Especially, like, once the group kind of splits up, like, and this guy's doing this and this right. character's over here. It's not... It's not Bad. It's just I wanted it to be better. You wanted it to be better. Yeah. Right, well, right. I've got four comedies. Okay. Here, okay. Uh, that are definitely not. South Park was the next one I was going to say. South Park is definitely on the list, and that that is an awesome movie. Uh, we talked about Office Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Office um, Space. Uh, an underrated film that I didn't see till years later. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Is Dick? Have you guys? Oh seen yeah. It? I tried to watch it, um, and and I never like gave it much of a chance, or I didn't really it's get so into great. it. So great. I saw it only like, recently for and, the first time. And it was funny. Ex- yeah. Like it's not only about it's essentially the story of all the president's men, except that like this alternate. Yeah. Like where these two like teenage which girls I love. I love when comedies like oh what if it were actually this is the story. I think that's. I wish more comedies were made like that. But it also has more specific like. Uh, aesthetic parodies of uh, and that parodies just recreations of all the president's men like the stuff at the uh, is it the Washington Post is that the, yeah. the paper yeah. like they built a set and shot it and lit it just like the way you see just those endless fluorescent lights across the top yeah. and you've got Will Ferrell and Bruce, and Bruce, Bruce McCullough, McCullough as Woodward and Bernstein, and Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> I remember that and it's thinking awesome. like which is also pretty cool because Will Ferrell wasn't a huge star then. He was just, yeah. oh, that funny guy from SNL, yeah, yeah. in my opinion. And uh, and Bruce McCullough was like, it's Bruce McCullough. So yeah. I remember seeing the trailer thing, like, oh, I should see that. And I just never saw it. And Dan I, Hedaya as uh, Richard yeah. Nixon, which is awesome. Dan and Hedaya. I do remember liking, ha- having now, uh, having seen it probably within the last few months. Um, Again, 70s influence. This influence of the 70s uh-huh. coming Watch into it. the 90s. Yeah. I, I, that's a good, it's a good script because it's not merely, hey, these girls stumble onto Watergate. These girls, in some ways... I, they don't cause it, huh. but like for example, like the the what eight minute, eight or eighteen minute gap in like the Nixon tapes, <laughs> like it has nothing to do with Watergate or a cover up. It has to do with like oh he he's under the impression that uh, someone might hear this and think he was hitting on one on this girl, and so like and it's that gap that he can't answer for that eventually condemns him, uh-huh. and so it's not merely oh they they plug this in, but they actually made. These girls like an integral part of the downfall of of Nixon, and yeah. it's a it's a pretty good. I movie. really like that movie. And also, then the, speaking, oh, oh, you go ahead. Well, speaking of Bruce McCullough, the other 1999 comedy I want to mention is the one he directed, Superstar, ah. which gets a bad rap. And I, it's funny. You like I it. love it. It's it's so batshit. Never yeah. seen crazy. Like, um, I mean, like her, <laughs> she lives with her grandmother, who won't let her dance. Uh, and the reason we find out is because um, her parents were like professional clog dancers and were accidentally clog danced to death <laughs> in like a freak clog dancing accident. And they show recreation of just like clog dancers and then just blood splattering the audience. Uh, it, it's all it's all kind of very weird. Also, very features weird an early of uh, one of the earlier film appearances of Tom Green. Oh right, yeah, he's in that. I, I haven't but, seen it all the way through. I've just uh, seen pieces of it. Also, the weird again, Will Ferrell, like not making any attempt to look like he's eighteen years old, right? But playing like the the. That's why I feel like star. before Will Ferrell became a huge star and w- the Will Ferrell entity, I feel like you could classify him as a working class comedic uh-huh. actor. Mm-hmm. Like he 
He put in his time in these supporting roles in like crappy comedies and did his best to bring it in a lot of these late 90s movies and mm-hmm. and was always solid. Like he's he's he has a great scene in um Austin Powers 1, yeah. which yeah. is incredibly imitated. I feel like uh, a lot of people don't talk about this. Will Ferrell's voice and his intonations and the characters that he de- defined or what you know made and like on SNL era pretty much everyone like a big percentage of comedic stars and com- stand-up comedians and sketch comedians and people who are on SNL now sound like him. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of the, like, you know, you get back here and, like, you know, delightful and all, all these yeah. sort of, like, Will Ferrell-isms. It's sort of like, I, I, he, I think... He's very imitated and, and ripped off. I, yeah, I think... Um, it's sort of like how if you look at Ashton Kutcher, especially in early seasons of that '70s show, he's just doing Chris Farley, just a skinny Chris Farley. Uh-huh. You know the way that he like loses his temper and screams and yeah. stuff. It's just yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 uh, it bothers me when people become like big stars and they haven't got their own comedy persona. Right. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of maybe ripping off someone, and and or I'm not saying people don't rip people off, but. At least reach beyond the mm-hmm. past ten years. You know right. what I mean. Um, real quick. Oh yeah, uh, Will, Will Ferrell, superstar. I want to talk about two lines of mine. The two lines that are favorites of mine. One, he's uh, when he show, walking down the hall as the uh, football star and saying something to each person he passes, like, "Hey, you know, see, see you in class or whatever." And you go, and the last thing goes, "Bartholomew, nice name." <laughs> um, and then uh, he also, in addition to playing the football star, he also plays Jesus, who comes down to visit. Uh, uh, Molly Shannon's uh, character, and he visits her in his in, be- in her bedroom. And he's sort of like his floating, and he's like this groovy, like hippie Jesus. And one, and he goes, "CD player, huh? We don't ha- we don't have those." <laughs> <laughs> All right, those are my comedies that I wanted to. Talk um, about. Office I, Space. We won't focus on that too much, but but just like that's a big deal. Office Space is a yeah, big deal. Huge deal. Anyway, uh, going I do want to mention this is a movie that I don't particularly care for, but it was a huge deal at the time. Are we done Probably, with comedies? Or are no, I'm, uh, this okay. is a comedy. Okay. Uh, Dogma. Oh, yeah. I, I, I always try to sweep Kevin Smith under the rug, whether <laughs> it's intentional he, or not intentional. Yeah. But, uh, but that was a big, a big movie that came out, and I don't like and, Kevin and, Smith. But yeah, yeah, I don't think I do either. But uh, it also, once again, him being... A little bit more ambitious, uh, mm-hmm. trying to tackle something, and it's and everything about it, by the way, is just like, of course, all my friends liked it because you're that's the perfect age, like sixteen, seventeen, like, right. hey, dogma, man, this really got me thinking about like, you know, like it really doesn't matter what you have faith in. It re- it's just like uh, that's fine if you think that, but at the same time, like, and I'm and I'm sure at the time I myself was just like, meh. But, like, people that really treated it, not unlike Fight Club, by the way, where it's, you know, like, ugh, on, on Facebook recently, somebody quoted Tyler Durden and said, like, the things you own end up owning you, Tyler Durden. And then people commented, like, so true. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? That's like on a Hallmark card or no, something. That's like, the, it's so... That's the character from Mystery Men who gives all the... <laughs> yeah. Until you learn to master your fears. Your fears become your master? I wasn't necessarily going to say yeah. that. You're going to say that, right? <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, yeah, and it just, it has that kind of quality. And so, like, Dogma has that kind of, uh, the type of philosophy that that we all kind of hit upon when we were 16, 17, 18, but it took Kevin uh, Smith, like, another 10 to 15 years to get. Did Gus Van Sant have a movie in 99? Nothing. He did. He had 97 Goodwill Hunting, Psycho 98, and then Finding, Finding Force, Force was 2000 or 01 or, oh, or something. I don't remember. I remember I didn't see it. Yo, no, no, no. <laughs> um, 
I remember that was a big fun. Everyone loves to say that, but yeah. You know. um, should we? Now I'm, I'm torn. If in which direction to go, comedy or get into Fight Club? Because you've mentioned it. Uh, are there more comedies to cover? I feel like there's well, the oh, one I, another well, one that, that Ra- I remember. Ravenous is pretty funny, and so is oh, Election. Yeah. People like, like Ravenous. Don't think of, but I, 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 I would, love Ravenous. I would we put, I would put Election with the Young Masters department. Okay. Yeah, you know, the the, new, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll when get to, we'll get to those. But, okay. but, but yeah, Ravenous. That's an interesting. There, how much horror came out that year? Oh, probably. Well, there was like. Well, we'll get to Blair Witch in a moment. As well. Blair yeah, Witch, the Blair Witch. There was, there was also the House on Haunted Hill remake and oh, yeah. the Haunting remake. Both oh, yeah, both yeah. bad. Yeah. Both. Wait, House on Haunted Oh, yeah, it was. Both kind of like Jill Silver. Like, he kind of. Those kind of start. Were the beginning of things getting fucked up with like studio overproduced horror. Yeah, yeah. You know? I never saw like, House on Haunted Hill, which. Uh, it's the I, same as. I, I don't I think I saw I, 13 Ghosts two years later. Yeah, it's was, the same thing. It's yeah. the same as the Haunting remake, you know? But the Haunting doesn't seem as, like, manic as 13 Ghosts did. It just seems. I don't think I saw 13 Ghosts, but, but no. House on Haunted Hill I saw, and it was just like. Just crap. The Haunting Chris just seems. in that movie. The Haunting just yeah. seems like, A, it didn't establish the creepiness. Uh, it all looked too. Filmed. Too clean and yeah. too f- and, and, and the, CG. It was, the characters it was, didn't, and that's, that's the main well, thing. Is CG is too much, too much CG. Yeah, okay, I think it kind of put Jan de Bont in director's jail. No, but it was or was it a hit? I wonder if it was. Well, what has he made since then? I can't think of anything. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, do we? Okay, Fight Club. Do we want to say? We can talk about Fight Club and then maybe uh, use I, I that. I will say, I know you guys uh, uh, retrospect hate it, and I, I haven't I watched it. I don't hate it. I, I hate it off the bat. Yeah. You, you, oh, you didn't like it. I did not like oh, it. Oh, I was super into it in 99. Uh, it was, uh, I was super excited to see it. Uh, it was, I loved how it was marketed to me. Um, I, I, at the time, thought Edward Norton was the second coming of good acting, you know, which he certainly was very vocal about himself <laughs> being that. Um, I do not feel that way now about him. Um, he, and, uh, and I was very excited because I had gotten all into David Fincher, you know. I was like, oh, that guy, you know. Um, I loved, I liked Seven a lot. I liked the game. I even liked Alien 3 um, and his music videos and all that shit. So I was super pumped to see Fight Club, and I, and I really liked it. And I liked how it, at the time, you know, you can't deny that it, it was pushing things. And the style that it created or that it, the style of it was something that was imitated in commercials and music videos and movies, mm-hmm. action movies, big blockbuster movies in a major way, you know, after it. All of it just, and not necessarily a good way, you know, like, let's do this shot of a camera going through a keyhole, like, that yeah. sort of shit. But, which he or the cam- do himself the later camera going, Panic Room. Yeah, in Panic Room. Or the camera going through your eyeball or your butthole or whatever the hell yeah. it does. Did you ever see... But that stuff be- was really cool to me then. Like, um, I really liked it. The weirdest example uh, that I'm sure neither of you have seen the um, the second direct to video from Dust Till Dawn sequel Texas Blood Money. No, I never saw it. Has stuff that Did Scott Spiegel directed. Uh, I don't know who directed it. Okay. Um, there, there's stuff. Oh no, sorry, it's the first one. The first one, the first direct to video sequel the one with was Bon Texas Jovi. Blood maybe Money. the the second one was The Hangman's Daughter, and yes, I saw both of them. Um, but Texas Blood Money has things die, dark like, man, die. There's a part of a guy like 
oh, the phone's been unplugged. And he goes to plug the phone back into the wall, and somehow the camera is inside the wall, and, like, the plug is coming, at, like, at the camera. Right. There's all kinds of those that, like, for no purpose Are they whatsoever. CGE, or are they, like, they built... They built. They built it. See, because that's a different. That's a different thing. I feel like, and and I'll and I'll I'll get behind that. That they made a model for this shot, which maybe it didn't wasn't necessary for that movie. Yeah. But that's like a more of a Sam Raimi sort of a. a well, did, thing. You ever, did you ever see um, what's the movie that I love? Torque. <laughs> yeah. The, you love Torque. Yeah, directed the, by Joseph Kahn. Yes. Who who basically was biting all this Fincher stuff. Yeah, but there's a there's a part of like Adam Scott like putting. Uh, key into the ignition and the camera's like inside the ignition oh like, hell yeah but I, <laughs> like like stories like he had to hold hold this like giant fake key to make it look like it was, <laughs> so he was like I, holding this ridiculous i, I like in a uh, little shop of horrors uh the you'll be a dent the the uh <laughs> yeah, the yeah, steve yeah. martin singing and he's drilling this giant mouth yeah. with the big tongue yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool all right. Um, what so else? the Fight Club, uh, yeah. I, in, in retrospect, in my memory, is like, oh, it's probably pretty dumb. Now I probably think it's kind of dumb, but I thought it was really cool when I saw it. I actually uh, saw it right away afterwards. I think with both Fight Club and the game, is it feels like David Fincher and his like and and the, and the writers are kind of there's um, a real smugness to both movies, like uh, a cynicism. Like you're not living your life right. We're going to show you how to live your life right. We're going to show you what's important. Well, but the I guess, game I guess is that game more with Fight some... Club, not so much the game. I think the game, uh, I think it is a thriller first and foremost, and it just uses that to sort of set up the thriller and, and the the crazy twists. Like I think it uses that to get into it, whereas I think Fight Club uses, it goes the other way. It uses like the the fun performances and the and the kind of snappy dialogue and the and the style to get you into this kind of really obvious uh, mm-hmm. moral and and that sort of thing. Well, one thing that I'll say about David Fincher that I I think I was excited that I noticed back then is that he has um, he has this thing about like seeming to wanting to torture yuppies, you yeah. know. Like the game is, he's torturing this, you know, big upper class man, you know, and then he's torturing and and uh, Edward Norton's a yuppie in the movie. Mm-hmm. Seven features all these, you know, like high class attorneys getting tortured and stuff like that. Panic and Room's got it too. Panic Room's got it. Uh, uh, Dragon Tattoo has it. Um, even quick, his music videos have it. Cradle of Love. It's like this this totally yuppie in this. You know, punk girl dances around his, in her room, or like Janie's got a gun. The dis, rich <laughs> you, dad gets killed. In, in, in keeping with this, before I let you finish your point, would you would you guys agree with me that Panic Room would have been a better movie if the bad guys won? That that's kind of how I always I always felt about it. Oh, well, it would have been funny games, <laughs> right? If, yeah, uh, well, it would have just been a different spoilers bad for guys funny won. games. Uh, Anyway, I, I don't. I, you know, I hated Panic Room when I saw it, and then I rewatched it like not too long ago, and I was like, it's a pretty good thriller. Yeah, uh, I don't like Jared Leto ever. Well, uh, neither does David Fincher. It seems because he likes to he like he likes to shoot him in the head or, or make or, him look as well. And J- I Jared actually, Leto seems committed as an actor to looking <laughs> as gross as possible. Like he gains weight for the. Uh, uh, no, he doesn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give him that much credit for being committed as an actor. I think he's a vain no, he piece ga- of shit. Well, no, and he, he wants to look really. Made. And he wants to like. He's like, oh, this is what you do to be respected. What's uh-huh. the, What's the name of the guy who? Uh, Mark David Chapman. Mark David Chapman. Like he yeah, gave him the name for that to play like the most despicable person ever. But then he uh, immediately then of lost and, it and got the gout. Uh, he did. Yeah. He, he lost it too fast because he was so concerned about being beautiful and got the gout. He's willing to lose his arm. <laughs> 
in Requiem for a Dream. Oh, right, yeah. Like, he, li- he, he likes the say, idea I, of being mangled. I, I don't know if I should say it. I'll just say it anyway. I don't give a shit. I don't know what I have to lose. When I first moved out to L.A., uh, the first job I had was working at a makeup effects company and um, washing buckets and being a runner and stuff like that. I was 20. It was like a favor job. And um, Jared Leto came in to get his face cast for Panic Room. And I remember I pan- like there was a point where the, the boss, the main guy, had to pull me aside. And he's like, get out of here because if I don't, have, if I don't do this now, clear the room and do this now, he's going to like freak out. And you and I won't be able to do it or something like that because I guess he was like, ta- he had like a buddy with him who was like a bodyguardish type guy mm-hmm. and he was like, he was like saying like oh he was like bragging about like yeah I did this and I did it for like an hour for a Fight Club and I fell asleep and I woke up and I started freaking out and I was like shit man I'll I'll fucking sleep in the street and shoot up water like I did for Requiem just don't put that shit on my face again you know what I mean and. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I remember thinking like this guy just like name dropped his research <laughs> for Requiem to the whoever was in the room to be impressed by oh this guy's a committed actor woo he slept in the streets and shot up water now incidentally when I when I mentioned this I did not mean it in a respectful way or like a, like an admirable no, like he's uh, a committed actor kind of I just meant it like. He does seem to really want to prove something. Like, yes, I know I'm attractive, but look at all this stuff I'm doing. Incidentally, I am still very attractive. <laughs> yes. But I'm also a good actor. Don't um, don't don't uh, pigeonhole me. I, I'm not sure if this. And then he fails every time and is not a good actor. Uh, uh, so we've been talking about things like I guess Fight Club and and, and Ghost Dog and and Dogma is sort of like directors that weren't as established as the other ones we've talked about, but had careers and these mm. are sort of mid-career movies and I figured that would give us um, an entree into the movie that I just forgot I was gonna, I went through my whole fucking setup one of our and one of the the young guys the young up-and-comers the mid-careers it was supposed to be a mid-career movie and I went through so much fucking setup it wasn't Satterhouse Rules although that's worth talking about uh-huh. was uh, it an Oscar uh, was it Green Mile uh, it wasn't the Green Mile. Was it the Hurricane? Now we've mentioned that. Oh, no, yeah, I forgot about Norman Jewison. Is he retired? No, I guess he must be. He's probably like 90 yeah. or something. Yeah, I think so. It wasn't an election. We're going to talk about that Three later. Kings? It wasn't Three Kings. Oh, brother. Um, let me see what I got. Hold oh, on. Oh, the Limey. That's what I was going to oh, talk about. Oh, the Limey. Yeah, damn right. Um, now, if you'll recall, Tyler, you and I and some other people the saw... The Limey's probably my favorite Soderbergh movie. Yeah? I think it is, yeah. Well, we saw Fight Club together uh, as a group. Yeah. And uh, against my protestations because I was like, like let's go see the Limey. I thought and you wanted to see Being John Malkovich. No, I wanted to see the Limey because we, we also saw Being John yeah, Malkovich yeah. together. We uh, haven't talked about the masterpiece that is Bicentennial Man. <laughs> Bicentennial Man. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it. Is it no, good? No, no, I no. didn't see it. All right. okay. I um, believe in miracle. I remember seeing the trailer a fucking million times and every time I was like, no, not this again. <laughs> but uh, the Limey, yeah, it's uh, it's Certainly worthy of being one's favorite Soderbergh movie. I'm not I think sure. It's his, I think it's his best movie. I think I'd have to think. My favorite of his movie. I, I do like Out of best. Sight quite a bit. I like it more than Out of Sight. I think. I like Sex Lies and Videotape. I really like. Um, I like Schizopolis also. King of the Hill. Um, King of the Hill is good. Yeah, it's a really good one. I saw Magic Mike. So did I. Yeah. What'd you think? 
Uh, I was dumb, but uh, I had fun with my buddies. We all went. To, we went to see, had a Magic Mike night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was well made, but I don't. I, I wouldn't call it fun at all. I uh, found myself really depressed. I, I'll say that by it. It, I, I wish it had gone darker. I wish it had gone more boogie nights. Like Oof. I don't think it went. And it, I don't think it bashed or damned that lifestyle enough. Also, I will say Channing Tatum felt like he was playing his version of. A nice guy, like he's like, oh, this is what a nice guy acts like, and so I'm just gonna play around, joke around, joke around a lot. Oh, you like breakfast? <laughs> I just play. Is it, you gonna wear that shirt? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> like he was doing like what he thought, like oh, like he's seen. He's doing an impression of what he's seen Will Smith act like in a movie where Will Smith is playing a good guy. Yeah, he's like, ha, you gonna, you gonna write with that pen? No, 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 you write with that pen. <laughs> I ain't gonna write with that pen. I, I'm gonna write with a pencil. <laughs> We're going to be in the pencil area over here. <laughs> nah, nah. I was just playing. I was just playing. I was just playing. <laughs> That's from Ali, right? All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the limey, I don't know what else to say about the limey. This is the thing that I've always said, which is the limey and Jackie Brown, more than any other movies, prepared me for what Los Angeles actually looks like when you live here. Mm. You know, like most movies, most movies show like either the beach or Beverly Hills or Melrose uh, Avenue, like, um, I feel like Jackie Brown and the Limey actually kind of look like what the city is day to day. And, Mag- and Magnolia. Magnolia. Yeah. yeah. But I, I didn't Magnolia is more the valley. Yeah. Uh, the, the big uh, intersection oh, is actually right over here, but they changed it. This, it. The intersection in Magnolia is actually Victory and Laurel Canyon, but they moved the sign for Magnolia several blocks up to uh, Victory. Wow. Yeah. It's not that interesting. Punch Drunk Love also does does kind of deeper in the valley the more yeah. like that or industrial think, area of victory mm-hmm. huh? we talked about this with colin marshall like what are the best valley was it colin i don't recall we were talking on the podcast about what are the best like valley colin movies marshall. and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, paul thomas anderson definitely was mentioned pulp fiction um you know the 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 whole sort of uh jimmy thing takes place in like north hollywood to mm-hmm. lake area um and then what was the other one i was gonna say I, I, it's, we've been going too long. Nice keep, that's all right. We can make this a big one. It's a big topic. Yeah. What valley movies? <laughs> oh no! I mean, I mean, ninety nine. Is yeah, that yeah, what you're yeah. worried about? We're going too yeah. long. We're, we're moving no, at a good, a steadfast pace. Oh, Drive. Actually, as much as I didn't like that movie, that was uh, that's very valley centric. Yeah. yeah, felt felt very. He valley. even make, he ma- makes reference to Sherman Way. It's like, hey, uh-huh. that's a deep cut as far as uh, <laughs> as far as streets. Um, um uh, the two Jakes does a lot of valley stuff. Oh. oh. Uh, it's all about the making of the valley. Karate Kid. Is that the valley? Yeah. It's like, just want to go home. Can we go home? Um, all right. Can we get into sort of uh, first time? Um, oh. Are we? Yes. No, when you say, or, or, when or you say first maybe time. Second, like, like with Ravenous. Let's talk about Ravenous. I just yeah. Go to Ravenous with the horror movies. We'll do the horror movies. Okay. Um, but now you've seen Ravenous. Yes. Do you, Not in a while. Do you think of it as a horror movie first? I feel like I don't remember Ravenous very well at all. I remember a lot. Yeah, I, I have actually awesome. had the soundtrack, and maybe I only seen half of it. But I, I the have the soundtrack, and I know the soundtrack really it's amazing. Well. Yeah, we yeah. all have the soundtrack. We all, uh, yeah, we you're, soundtrack. you're talking to two big, two big Ravenous, Ravenous fans here. Um, now, also though. I don't put them in the same area. Did Plunkett and McLean come out in '99? No, that it, was. I think, I think it think was. was uh, I think it was. No, it was '99, and okay. I remember did not seeing it in the theater and thinking that looks like crap. Mm-hmm. And my friends were just like, that looks like crap. 
And then the makeup effects place I worked at when I was like 2021, 20, they were talking about how much they loved Plunkett and McLean. And then I think I tried to watch it like because I remembered that recommendation a few years back. And I was like, this is crap. I can't yeah. even want to sit through this at all. Oh, speaking of, you know what highly recommended movie that's terrible came out in 1999 is, is Boondock Saints. Ah, uh, yeah. That was 98, actually. Uh, my list says 99. Let's call it. Let's, yeah. Okay. Mine said 99 as well. Okay. But, uh, I didn't see Josh, it. Josh, you knocked this off. All right. I didn't see the guy. Stop trying to one-up us usurp, with your years. Usurped as 98. But, um, um, yeah, so Rav- Ravenous, Ravenous is fantastic. Ravenous is fantastic. Can't wait to watch it. Uh, there's like there are sometimes like with like with the recent Cloud Atlas there are certain movies that I can say there literally aren't other movies like that yeah um, now Cloud Atlas I know obviously that that style has been done before with like Intolerance like I know that's a mm-hmm. very uh, but I mean uh, there are things about Cloud Atlas that are you've seen it now mm-hmm. have you seen it Josh Cloud Atlas no it's Beyond just the style of telling six stories at once, there are things about it that are deeply weird. Yes, uh, and, and 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 that's kind of how I feel about about Ravenous. Like, uh, yeah, you can tell the story and have it make sense and say, oh, there's other movies about cannibalism or or, yeah. or what whatnot. But this is like a horror comedy action period piece that is yeah. uh, like as uh, as much about scaring you as it is about. Um, the who directed the, the legacy of of genocide and what and and how America has as a country has grown on the back of slaughtering Native Americans and and becoming stronger off of their it it's a crazy movie uh, and it's a guy Antony who made a bird priest a girl, made priest a, a woman a woman who made yeah. priest uh, Ant- Ant- Antonia or Antonia yeah. Bird and what's she making now has she made what's the last thing she, she made? does TV now. Hmm. Uh, she, she, I, I looked. I looked her up recently because I, I love Ravenous so much. But that's a. I, I don't know. Did she do Priest? Yeah, that yeah. was, and that was how she got the original. I can't remember who it was originally. The original director of Ravenous was fired. It was a completely. If you listen to the so commentary, re- okay, it's a. It's a. It was a plagued production, and it, it went. It lasted months longer than it was supposed to, and they were like stuck in Romania. Right, and it just sounded uh, sounds awful. But yeah, the guy got fired, and uh, Robert Carlyle, who was the the villain, I guess of. Um, of Ravenous um, had just recently worked with Antonia Bird on Priest and recommended her, ah. and she, so she sort of sort of took over. But the the like planning was already done, so she can't be blamed for how long the shoot right, lasted. Right. Yeah, but she can be. Uh, she, she was a heralded. Yeah, heralded for making a, a film that. Uh, so we recently uh, had West Anthony on to talk about our favorite uh, film scores, and we were talking about Ravenous. Uh, and we were talking. We were listing off all the things that make this film seem like it shouldn't exist. <laughs> and then you mentioned it came out in '99, and I responded, "Of course it did, <laughs> right. because this is exactly what I'm talking about: movies that should not be." That, that came that, out in '99. That it even made it to production, and it's uh-huh. a studio movie, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a 20th century That's Fox. Fox. It's yeah. like, where are all the guys who were in charge back then? What are they doing? I have to now? assume they all got fired. <laughs> I mean, were, uh, were any of these movies? I mean, some of these movies were successful. Uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of these. Some. What's interesting is, and this is another thing I want to talk about. Um, some of the some of the young up and comers didn't really, for years, they're, they're now making some comebacks of sorts. Didn't make it as far as others. Like, for example, uh, Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, uh-huh. Kimberly Pierce didn't. Come ha, get wasn't able to or whatever for whatever reason didn't make something until Stop Loss, which w- wasn't a hit, and now she's sort of leaning on 
re- she's doing a remake of Carrie. Yeah. So and um, uh, Lynn Ramsey burst onto the scene with Ratcatcher, which is an amazing. Ninety nine. Yeah, it was ninety nine. Okay. And um, and Morvan Collar. Morvan Collar was kind of overlooked, and then she didn't do anything until, until Kevin. Until we need to talk about Kevin. Um, but but yeah, I, I think. Uh, I didn't know Ratcatcher was 99. I thought it was, it was earlier. But. I might have. Maybe uh, I'm looking at my list. Maybe it came out in England, in, in the UK uh-huh. in 1999. Yeah, it, 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 it came here in 2000. Maybe and that's it, what yeah. it was. And then, and then David Gordon Green made George Washington in 2000. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which kind of feels like it could be in the 99 world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but let's get uh, back to... Uh, but Kimberly about Blair Pierce. Witch? Oh, okay. oh, yeah. Well, just that, just that, like, Kimberly Pierce is one. I wonder if it has to do with her being a woman or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, like, that she wasn't able to get something made because I think I like Boys Don't Cry I think it's it's, mm-hmm. it's really good I mean the, it, it the would be argument, tough for me to watch again though it's yeah really, I don't know if I'd want to watch it yeah. again it's kind of got an In Cold Blood sort of feel about uh-huh. it maybe it's maybe that's the thing maybe because of the type of movie it is I think everybody who sees it, rec- it recognizes that it's, that it's good but I, I think you know I'm sure people think at that think about that movie and shudder, and so yeah. they may not ine- immediately be right, like, it's let's, about, "Let's approach that director." It's about like a murder and a rape and yeah. uh, and and a transsexual, like yeah. three things that are rough, yeah, uh-huh. three things that are rough to deal with or whatever. And um, it's and I think I think at, frankly, it's also one of those things. I think it is thought of as a Hillary Swank vehicle with Chloe Seventy, like also being notable uh i think it's one of those movies that i don't think this is a correct way of approaching it but there are some movies that uh people look at them like if if there's a really strong lead performance or a supporting performance people think of it in those terms first and they don't so hillary swank she won an oscar she won an oscar and then she you know then she started getting roles and then she won another oscar five years later and so like it made her career um, and then she she did some dictator benefit and that ruined it. Is that, <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes. She uh, appeared at some benefit for some dictator. I can't remember who it was. That's weird. Uh, it was like the on accident. Che- she just Chechnya? like Chechnya? Oh. Was it Chechnya? Uh, yeah, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> There's but, a comedy made in there. But, but even like, anything about that 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 a movie about a story about a transsexual, like a true story. I mean, the '90s was like very, like you know, th- be open-minded. You know, yeah. there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world. But '99 feels like a different period. '97, '98, '99 feels like a different period from what I know the '90s. What I think of when I think of the '90s. You know what I mean? I see what you mean. Like the visual style of no- of the movies of '97, '98, '99 bled into, you know. The early 2000s. Well, yeah, that's I, it, a, you know what I bet it was. Uh, and by the way, I don't actually bet it was this. I'm just putting it out there. I, I, I spoke way too uh, confidently. Um, 96, everybody said it was the year of the independent film. But, of course, that's not true. Independent films had been – they were huge in the early 90s. I thought 94 was the, was the year. But here's the thing. Okay. 96 was the, at the Oscars. Uh, was the year that independent films made money. Uh, and so you wind right. up with English Patient, which is uh, technically, uh, but you know. Transpiring won Best Picture that year. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> in my memory. And j- but you get, like, you know, Sean. Life Less Ordinary? Was that 99? Or is that 2000? Life no, it was 97. It was 97. It was 97. I think it was 98. No, Danny Boyle didn't make a movie till The Beach in 2000. Again. Okay. Right. Anyway, going on. But, like, that was the year. I, there was a. Okay, so this is a, I've said it on the show before, but I I have a very specific memory of a joke that Billy Crystal said at the Oscars that year, and he talked about this is a big 
you know, he started by saying like, "Oh, all these new filmmakers uh, is like it's really exciting to see you. Who who are you people?" And then <laughs> and then he goes into saying like. I, I was laughing at your delivery, not Billy. Oh, thank you. Okay. I was like, oh, I, I, I wasn't even listening to the joke. I was like, I just know when something is delivered funny. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Oh, thank you. Uh, but then he goes on to say that uh, he's like, this was the year of uh, the independent film. You know, they they made money, and a lot of the a lot of the uh, nominations this year are independent films. It's like, so of course, next year you will get. Uh, a lot of independent films from big studios for two hundred million dollars each, you know, and it's it is that kind of thing. It did sort of reestablish. I mean, think about it. Like, I guess it was probably early two uh, thousands that you get like you might have cracked the case. I feel like in, in that because there are all these independent movies, the studio execs were like, "Well, we need independent minded movies." Yeah, and that's and then like ninety nine, it was it was a lot of like I don't know these were st- a lot of these movies that we're talking about are or are about to talk about are studio movies made by people who would otherwise have been indie directors. Yeah, like Paramount Vantage and Warner Independent had not come about yet. But Fox Searchlight was that around yet? Fox Searchlight, I don't remember. No, Paramount Classic. It, it was Paramount. It was Paramount Classics until two thousand seven. Okay. That's when it became Paramount Vantage. Okay. And Paramount Classics and then it got was sunk. around in 99 because Virgin Suicides, I know, was a Paramount Classic okay. film. So, and Warner Independent existed for, what, th- like three years? Yeah, it wasn't around very... But the, it, it's that idea of, like, big studios saying, okay, we, a giant studio, we're going to kind of have a different version of us that is more independently minded. And I think that came about with the rise of the independent film, whereas in the early 90s or like 95 and, and earlier I think you had independent films that were independent maybe not incredibly successful with the exception of Pulp Fiction of course um, but but everyone took note of them and then 96 I think that was kind of the tipping point when studios started to say like hey we could do this let's do this yeah um, and so I think maybe, well, maybe they, so they probably all thought those type of movies were going to make money yeah so it's thought. like if we just if we if just we, let the artist make what he's going to make. Yeah. Or if we just, you know, co-opt it, then yeah. uh, we can really. Uh, and then you get so, things in like 2000, whatever year that was like Charlie Kaufman light. Like what was that Will Ferrell movie where it was like he's stuck in his novel or, or he's a novel. Uh, that's 2006. Um, that was six. Stranger than Stranger than Fiction. fiction. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's I like a, that movie. That's a heavily flawed movie that I, I, I never saw. I it. like its heart. I like yeah. where its heart is. Yeah. But yeah, it's not not great. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, let's. I want to get into first time directors, but I also want to finish with horror. So let's do the segue here with Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of filmmakers who went on to do nothing. Yeah. Because in, in they, many cases, actor. I mean, I guess Josh. Uh, Josh, Josh Leonard. Josh Leonard has, has, has made a nice career as an. Uh, eventually, with like Hump Day, yeah. like. But what like? He's been in other, other things actor. as well recently. No, he, he works all the time. Yeah, uh, he's and he's even directed a movie that I saw. Hmm. Um, Josh, yeah, I, Josh Leonard does not, but I feel like there was a lull after Blair Witch before he started working, like or started being visible again. Yeah, yeah. He was in. Uh, he was briefly in. Well, I think there Men was, of Honor, right? Which the, is originally called. Uh, is that the one where he goes? Uh, uh, my name is Colonel such and such, and I am God. Is that? I, oh, is that first Cuba off, Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro? Yeah. Was that your Robert Downey? Uh, your Robert Downey? Your Robert De Niro? In that trailer, yeah. <laughs> he goes, and I am gone. Well, I don't know if he sounds quite so Bruce Dernish. In, uh, in I the wouldn't film. call that Bruce Dernish. <laughs> How would Bruce, Bruce Dernish, Dernish say? Bruce is more like this. Bruce Dernish. Now let me. Ask I, I met him in the driver's like, I want the cowboy. I want the cowboy. Now let's imagine. Don't. I don't want to get caught on the 
criticizing my goddamn impressions. All no, right? no, I'm not going to. What That's gonna how say- De Niro sounds in the trailer. He goes, and I am God. <laughs> he craggies it. Okay. Now, now, if, watch the if, trailer. Now, if Bane were in Men of Honor, how would that sound? <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, men, you like to you like honor. to pimp out you like to pimp out a mashup. Uh-huh. I do. Uh, you like when do. it's you, yes, yes. yeah. Like uh, uh, Paul Schrader is telling Walter Matthau about bringing out the dead. <laughs> I can't. I said, Walter, you can't do the God stuff anymore. No more of the Christ demonstration. I can't even do Paul Schrader. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said, Paul, I said, Paul Schrader, you can't do the Christ demonstration. And then you're going to do Christ demonstration. Right, 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 right now. You're going to do Christ demonstration? Okay. All right, great. You know my character, Jenny Shark? I don't know. I think he dipped into Robert Downey. Robert Downey That's what I tried to do. I've been working on it. I don't have, I've been working on it. I realized I, I, can't talk as fast as I just can't talk. I yeah. can't get as many words out as he can. Yeah, it's a uh, doomed impression. Oh right, I was okay. going to say Men of, Honor, Sorry, Men of Honor was originally called Navy Diver. I'm I correctly. That's right. Yes. Uh, so yeah, Blair, right, Witch, Blair Witch. That. Uh, when's the last time you guys saw it? It's been a while. Not since the theater, probably. It holds up splendidly. Does I saw it? it like in the last couple of years, and I think it's wonderful. And it's such an interesting thing. Like the idea of found footage. Well, so strange. As a horror thing, like, kind of came about with Blair Witch, and now it's so st- it's so standard that, it, but none of them do it as well. What's interesting about that is that it was such it was such a smash, and then it, it had such a backlash. It yeah. had the, it had a yeah. major backlash, but now like it's the model, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, there yeah. would be no paranormal, there'd be no VHS, right. there'd be no The Bay. I mean, there pro- might be, but I mean, it, it just barely, Blair Witch did it first, you know. But and it did it first, but also what's interesting is that my my big complaint with found footage movies is that they they try to use the found footage thing to cover a low budget, which is fine, I get it, but they they also use it as an excuse for somewhat lazy filmmaking. I'm not saying you need to explain everything but like for example i just saw a movie called bigfoot the lost coast tapes yes i talk about it a lot because it's terrible but um it's one of those things where i wish you'd talk about it like all the time (laughs) i will work it into every show uh, up until episode 300 so um how far off are you from that anyway six episodes um what is is you have your guests all lined up for 300 we're working on it (laughs) so um no we already had you ruin our show with paul go what <laughs> what? Yeah, like that. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's but, a classic. Uh, yeah, it is a classic. Episode. But the um, a BP classic. Uh, so, I forgot what I was saying. So now. Talking footage. about how good Blair Witch is. Yeah, I want to but, talk about Blair Witch. Not but it's, it's one of those things where like they they use this, they use it to be like, okay, uh, abrupt ending. And now we don't have to explain anything because, hey, uh, they, they in the moment they wouldn't know. And it's just like that's all well and good, except the thing is, you. What what they did in uh, this uh, Bigfoot movie is they make it like a character declares it's not a Bigfoot and then like this thing gets them and uh, and my it reminds me that Deep Blue Sea came out in ninety nine uh-huh. it sure did which I didn't see but I remember I, I don't have the it's uh, worth watching uh, affection for that movie that other people seem to oh it's, I don't I don't one love I, it, you but. know what just. The CG thing. I think I smelled it then. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. You There's know? some practical effects in there, but, uh, right. but uh, yeah, it's a, lot, it's a lot of CG. When you, I but, do like the cast. I'm a fan of LL Cool J. Mm-hmm. His hat um, is like a shark's fin. His hat is like a shark's fin. Uh, obviously, Samuel Jackson. Uh, Aida Turturro uh, yeah. is, is in it. Stellan uh, Skarsgård's in it. Stellan Skarsgård, yeah. yeah. It's a good cast. Michael Rappaport. Saffron Burroughs. Yeah. 
I don't know who he is. Uh, it's a she. No. She was the it girl. Yeah. From Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> but the uh, but the thing about Blair Witch Project is that they under I think they understood and admittedly they didn't ha- they were the first ones so they they uh, don't have to kind of engage in this trope of like oh a somewhat confusing ambiguous ending uh, like at the end when it, whenever the stuff happens to uh, Heather and Mike like you don't necessarily know what happened to them but you know enough you see Mike standing in the corner oh it's like the kid standing in the corner and being made to wait yeah. while the except for dumbasses who didn't pay attention and thought he was hanging yeah 10 years over 10 years later I'm still angry about people who it didn't does, it does bother me yes that he was standing in the corner like like he was told yeah i i got it right away like yeah. are you not listening and so i haven't seen it since the theater i'll be honest but like so there's that and it's just one of those things like so oh. i'm like i don't remember i remember guys standing in the corner i don't remember the exposition about it though but because yeah. earlier it was said that like the 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 person in the, who lived in the woods who would kill people a long mm-hmm. time ago would bring kids out to the woods and he would make he would bring two of them into a room at once and he would make one stand in the corner facing the wall yeah. while he killed the other one. Uh-huh. And so at the end when Heather like comes in and you see Mike facing the wall in the yeah. corner and then suddenly she's like the an camera falls down. Yeah. An incredibly disturbing image because yeah. like this is a grown man not a child. Yeah. But like and why, why is he standing in the corner? Because the killer is make, making him stand there yeah, while the, he kills. Is the killer has the killer convinced him to, or the killer has we, possessed we him? We don't, or, we don't know. We just know from that. And story, that's something that's I'm okay with works. not knowing. But oh. there is a reference to something from earlier in the film, and ultimately, like, what killed them? Well, the Blair Witch killed them, is, yeah. or, or whatever. And like, he, is, he is hypnotized by the Blair Witch, perhaps. Sure, or something like that. And we, so, get to, we get to have this conversation instead of. You know, knowing exactly, yeah, which is also kind of so. Nice. I'm fine with some ambiguity, but there's still it still explains a lot, but it doesn't necessarily just sit down and explain it. And that's why I think like it's still the gold standard. Like I still get a good sense of who all those like those three people are and how they're interacting and the real hopelessness of their situation. Like it just it does such a great job of setting that up, and it doesn't just use a storytelling shortcut to hide. Uh, the budget or just the yeah. lack of a developed story. It's such an exciting movie. I, 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 read, it really is. I read in the trades that one of the directors is going to direct a segment of VHS 2. Oh. Oh, all right. Did so you see VHS? Could, no. I didn't say that. No, you, don't, you don't need to. You don't like it. There's a, a couple... I know of, some people who made it. Uh, yeah. I won't tell them that, that you said you didn't like <laughs> I've, it. I'm published online saying, uh, writing my review, there's a couple... I like the I like the Joe Swanberg one, uh-huh. uh, and I like the... Uh, Radio Silence one, uh-huh. but uh, not the other ones. You don't the like Bay. That Go and see The Bay, everybody. It's okay. a found footage film that I think is really well put together. Um, are we done with horror? I mean, has okay, let's it, move it, into first did time Halloween directors. Resurrection come out that year? And no, that was I really think bad? that was Halloween H2O. No, no, H2O I think was 97 or 98. No, because it was the, the 2.0 was for 20 years. Yeah, but and Halloween came out in 1979. 78. I think it's 79. No, it's, I know it was 78. It I watched it the other day. You're right. Damn. Um, All right. Um, so maybe uh, Resurrection was... So, Josh, it appears you have no interest in first-time directors. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about... Um, I just went... I just, you know, it's the main course, guys. You know, we skipped... Uh, just, I don't we're know just what, getting warmed up. I don't know what um, we should say about this, but... but there, there, a lot of them aren't first-time directors. Sometimes it's it's their coming of age. They're coming... Mean, some yes, of them are first-time we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that, definitely. Um, but um, first-time... I don't know how we feel about this movie, but American Pie is, I think, a movie oh, that American is. Pie, that's right. Oh yeah, I set totally left that out. It said it's, it's it was a trendsetter. I didn't uh-huh. like. I remember I had just come out of high school, and I remember 
thinking like, that's not how I acted in high school. I never yeah. acted like, I hate this. This is stupid. And then I think I re- caught some of it like seven years later. I was like, this seems like natural, like high school. Because I was like, <laughs> what am I thinking? I'm so old now. Uh, These kids, I, it's the same, but it was actually the same way in when I was a kid and I saw Big. I thought, Tom Hanks is acting like a fucking dumb He's, I don't believe him. And then as I get older, I'm like, Tom Hanks is brilliant and big. <laughs> it's really strange. I wonder if it's just has... Maybe when you're a kid, you think you're so adult. Right, yeah. So you're, yeah. you're doing your best impression of an older person. Uh-huh. I still think American Pie sucks. <laughs> I, I think it's a... It's a watchable, it's okay. it's a watchable Hollywood movie, but I, I don't like what it did... To comedy for years because yeah, com- comedy see. sets the mold when a, when a comedy's a hit it sets the mold for like well this is what you have to do to make a hit comedy well right. and when you think about it the year before was there something about Mary which was very exciting because like it was just its willingness to be raunchy was was like oh this is great and and have just kind of a very strange kind of a strange story with strange characters yeah and so but I think what and then of course Hollywood latched on to Ranch yeah. and then took that and Instead made of like, American Pie which is a very standard story but they made it more raunchy and I like some of those actors and I think that they make the characters very likable well, and say, it's, like, it's very watchable I, I think uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Sean William Scott and I think that I, he, I do like him He's, he did uh, he, he turned into something I thought is I think is really yeah. fun but I think I think um, it's not too uh, outrageous to say that like American Pie became a franchise because of Stifler. I think that's probably yeah. That's probably the. I think he. he well, I mean, you could argue. You could argue that it was the fucking uh, the pie scene or whatever. But that, Eugene but that Levy wouldn't have been or, as good without Eugene Levy responding to oh, it. Right. Like, yeah. he, like there's. Something, I don't know. I don't want to. I, I, I there's just, something very funny about like the father who makes things worse by trying to be understanding than the father uh-huh. who merely says, "What the hell are you doing?" Like, right. there's. So, skip that one with comedies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say about something about Mary, I just want to say is like when you say like the raunch cut ons, more raunch, and then scary movie comes along and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I remember something about Mary was such a smash hit and everyone was talking about it. And when it came out, I think I backlash hated it. Mm. But, or at least I was like, I've, I know I laughed when I saw it, but I, I wasn't into it for a long time. And I watch it now and I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think it's like. A perfect like broad comedy with yeah, like it's yeah. got a lot of funny gags. It's a solid script. Char- actors, character actors having fun. Actors being fearless, not being afraid to look stupid, not being afraid to look dumb or gross yeah. or silly. It, that, uh, it has the same spirit. And I think there should be more comedies like that with a good script. It's yeah. got a script about it. It has the same spirit of, as a Zucker Abrams Zucker thing where it throws everything at the wall from like mm-hmm. you know the semen hanging off the ear to. Franks and Beans, you know, like every kind of offense, like even offensive comedy like that, like they will do anything they can to get a laugh of every from yeah. everybody. At some it point. also makes you on edge as a viewer, like, oh, these these directors will do whatever it takes. Yeah, the difference with that and like the Zucker Abram Zucker is like. Zucker Abe and Zucker will like break the fourth wall in yeah. a way that the Farrelly brothers aren't known for breaking the right. fourth wall. But now I do prefer uh, Kingpin to was, oh d- definitely Dumb and Dumber Kingpin. There's something about Mary. That's a that's a great the, run the whole there. yeah those the whole trilogy and they you know they never really recovered from those uh, three. Yeah, Shallow Hell is not not good. Didn't I you think like stuck on stuck you? on you has some stuff that I actually really like. And I, and, and, and uh, me and myself and Irene great, is great is pretty. I remember mean and and not perfect, but I remember it, it was kind of trying. to be yeah 
I do like that he tries to the when he I know it's so broad when he tries to put the cow out of its misery and he can't kill the cow he keeps <laughs> shooting it and then like later is it Robert Forster's character is like he puts 17 bullets into a cow things lucky to be alive <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny yeah all right uh, Amer- American Beauty should we talk about that it's the first time first timer you guys go ahead I'll, I'll be right um, I don't uh, have much to say about it well I, I haven't seen it in a long time I think I remember you guys talking about what was I thinking you, yeah. you put on the what was I thinking I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that in what was I thinking only because I feel like American Beauty was a movie that needed to happen at the end of the 90s uh-huh. I feel like whether it's good now or it holds up and it, you know thinking about it, there are some pretentious stuff about it the whole like isn't this bag beautiful or whatever yeah um, and also like like I was talking about the fight club it just like it's so, it seems so sure that it's got everything figured out Right, like like too sh- too sure of itself. Well, yeah. the thing I'll say, I mean, you could deny, you could say with Fight Club that its twist ending denies everything that it's been saying because it's like this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah, I think that's Fight Club you know? trying to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, he does like he gets this girl who's not necessarily an ideal girl, but it makes her out. The movie makes her out to be kind of sexy. I mean, just oh. everyone's a mess in Fight Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, will, I would accept criticisms of Fight Club, but also, like, there's, it's one of those movies that you can find defenses in it as well as criticisms. Okay. Um, but American Beauty, be- I feel like it's, it's, a, it's another one of those movies where it's kind of taking all these big hot-button issues of the 90s and, and all these, and, like, and they're talking about, like, everything... Um, that you know, these old, an old-fashioned generation was saying life needed to be about, and and saying like maybe this is not what life needs to be about. Maybe who cares about some of this stuff? And I feel like Fight Club is kind of doing the same thing with like, but m- maybe. But uh, I guess the reason that it also feels so false to me in the '90s is that like, uh, aren't these people like the, uh, like. Don't they come from like the 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 sixties and seventies? Like who? The 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 older characters. Uh, I think Fight Club is more of American Beauty. Oh uh, well, I think Fight Club is more of an, a response to like the eighties and like trickle down and all that okay. sort of stuff. American Beauty is more of a response to like you know the greatest generation's way of thinking you know like the the world war ii veterans and like and also, you gotta be a man and a man does this and a man does that you know and, and no also homos. this idea of like uh you know these characters who are lamenting like oh when i was young i used to be this i used to be like a kind of a fun-loving free spirit you know like what does the kevin spacey say like you know when i was in high school like I, all i did was you know get high and get laid and just like talked about like that was the best time and just trying to get back to that because he sees where where have we you know where have we uh Amer- wound up american beauty is like the baby boomer having a mental breakdown mm-hmm. and fight club is like x generation having a mental breakdown yeah maybe i just don't like baby boomers maybe they, they both are assholes like, I fuck them all the scene in american beauty <laughs> we're, we're a gen we're y no, guys we're no picnic ourselves uh, yeah no uh, the scene in American Beauty where, where Kevin Spacey and Annette Benning are, are getting it on and then he, he's almost going to spill the beer on the couch and she like is like, oh, watch it, you're going to spill the beer. And then no, he's they're like, not getting it on yet. They're about to. Yeah, but and, and, but he's like, oh, man, why do you got to like worry about it? It's just things. Or, or he turns into a teenager or whatever. And it's like, no, 
Put the fucking beer down. Yeah, you don't you need to You can have great it. sex and not ruin the couch you bought with your hard-earned <laughs> well, money. I, I mean, I, I don't remember that scene so well, and I don't... I'm not saying you're wrong, but then I could also argue, well, maybe... Th- Maybe this is a story about a guy who he doesn't really get to have the... He, he just doesn't want to care about these things, and he's hap- a thing is happening. I'm only playing devil's advocate also. I don't, yeah. I don't really care that much either way. But, <laughs> and, and maybe if you didn't notice that, then there was something wrong in, in the directing or storytelling of it. Um, I think it's a script problem. Like I, I think I think uh, Sam Mendes has shown himself to be a pretty good like with Is it Sam Mendes or Alan Ball who's co- no who, Sam Bidi- Sam who? Mendes I think has shown himself to be a pretty good director with something like Road to Perdition. I didn't see that, but but no one ever talks about it. And I always wonder, did that movie was it just lacking a major component? Or I, I like no one talks. I don't know movie. that it holds up. It, it was super miss- like prestige bait, Oscar uh, yeah. bait, and that's know? that is unfortunate because I think there's some good. Uh, the actors are doing some good work. Of course, it's beautiful. It's Conrad, Conrad Hall's again. last movie. Yeah, and yeah, uh, that's a true of American Beauty too. It's, it's yeah. stunning to look at, and it's got a, a great score. It's just a really well put together film. Uh, whereas, and and I think that's a function of, of Sam Mendes, and so, but I think that. But then, and, and, but what like did Sam Mendes do after? You know, like Jarhead, Revolutionary Road, Revolutionary Road, which, which I, I thought was which okay. I defend. It was, I liked it, but then it's like none of these movies are anything to call home about. You know, no one's, no one really is talking about what great movies these were the past. They were just kind of like but Oscar like you, Bates studio movies. But if you look at like just the the clunky, and now like, he's doing a James Bond movie. I know, but I, I'm kind of excited about it. Um, I'm not excited. I know you're not. I'm indifferent. I'll be no, honest. I'm, I'm more than my usual not caring about James Bond. Yeah. But, like, I don't like that Javier Bardem's, like, villain is, like... I'm a bad guy. Like, But, like, clearly supposed to be, like, gay. Like, I feel oh. like... Like, it's like uh, if, you've, if you've heard James Adomian's bit yeah, about exactly. Like that's, you shouldn't that's see the 80s. Ha- you should not see Hannah. Did I tell you that already? <laughs> no, but yeah. I wasn't playing. Is he supposed it. to be gay or is he supposed? I just I don't but, know. But you know what? Be, that's, that's, a, like, that's like a James Bond tradition that that the villain is like this polished, yeah. odd, strange thing. I mean, yeah, you could I, just as easily if you weren't banging girls all the time, James Bond could be gay. You know? Yeah, and maybe that's why. That's I think that's actually a big maybe part of why I've never responded to to. James Bond because it's this image of masculinity that I this, don't buy into this at all. Guy resonate with me. Bangs yeah. all these like model girls, and then he's up against the bad guy who's like, "Hello, Mister Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Mister Bond, you won't get out of this alive to get more girls." <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, let's move on to being John Malkovich. All right, uh, because this was this was a first. It was first the first. Well, interestingly though. Um, because uh, people always talk about Spike Jones and and Charlie Kaufman, their hello to the world, uh, American Beauty, uh, both Sam Mendes and Alan Ball is kind of big breakthrough. Yeah, no one yeah. talks about it, really Alan Ball, and he won an Oscar for for writing American Beauty. Oh. Yeah, um, and then made Six Feet Under and True yeah. Blood, and True then whatever Blood. that movie about Middle Eastern person was, I can't remember. He directed some movie about yeah. like a like a. Was a girl from Iran who lives? I don't know. I can't. I didn't. I, I it's see it. on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember it now. Girl in a neighborhood. Yeah. Brown person in a neighborhood Something is what like it was that. called. Something like that. Suburban brown person. Yeah. All right. So being John Malkovich, that's something we talked about with Colin Marshall because we were talking about like '90s American independence. Being John Malkovich and how like being John Malkovich technically counts, but it feels like a 2000s movie. Like, it's like a visceral picture. <laughs> Why do you hate Colin Marshall? I don't so hate like Colin Marshall. I love his podcast. Oh, okay. Um, I just was doing an impression of him. Okay. 
Don't get me wrong. I constantly accuse him of being uh, of just putting on that voice because no one talks like that. I, yeah, I mean, no one does an impression of him either. I'm sure. Oh, everybody who knows I mean, probably him does, does an impression, impression but no one's done it on your podcast. I did this knowing that there was a good chance he'll listen. Oh yeah, as probably. my homage. Well, to hang Colin on Marshall. now. Hang on now. David, do you do a Colin Marshall impression? Um. No, well, not one the listeners. Oh, okay. Can, I, I do, I do, okay. A, I do a facial impression of Colin Martin. Oh, okay. well, let me see real quick. Um, well, you have to, to uh, just tell me your thoughts on being Jim Malkovich. Well, I think it's, uh, it's uh, oh my gosh, that is perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. Um, uh, yeah, let's, uh, I just was, I just was trying to slip it in there, and you, right. you went. Tyler took us on a whole Colin Marshall tangent. Anyway, yeah, because it's fun to make fun of listen, Colin Marshall. It, it uh, is fun. Yes, he. I'll say this. I think his podcast is great, and he gets amazing guests. But he does. He. I really always want to like imitate him when I'm oh, watching yeah. it. <laughs> I always want to be. Oh yes, I. I love Abbas Kiaro's stummy. Well, everything also, has to be um, uh, totally enunciated. Yes. Uh, our friend who's been on the show, Frank McGrath, who's a assistant editor <laughs> now and will be an editor on uh, the next season of Children's Hospital. So give it up for him. Um, everyone who knows Frank yeah. does an impression of him, which usually just goes like this. No, I'm not. Yeah. Talk like yeah. this. <laughs> So the, Colin is just one of those people, like Frank, who yeah. everyone has an impression of. But uh, what, what did you think of uh, being John McAvoy when you first saw it? Uh, I was moved nearly to tears. By, yeah, I loved by, it. By it. When I first saw it, I thought about it, and then I, uh, and this is also a definite like being spoiled by too much good stuff in the year. I I think I didn't like it. I mean, I thought it was like great and like really cool that this movie exists but I thought it was it just made me feel awful like I felt really? so gross and like depressed it. and it was so like it is very it's bleak and yeah. it's like you know it's just dark also because it, take, it takes such um, a wild premise and grounds it so much in this sort of like morbid miserable icky world mm-hmm. and that's something in that retrospect I'm, I'm like it's great it's a great movie I, I gotta rewatch it and I have rewatched it since and liked it, but it is definitely does. It's weird how depressing such a, a movie with such a wacky premise can be. And I find mm-hmm. almost all of Charlie Kaufman's scripts to be like that. I still enjoy them, and I think they're. I think many of them are wonderful. But he is. I, I consider him to be an intellectual writer, not necessarily an emotional one, which is fine. Oh, I think his movies are, are emotional. I think. I think he explores emotion. But I don't think he is, in fact, emotional. I think he is not unlike a scientist uh, examining a subject. There is, I think, a remove. So we see the characters display emotion, but I don't think we're necessarily invested in it. And so, uh, so I, I never totally feel like I've been emotionally involved in but any film that he's he written. But I think that's why he so well with Spike Jones, who is uh, you don't, almost not, not anti-intellectual, but not... It's like all id. With you him. don't. Yes. You don't think. Uh, you don't feel for Charlie Kaufman, Nicholas Cage, Charlie Kaufman, an adaptation when Donald. Not really. No. No. I'm, I'm not because a fan of adaptation. Be, I, you don't I, like, oh, I, I love like adaptation. adaptation. I like yeah. adaptation a lot, but I'm just constantly aware that Donald is a a construct, and and so like. What do you mean? Well, that he's not like a real person. I understand. Like he just. I mean, are you looking at it as a movie, or are you looking at it as, like, oh, well, I know that Donald Kaufman doesn't. No, it's uh, just it's one of those things. Even within a movie, he's so the opposite of Charlie, and clearly that is the, like, even even like, 
even if there was a real Donald Kaufman, which, by the way, like if there was a real Don Kaufman and he died, I don't think the film would have been would have treated his death that way. But like, not as it doesn't treat it as a joke by any stretch. But like, the character is meant to be the antithesis to Charlie, and that is what defines him. And so, if he dies, then that's it. It's it's meant to make Charlie's situation more annoying, almost as right. a comedic ploy. You yeah, say. Donald is not a real character, even if he's supposed to be a real character. I think he in exists, the end, he exists only in relation to Charlie. In the end, I guess in the end, he he, he kind of becomes a real character. He does. Okay. But also in the, the in, in the last moment, yeah. I guess we should get back on be, being John Malkovich. Or, or just back into the 99, because we can move forward from being John Right. Malkovich. Well, but I, I think, uh, I, I do think it's an emotional movie, being John Malkovich. I think it's incredibly emotional. Yeah. I, I feel, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't feel so, like, sad or worn out but, after watching But I watching. kind of, I see what Tyler is saying. I think the, that emotion comes more from Spike Jones because I see mm-hmm. that, I, I see more of that emotion in, in Where the Wild Things Are than in, oh, say, absolutely. Like, but, than in say something else like but Nature. It's that, pretty, uh, Eternal Sunshine is pretty emotional as well and that and that Spike yeah, Jones didn't make it, that. And I, I see that as, I, again, a remove it, as well. He, 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 Strangely though, the visual. He pairs himself with uh, the best Charlie Kaufman movies are paired with these directors who are uh, not, not really analytical. Almost, they're. I, I don't know. I I think um, childlike as opposed to his. Well, something that's interesting is that uh, Eternal Sunshine and and Being John Malkovich feel like they are from. They're using the same visual language almost. Like they feel yeah, like true. the same guy could have made them. It's yeah, strange yeah. that. that I think they even have the same cinematographer. May I think Lance Accord may have shot both of them. I that could makes be wrong. Sense. But like, if you look at something like Synecdoche, New York, which I like quite a bit, but I like it almost from a purely uh, intellectual standpoint. I feel no, even with somebody like a like a Philip Seymour Hoffman doing really good work, I just do not feel connected to that person because I I sometimes feel that Charlie. Not sometimes. I think I regularly feel that Charlie Kaufman. He, ha- I think he appreciates these people. I think he likes them, but I don't feel. I don't think he feels connected to them at all. Let's uh, let's move on. Okay. Uh, I know this isn't a first film, but we want to talk about election at some point. And it's okay. the first big uh, the movie that made people pay attention. Right. Certainly to Alexander. I love Citizen Ruth. By uh, the I've way. actually still never seen it. Oh, uh, I, I actually saw it for the first time recently, like uh, earlier this year, and and I and I was sort of like, damn, why was I why was I putting that off? I think it's just as good yeah. as all of his movies. And did you like The Descendants? I did like it. I watched it for the first... I recently watched it, and I liked it quite a bit. I think I mostly liked it. I give it, like, a solid B. Um, I, I forgot what happens at the end, to be honest. Um, That's not oh, no, I do, what ha- I do know what happens. He, he decides to do this one thing instead of this other thing. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah. Good job with the spoilers there. Yeah. No, actually, no, actually I like the way it ends. Right. I, I have more problems with the way it... With, with the early... The, the setup. There's just, like, too much voiceover and too much, like telling you who George Clooney's character is as opposed to showing you yeah. and telling you what his relationship is to his to his daughters and so it has a, the movie had a shaky foundation for me that yeah. I never was able to you know I mean sometimes I, I don't know they say like you know voiceover is your enemy but I I mean you know I didn't d- didn't bother me I don't think it necessarily is I just me. think that that voiceover in particular in that movie right. and when is you, clunky but we should get into yeah, Election yeah. which also has plenty of voiceover you know I haven't uh, seen Election in a long time neither have uh, I it's it's so great, you guys. You should watch it again. <laughs> you know what? You know, actually, even though everyone says elections of genius and elections great, I do remember like some of the graphic sexual like language in the movie uh-huh. really like 
stuck with me and disturbed me. But I don't remember a lot of the movie other like, than that. Like when she says, fill me up? Well, I don't remember that, but I remember, like, the guy she she had the affair with, and he's like, her pussy gets oh, so yeah. wet. And, like, <laughs> thinking, and just there's this really major close-up of his face. Uh-huh. Uh, it's disturbing to me. I don't know And there's, there's lots of stuff I, like that in the movie, because it fe- like, the thing I love, I love about Election, and, and a lot of other Alexander Payne films, is that the the surface, the general sort of it case or, or compartment that the movie is in is very recognizable. You know, it's it's a it's a road trip movie in Sideways, or it's it's this this high school comedy. In, in About Schmidt's uh, kind of a road trip movie too. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's and his next one, Nebraska, is supposed to be a road trip. Movie. Um, it's these things you recognize, but they're filled with moments like that, or or like when Tracy Flick like freaks out and tears down all the posters or my single favorite part of the movie when Matthew Broderick gets stung in the eye by a bee like <laughs> there's just things that are so like weird and crazy and manic that happen in the middle of these movies that that like it's it's a it's a jolt and I think that when that's a thing I really like about Alexander Payne yeah and I, I do feel like as he's and we said this in the in the uh, episode uh, with, with Schmidt, Colin I think is probably my favorite of his movies I, think I, need, si- I need to rewatch it because I like it a lot I think Sideways is actually my favorite it's, I would favorite still go with that might be my least favorite actually I think about Schmidt and then maybe Citizen is Ruth. it because you hate Virginia Madsen no I like Virginia <laughs> Madsen I could have sworn you told me that you hate Virginia Madsen no I never yeah. said that I like, no, I, I, I like third degree burn, Candyman. Come on! Uh, oh man, Candyman's so good. Yeah. Um, um, as a as a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of About Schmidt because uh, Harry Grainer, the uh, actor who played the mayor in season three of Buffy, okay. is the uh, the husband of the couple he meets at the at the trailer park. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. in that movie, and he, he's a he's a great little character actor. He should be in more stuff. Wh- which guy? Uh, in about Schmidt, you know when he pulls into the the trailer park and he meets that couple and like, has dinner with them. Uh, what what else is the guy in? Uh, he's on. He, he was on Buffy. Buffy oh, okay. He was also on a number of a few episodes of um, uh, the West Wing, where he was the Secretary of Agriculture, I think. And may, one of his big scenes, uh, you'll maybe remember, yeah. during one of the State of the Union addresses, he was the guy who had to hang out in the in the Oval Office because they can't have the entire line of secession like die if like if Congress blows up or something during the State yeah. of the Union. So they pick one guy from the line of secession to make him just hang out in the Oval Office all night, and that was Harry Grainer. Um, anyway, election. The, the other thing about Sideways that I'll say real quick, uh, my, my biggest problem with Sideways is that it, I, I think it falls a little into dork boy fantasy. You know what I mean by that? Like It's like, why would these women like yeah, yeah, this yeah. guy and 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 fawn over this guy and like he's getting all you know he's he's a tortured genius and yeah. he's got you know it's you like, could have like snapped back at the end of the movie and you realize the whole thing like he's just been sitting at the bar drinking wine and looking at her the whole time and this is all yeah, going on in his head yeah you know <laughs> and I see what you're saying it's one of those things that like you do see moments where he can be remarkably charming and, and speaking to somebody like I feel like, okay all right. David talks about his therapy from time to time. Uh, in my, uh, I don't go to therapy anymore, but uh, there was a time when my... Yeah, you got to get back into that. I, I know. You need it, brother. I, I got to get into it myself. Um, let's all go. But uh, Let's all go and podcast. <laughs> but my uh, counselor asked, uh, he's like, what uh, movie characters do you see yourself as? And I was like, oh, Miles from Sideways. And he's like, anything else? I was like, Richard Nixon in Nixon. And he's like, hmm interesting um and so uh but yeah like just this idea of i I think miles is a is a deeply melancholy person who has the ability 
to any kind of sensitive about it himself when he's talking about like the grapes and why he likes Pinot and that kind of thing. But like he just he's somebody who in the right circumstances can be incredibly charming, incredibly witty, incredibly giving. And I think he is that uh, with uh, with Virginia Madsen's character. But then he can also be incredibly temperamental. Uh, and speaking of somebody who, you know, has dealt with that kind of thing my my whole life. And I just sometimes feel like I'm a huge burden on my wife. And I wonder, like, why is she sticking with me? Because this podcast thing cannot be that. <laughs> I mean, I have two of them now. And, and the, the, if I win the podcast award, that trophy isn't going to pay any bills. And it's not going to make up for the, uh, you know, the weird uh, crying bouts that I had for my little year of depression there. And so, like, it's uh, so I actually I feel like that character is maybe one of the yeah. most true to life and honest characters in Alexander I, Payne's films. I spent most of that time trying to think of what characters I think I see. And I I'd can't. say that's about I right. was listening. To Tyler the whole well, I have a, I have an answer for you. Just think of somebody that's sociopathic and doesn't care about other people when they're talking. Okay, all right, yeah. So just think of that stencil and put and see if it because that's you. So Ferris Bueller, Ferris, absolutely, and I'm absolutely Cameron. <laughs> There's no question about it. Um, um, what's weird is that talking about therapy. I feel like the, doing this podcast is like the closest thing I am to, to having been in therapy for a long time. It's like, I'm finding myself getting really worked up about these movies. I mean, I know I've done it before on here, but like some of these movies in particular, I'm like, fuck this up. This is wrong. And it's like, why am I getting so worked up about these movies? I'm, I'm ter- like, I'm exposing what a nerd that I am. And also I feel like it has something to do with that. These movies were like baggage from and, and and laid the groundwork for like the movies I'm going to seek out and watch for the next 10, 12 years well, after and, watching these ones. We did see it at a, as we said at a, and a developmental time. time. Yeah. Yes, and that's the thing. At the time, all three of us. I don't. I I was in the restroom when you started talking about American Beauty. I loved American Beauty when I saw it. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was my favorite movie okay. of the year for sure. Yeah, I loved it. And just I mean, uh, there was. I wasn't my favorite, but it was. I was up there. It was like these are all great. Yeah, for me, it was between that and The Insider, and I think I wound up uh, siding with The Insider, and I still stand by it. But it's one of those things, like you know, and perhaps the is reason it, is that The Insider we, still your favorite movie of nineteen ninety nine. Uh, probably. Being John Malkovich is up yeah, there. Three, three Kings I've is up there. Tie here I like Magnolia. John, I've got a three tie for Being John Malkovich. Um, uh, I know I already forgot the other two. I was going to say. Okay, that's I, fine. I keep doing that. Well, what's oh, weird? Being John Malkovich, uh, Ravenous, and Ratcatcher. Those are. Okay. What's weird about movies. the Insider is that it is a story about a thing that happened. About mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it is probably you know the most is very Michael Mann, but like a reaction to something from the '90s and like. A sort of a in the 90s like 90s is a period about being open-minded and you can't do this sort of stuff you can't do it's almost maybe more um seems to be more about like today you know like more relevant today with like you know a lot of um with, with the whistleblowers and things yeah. like mm-hmm. you know being hidden and covered up covered up yeah. and and people just lying to make money um it, that wasn't. I don't feel like that's what the '90s was about. There weren't a lot of big public media cases of that, as much as there have been in the past like ten years. Yeah. You know, it's the nine. A lot of these movies that we're talking about are more about like this person coming of age, or these a generation coming of age, or mm-hmm. a generation realizing everything that they believed doesn't actually work out. The dream of the '60s is dead, or the dream of of the Reaganomics is dead or you know whatever or like gay people are people you know like yeah. all those are themes of a lot of the movies that we're talking about you know well, that, but it, the insider 
is about something else. It um, seems like strangely. Let's you guys the, don't uh, seem to be on board for what this thread I'm talking about. Is. No, I want to make me think of the next thing I want to talk about, which is a, a movie that is very much about the uh, old sort of traditional ways and, and and turning them on their head or or whatever. And that's uh, the Iron Giant. Uh huh. I never is, saw the Iron Giant. Oh, it's good. It's amazing, and it's also a first time. First time film. Red, yeah. Red Bird had done he hadn't, television. He hadn't, he hadn't moved into Pixar yet, had he? Uh, right. No. Um, Pixar was like, get us this guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he'd done, a lot of, Pronto. he'd done a lot of... He'd done a lot of Simpsons and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so... And so this is a... I mean, The Iron Giant is a Cold War movie. It takes place in like, what, 57 or something like that? Around there, Late yeah. 50s, uh, early 60s maybe. Um, and uh, it sort of... It embraces that sort of like... Or seems to embrace that pro-Americana sort of, you know, um, uh, these these things that are, uh, I, I don't know, clean and white and rural, you know, and and right. and, and moral. Um, these are the good things. This is what America is, uh, and and we stand in opposition, violent opposition, if need be, uh, like to this to the Russians. Yeah, uh, you know, to and 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 that our our use of force. Uh, though you know we we morally would rather not use force, we will if we have to, and it will be just. And the Iron Giant sort of uh, takes that that last thing. Uh, to, I think it, it explores the sort of uh, the weirdly sort of uh, elitist tendency toward violence and hypocritical tendency toward violence that is that goes hand in hand with uh america's sort of exceptionalism uh of itself and uh and and belief in its own uh righteousness uh and and so that's that's what i like about the iron giant that it's actually it's this total like you know peace sign tree hugging hippie you know anti-violent movie that is dressed up in the clothes of this of the this action pa- pa- patriotic yeah uh yeah action type of stuff and that was like a total flop too huh yeah unfortunately yeah, yeah. it's so great it's i remember i used a to good read story and it's be, i think it's beautiful to I, look at i think it's really well animated when i was 19 i had this major love hate relationship with ain't it cool news because i <laughs> would click on it every day to see if there was anything new anything something about star wars which i haven't talked about that yet uh we talked about it. So it was, we, it was three brushed, hours ago. We, br- we brushed upon it. Um, this will be this will be with the one for the road trip. This one, okay. uh, or split it into two or something. But 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 um, yeah. And I remember they were always all about Iron Giant. And I was and I was a little bit like fuck you guy, fuck you Harry Nows as my nineteen year old mm-hmm. nerd sitting uh-huh. in my parents' room, not going to college yet, but having graduated high school. Um, so I never saw it, almost out of spite. Uh-huh. Despite Harry Knowles, I never, I never watched Iron Giant. Well, you owe him an apology, I think. It's right, a, it's a right. Really great movie. I'm going to email him. I'll email. Him. I'll say, "Hey, Harry, long time listener, first time caller." Now, real quick, I do want to say that it's worth noting that ultimately, the the fear uh, in the film and the way that it translates into violence eventually boils down to one character. Everybody else, including military generals and colonels eventually say hey wait a second we were wrong mm-hmm. let's do what we can to make this right and then one guy is is the problem yeah so i don't think it is necessarily condemning of it like an institution only a mentality no i think that that the fact that the institute that that mentality is institutionalized 
to start with. I mean, they're they, they are the military. They're there for right. a reason. They are one over, and then there's one guy who's not. There's always going to be that lunatic fringe. But he's actually not in the military, right? He's just a no. government guy. He's a he's a G man. He's, he sure is. Yeah. It's Christopher McDonald, right? It's Christopher McDonald. That's a great, great vocal performance. A great voice cast, because uh, Jennifer Aniston and uh, Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are the adults. I don't know the name of the kid who plays Hogarth, uh, uh, but obviously Vin Diesel was the giant. Yeah, and he does a great uh, you got job. Christopher McDonald, and of course you've got John Mahoney, John Mahoney. as the general. Yeah. Uh, John Mahoney, British. Is that right? And then he, he moved here so young. Not so young, like he was still kind of like old enough that he had an accent, but he lived here. He's lived here for so long that he lost it. Huh? That's weird. All yeah, right, now uh, he's a Boston guy. Let's talk about the Matrix. Oh my. Okay. Well, I don't. We don't have to go into any great length. Okay. But I mean, if if when I've occasionally pondered the question, like what is what are my most cherished movie going experiences certainly things like seeing Lawrence of Arabia and 70 millimeter at the music box that was, that was a that was a huge one mm-hmm. um but seeing the matrix the first of the three times I saw it in the theater uh is it was it was mind blowing to me because uh, I didn't know the 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 marketing campaign was so great I didn't know what it was about I didn't know what I was going to happen what was going to happen and I the when Trinity runs up the wall and jumps in the air and kicks the cop, like I still, I remember exactly how that felt to me at the moment. Just like I, what, what am I seeing? This is so exciting. Uh, I will put in my two cents in that I loved it when I saw it, and I didn't know, I didn't know really anything about it. My friend was like, "Let's go see this Keanu Reeves movie." I was like, "Keanu's cool. Let's uh-huh. see it." Um, and uh, but. I will say I was a big Star Wars Episode One defender for a long time before uh-huh. I conceded that yes, it sucks. Um, and my so for a while I had Matrix backlash. I was like, ugh, man. And the sequels, I I, did, I saw the second the second one, and I was like, this is fucking boring. And then I didn't even bother with the third one. I still uh, will defend the second Matrix. I think not, I fell asleep. The third one. I don't I remember it at all. There are sequences in the second one that I defend. And also, um, maybe it's, I'd respond to... Is the like second I, one the one with the rave that's 10 yeah. to 20 minutes long? Yeah. yeah. I don't even like, remember it other than I, that. I think maybe like with Cloud Atlas, there's something about the Wachowskis that I respond to because they're doing things They're doing things wrong. <laughs> Do you know? Like, they're oh, doing yeah. things in ways that you're not supposed to, and it doesn't always entirely work. You're the, right, with Reloaded, but I The other thing I, I will I say in, in criticism of not The Matrix, but what The Matrix did, is that it fucked things up for horror sci-fi genre for a long time everything had to be shiny everything had to have black tight you know <laughs> vinyl you know suits everything had to, had to have like every, a blue filter over it yeah, yeah everything had to have that you know that camera trick where the camera moves where they have like 30 cameras in a row for years we were stuck in that aesthetic you know I don't know if anyone remembers like from 2000 to I don't know 2005 like that matrix those fucking tricks were just non-stop it was it got really old for me i i was like god move on you know uh-huh. um and it was it was by the way parodied within the same year in deuce bigelow male gigolo <laughs> oh yeah and shrek i think was even doing it that was and, the next year though i think yeah i'm pretty sure the first parody out the gate 
uh, of the of the uh, a lot of time. a lot of things that came out that year were parroting it that year, and Blair Witch obviously was parodied like crazy. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Sixth Sense, we can move on. Maybe we should move on to the Sixth Sense. Did oh, you? Wait, wait. What, what's your Matrix experience, Tyler? Uh, I uh, went to see it with some friends on a double or triple date, in fact. Uh, but we wound up uh, getting the time wrong, so I did not see it until uh, on DVD uh, years later. I still sometimes say Mr. Anderson. Yeah. Helps her. Uh, so you didn't see it. In, you didn't even see it in the theater. Take out her garbage. garbage. So you didn't see it in the theater, huh? No, I didn't. And I wish wow. that I did. I saw the second one in the theater twice. Wow, you're really into <laughs> David. No. no I oh. made him see it the second time. Yeah. The first time I got to see it for free as a function of my school. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, sure, what the hell. Uh, and then the second time, yeah, stupid old David made me go see it. Um, okay. Sixth Sense. Why don't we talk about well, that? Well, let's. I'm going alphabetically here because uh, oh, okay. I want to make sure we get to some stuff. So, uh, well, wait, I, 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 have you guys both seen Ratcatcher? No, uh, I, I've seen it and I, I don't recall it as much. I don't. I don't remember loving it as much as I like. We need to talk about Kevin and Morvan Collar. Oh, I, I I didn't see we need to talk about Kevin and Morvan Collar. Oh, we didn't. I, I thought we talked about this on uh, I, I've, I've on the it. on the the video? internet video. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it. Um, oh, the yeah. first and Morvan Collar, I respect, but it didn't like. Uh, touch me the way. Oh, I, I remember Rad thinking Morvan Collar is really cool. Ratcatcher cool. might be my least favorite of her movies. Uh, I don't think Ratcatcher is so. Uh, uh, I don't like most movies about kids, but uh, when they're done right, they're my favorite movies mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess one, I should revisit it probably. Especially, I don't know if you know if you remember the way it starts. Um, uh, I mean, I, I guess okay. Spoilers for Ratcatcher. It's the beginning, so it's not. A, it's like the first ten minutes. It you really think you're seeing the main kid. This is who the main character is. This kid, and then ten minutes in, he drowns and uh-huh. he's dead. And the movie's about the other kid, like for the rest of the movie. Right. And it really like does a great great job. I know I just gave it away, but of not like not tipping its hand at all. It's like Hitchcock. Know. Yeah, it, it, you really think it's about this kid, and then he drowns in the like in the yeah. stream behind their houses. What I love about we need to talk about. I, I actually, and then, you know, we talked briefly about this. With any, we need to talk about Kevin. The the second half of the movie falls apart for me, but the first half is like perfect. I mean, just like watching, I was like, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like her, what she's doing visually, and just like there's a real great ambiguity about it, where you're just like, what happened? What happened? And I love like putting the piece. It's like a cool, like you're slowly revealing all these clues, to where you're putting it, putting it together in your head. Like something happened. Oh, so, oh, something happened. Oh, these people. Everyone's pissed. She has no allies. Okay, well, she used to be this type of person. She used to have this. Oh, she had a baby here. Yeah. And you're just putting together what happened, and it's totally ambiguous. And then it starts giving you like too obvious of clues, and it's basically saying what happened. I loved that part of the movie where you don't know and there's a mystery and you just that almost like knowing what the answer is there could be no answer that is as good as not knowing I think the I think the and the, visually also the first half of the movie is pretty amazing I think it's great throughout I do think that maybe the specificity of what happened I didn't necessarily need to know that but everything else around it I'm fine with um, well for me also it starts getting into like you start toying with like how believable it is that the kid is this much of a sociopath and like and and uh you know and then it's like well is the movie like this sort of fable now or is it still in the or is this like realistic or played for reality and it just i don't i don't think it stuff. is i think it's i think it's her thinking back 
or, or just her and right. It's, it's totally from her point of view. But can, can I? Oh. It is twelve years. It came out twelve years after nineteen ninety nine. Right. Can I, can I talk about uh, speaking of not real uh, a sequence in Radcatcher? I'm just apparently going to spoil the whole movie. This isn't a plot thing though. There's a part where one of the kids, not the main kid, one of the other kids, has a pet like mouse that he loves, and like he loves this mouse, but the kid's like not that bright. And uh, at, at, at one point, he's decided he's going. He, his his mouse is gonna is gonna fly. He's gonna tie his mouse to a balloon and put it out the window. And it's like you're you feel sick for this kid because you know he's just gonna drop his mouse out this third floor window. This mouse that he loves so much, and then he lets it go with the balloon. And then the mouse flies up into the air with the balloon, and then flies all the way to the moon and lands on the moon and lives among a colony of other mice that this are This happens happy. in Ratcatcher? Yes. It's a little, like, weird little sequence in the movie. That's another thing that in movies in the 90s, things like that happen. Like, uh-huh. I'm going to jump forward to Three Kings, just how, like, there's a scene where people get shot and you see inside their body yeah, yeah. and just, like, and also, or like, Bing, Bing, is it Bing John Malkovich, you see this, like, cutaway to, like, the monkey brain and stuff like that. Yeah, monkey's yeah, childhood yeah. and or like to go back a few years, you uh, um, McGregor diving into the toilet in uh, in Train right, Spotting. Right. Yeah, that's it's a very nineties conceit. Um, I want to real quickly mention it's not their first film, but Rosetta was the first uh, Dardan, Dardan Brothers, Brothers that I ever was uh, that saw, and that was ninety nine. Again, it might have come out here uh, the next year. But that was a that was an. We didn't really touch on black and favorite. white. Did, did any of you see black and white? I have I have a hard, place in my heart for black and white. I, I always one of those movies I was so psyched about, and then I never even got to see it. I was oh. like I couldn't wait for it to come out, and then I didn't get to see it. Uh, and it's you know um, Robert Downey Jr. is in it at a time when he was he was nuts. Yeah, going nuts, and like, I mean, but the, I loved him at the time because I, yeah, yeah, I loved Robert Downey. The the egotistical Robert Downey Jr. today couldn't do this role. He's too like, uh, you know, he's. Um, I, I I wouldn't underestimate Robert Downey Jr. today. I think he he yeah. maybe be stuck in the in the big blockbuster. But I think he's. A, you know, b- brilliant actor. I but do you yeah, think I mean, he still he still did some amazing work in Zodiac? I thought like I'm not talking about yeah. I, I, just, I didn't I don't see think, the solo. It's like, probably crap, but I, I feel like with uh, what I'm saying specifically, not that he could isn't this good. I'm saying this character. I think that he's got an ego now, and he wouldn't play someone as as gay. I guess mm-hmm. I guess the character is like bisexual, but you know, it's uh, I don't know that Robert Henry would do that now because I think he's maybe too protective of his image. I don't know that he's too protective of his image. I, I think he's, I mean, he's very aware. I think you see him on television, you see he's very aware of what he presents. Uh-huh. But I, I think he's, you know, he's super always confident. But I, I think, I mean, I think he, I think if he wanted to, he would dip into playing like a fearless kid. It's the same sort of thing probably with like Johnny Depp. If Johnny Depp wanted to do on some weird indie movie, he would. But I guess he's enjoying doing these million dollar blockbusters you know yeah and yeah. probably the same with robert downey jr i mean these these guys maybe you're right could maybe i'm too harsh i don't think robert downey jr has lost any of his touch i think he's just making movies that i personally don't care about yeah he i probably, think he maybe, can maybe still maybe do it if he wants to do for it. that yeah. but he, I does, do, he does seem to be having a lot of fun with uh, iron man and sherlock holmes and i think he's one of those guys like well he deserves to. I mean, he's he's had a very interesting, varied career, and I I, li- I love Robert Downey Jr. I don't like the movies that he makes, but I think he's great. 
Well, I, have you still, you've still not seen Black and White? No, I want to see it. You should check it out. He, and I, uh, I think he comes on to Mike Tyson, who's playing Mike Tyson, and gets oh. punched in the face for it. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> he's, right. he's brilliant in Two Girls and a Guy, which I don't think uh-huh. is that great of a movie, but, yeah, but he, he's, he's really good. And he plays the most narcissistic, like, yeah. obnoxious, vain actor. All right, should we talk about The Sixth Sense? Yeah. Um, what was interesting is... Uh, I don't have much to say about it, but I... I, I I liked it, and then I didn't like it. I still like it, but I, I haven't still like it a lot. while. But I feel like it, hold, it holds up. It does, and I think it's. Uh, I love that Haley Joe Oswald. He's great. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I hate it when he shot Kennedy, though. Um, <laughs> but the MTV VJ, the. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's getting late, everybody. Um, yeah. I went. Yeah, and we are burning I went and saw it. it. We're burning uh, candles at both ends. I went and saw it, not knowing anything about it. I had heard, like, I think it might have been. The day it opened, and I was just, uh, I was in a long-distance relationship at the time, and so I was in Denver, and uh, I was with my uh, girlfriend at the time, and was like, hey, let's see this. Why not? Sure. So I had no idea what to expect, and I feel like that is the best way to go into that movie. And you go in, and it's it's so much, I'll say this, it's so much more than the twist. Yeah, I'll I'll say, because I, like you with The Matrix, I saw it on video, on VHS, well uh, after it had been spoiled for me, I oh, knew really? okay. I knew it. I, I knew what was the truth about the thing the yeah. whole time, uh, and yeah, it affected me. Yeah, still, still, I think it's I think it's shot. You know, there is something to be said. Like M Night Shyamalan may have squandered whatever talent he has, but he is still a very talented director. Like he can really set a tone. He can really create suspense and a certain degree of dread while still being remarkably humanist in the in the movies that he makes. Like it's uh, and the Sixth Sense, I think, is probably. The culmination of that, and I like Unbreakable you know, more than I used to, and I still like science. I, I like Unbreakable. What's what people don't give Sixth Sense enough credit for? I think is Tony Collette. Yeah, she's great. She's too. really yeah. great in it. Yeah. Um, something also uh, of note is that, well, the twist in Sixth Sense kind of ruined the twist in Fight Club. I think because <laughs> audiences, I think, were just sort of. It was such a huge smash. I think that it wasn't that big of a deal to, for there to be a, a, a he's in his head, you know, in uh-huh. fight in Fight Club. The other thing also is that there was a a uh, dueling kind of Sixth Sense type movie in Stir of Echoes. I love that movie. Oh, yeah, that's the next one I was gonna bring. Oh, up. you yeah. know what? It's number fifty-one. You made your list of fifty. Number fifty-one for me. Stir of Echoes. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, you forgot about? It? You didn't let put it on yours. Uh, I didn't immediately jump. I mean, in. I you like, guys have mentioned Echoes. several that I, I didn't put on my list. I, I had on, and uh, yeah, we, we we overlooked it when um, we were talking about horrors, about horror movies. But yeah, Star of Echoes is pretty cool. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I don't remember it very well. I saw it in the theater and liked it, and then and then I walked away. I was like, I don't remember it super well, but I should, I, it's ninety nine, so it's got to be good. <laughs> I think at the t- <laughs> that's an interesting. Uh, it's got to be interesting. Yeah, worth a look. Yeah, Instinct came out in '99. But anyway, Stigmata, um, the story of us. Did Instinct come out in '99 or it sure did? You never thought you could control. You only thought you had it. What was that? You never had control. You only thought you had it. Ah, yes, that's right. Oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, wait, is that from the trailer? Yeah. Do you, do you like really remember trailers? It seems I, like. I, well, particularly from this period because I was watching so many movies. And I was so into movies. And and I would see them, and the same damn trailers would play in front of every movie. Uh, and Instinct was one of those trailers that just played so much. You know, this is a couple years before, but a line from a trailer that I've, you've done on the show before that actually came up last week is a line that Robert De Niro says in the Copland trailer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you a boy? Yeah, that's the one. Very loud. Sorry it is now 1240. 
yes. I, yeah, that's that's a great one. Um, 97, Copland. Yeah. I will say that uh, the thing about Stir of Echoes, in the same way that you were kind of contrarian with The Matrix and defended uh, Star Wars, I think I liked Sixth Sense. You, yeah, I, you I, were, I didn't you, say you were team bad. Stir of Echoes but against like, the Sixth Senses. Yeah. And because it was like, because Stir of Echoes was the underdog. And so I was just like, hey, everybody, you got to see, uh, if you like Sixth Sense, you got to see Stir of Echoes. Now I can appreciate that both of them are, are still really great. Yeah. And they both just kind of have their place. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, at this point, almost everybody's seen Sixth Sense. But no one talks about Stir of Echoes. But you should anymore. see Stir of Echoes. It's a really yeah. good performance by uh, Kevin Bacon as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Ke- uh, Kevin Dunn is in it. That's yeah, always yeah, good. Yeah. You like uh, Kevin Dunn? He, was he a guest on the show? No, just I like just Kevin I Dunn. just <laughs> like Kevin Dunn. That's funny, but it's a, I mean it's a very Chicago movie, and Kevin Dunn's a very Chicago actor. Mm-hmm. Story of Echo Sickness. Why am I imagining it taking place in the woods or something? I don't no, know. No, it's uh, uh, Are you thinking South- of, you're thinking Blair Witch Project. <laughs> okay, it's Southside Chicago, but the the white part, the, that small like white pocket mm. of yeah. South. How about South Wild Chicago. Wild West? Uh, oh, Wild Wild West. That's the story. That, that's the movie I told my parents I was seeing when I was seeing Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> oh. So. Um, and, and they both kind of have a similar ring to them. Wild Wild West. Eyes Wild West. Eyes Wild West. So you're not yeah, lying. It's not lying if you, uh, if, you have a, if you act like you're having wise, a Wise Wild West. Wise Wild West. Sorry, I just put this big wad of uh, Big League Chew in my mouth. Yeah. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. Um... <laughs> All right, let's move on. I want to really quickly mention, we were talking about, like, established directors who made films. Um, uh, Nagisa Oshima, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, oh, wow. who made, like, in the realm of the senses, America Simpson to Lawrence, made a movie in 1999 called uh, Taboo, and it was about a gay samurai. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, That's cool. Samurai. i got to check that one it's out. A, it's a cool movie. Uh, okay, moving on. Talented Mr. Ripley. I like oh, yeah. it. Uh, it's, I think, maybe the only Anthony Minghella film that I like. I thought you liked Cold Mountain. Uh, I we, we we this comes up all the time. I, I think yeah, it's, sorry. I think I it's never the best like, movie. Uh, I think uh, yeah. I actually didn't see the English Patient, so I shouldn't say that. I well, didn't see Cold Mountain either. So I English don't. Patient is not that good. Cold Mountain. I have a sort of like. I, I feel like I say this all the time, but I like it in the same way that I like Doctor Zhivago. In that oh, it's that's like, right. It's very big and movie-ish. Yeah. And so there's a certain like sort of old school cinematic charm to watching it but it's not good in the way that I, I gotta watch Talented Mr. Ripley again I haven't seen it in a long time but it holds up I yeah mean, I'll bet I mean and how great is Philip Seymour Hoffman is that just like rich yeah. snotty prick yeah you yeah. know and yeah. he really gets his too oh. you know what oh uh, speaking of Ripley um, have you guys seen the American Friend Vin Vendor's film no no it's great and it's beautiful and it's really cool and it's a, a, a different spin on the Ripley character Dennis Hopper plays him and he's kind of plays him as this like art art star you know he's he's more subtle of a sociopath I think it's based off Ripley's game mm-hmm. which and, I uh, saw that yeah with, uh, John Malkovich I think it's the same thing okay. and uh, Robbie Mueller shot it it's like one of the most best looking movies you'll see and uh, it's it's just really cool um, the American Friend, uh, and Dennis Hopper plays Ripley. Okay. Now I'm sorry, you guys. We're not going to have time to talk about teaching Mrs. Tingle. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Williamson, huh? Uh, yeah, directed. That by, was his attempt at directing. Yeah. Uh, directed by yeah. Uh, uh, about music, music of the Heart. <laughs> uh, Wes Craven doing I, something very I, I, different. I never saw it, so I can't really talk. Wes Craven was, yeah, not not going to say it's good, but 
Um, real quick before, actually, before we get into Three Kings, I want I want to touch on the indies and stuff like that. Um, I, I just want to mention. I don't know if you guys care. Sugar Town, Allison Anders movie, is oh, really is really is a, is a good movie. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, it kind of fits into her trilogy about L.A. and musicians and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and then another one who was poised to be of this new wave at the time, and then he kind of went away for a while. Um, and now he's just like a commercial. I think he he, pawn, he pawns out his talent as a commercial hack. Is uh, Harmony Korine's Julian Donkey Boy? Um, did oh, you guys that? see that? I thought that was that's ninety nine. That yeah, uh, I did see Julian Donkey Boy. I think it's cool, and, and a lot of people hate it and think it's too challenging. But I, I think it's 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 really interesting, and it and he shot on video, and it's got this strange grainy look. Yeah, and it's and the editing is really. Just really pushing it, and yeah. uh, and it's funny. I think it's and Herzog is hilarious yeah. in it. You're you're we're going to make you a man. <laughs> we're going to make you a man now. You will take this hose or when he's spraying the kid the sun uh-huh. with water. Yeah, and then um, there's something he's saying at the dinner table that's really funny. He's really funny in it. Yeah. What are you looking at there? Longest episode ever. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. This will, this will be like our English patient patient episode. Yeah. Oh gosh, I hope not. Maybe we'll split it up. Uh, okay. We'll um, um, anyway, uh, okay. Three Kings. Three Kings. Uh, one of the best war movies ever made. I think it's uh, and it's it's the only movie about I think that I would say is good about Desert Storm or just war in Iraq. Can you name another one that you think that's a great war movie about? Well, that? Hurt Locker, but that's. Well, I didn't see that. I guess. But that's not. But that, yeah, but like prior, I guess prior to Hurt Locker, no one talks about Stop Loss or Jarhead or right. Courage Under Fire right. or oh, right. whatever the hell else came out about Courage Under about Fire. those things. You know. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. It probably also has to do with it, the media, but. It's. I think it's one of those things. Uh, David O. Russell is, a, is has become a filmmaker that I'm just always excited to see uh, stuff from him because I saw Three Kings, and then I saw um, I Heart Huckabee's, both of which took me by surprise. You know, you go into Three, three Kings and you think you know what you're going to get. He started his his frequent collaboration with Mark Wahlberg. They kind of work together a lot. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, he's in uh, Huckabee's and Fighter, and, and I think Mark Wahlberg never does a better job than when he's working. Like he does, he's great in Three Kings. I think he's wonderful in I Heart Huckabee's, and I think he does solid work in The Fighter. He's really good in The Departed and Boogie Nights, obviously. Yeah, he's yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a good actor in other things, but like like, like what he's Four Brothers. <laughs> of course he did. Um, I'm not kidding. I know. Did John I like, Singleton I like make a movie Brothers. that year? Uh, no, Baby Boy was 2000. That would have been and nice Shaft thing. was 2000. Yeah. Oh, so maybe Baby Boy was a one. Like then? it was his attempt to be like Hood again. Yeah. Um. Anyway, you were talking about Mark Wahlberg over Russell. Oh uh, yes, and so um. But yeah, going at, you go into Three Kings and you think it's like because at that point George Clooney like he had done like he was kind of a uh, he wasn't a the big movie star but he was on his way and so it's like. George and I remember just like George Clooney war movie Ice Cube what Mark Wahlberg like it's such a it was it was a very eclectic cat and Spike Jones Spike and Jones. Jamie Kennedy yeah and like, Nora, Nora Dunn yeah right yeah but like the Michael main I mean Spike Jones is ba- no one talks about Spike Jones is basically like the fourth star of the movie yeah, yeah. and he it's has, called he Three has Kings like but the there funniest, are four of them 
Well, the funniest line with George Clooney is like, you want to go back to your day jobs? And it shows like each one of them their day jobs. And then he's shooting a shotgun at, at stuffed <laughs> animals. And he comes back and he's like, I don't really have a day job. <laughs> That's yeah. a really funny joke. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and it's such a, it's got such a, be- I wish I had seen it in the theater, but I didn't. Uh, it's, because it's just so visually beautiful and just washed out and just the choice that he made to yeah. just have it just be this blinding, assaulting thing while telling a, a, a just a really kind of a simple story but like and just the what he does with each character uh specifically mark Wahlberg, but also george clooney you see him go from like this very cynical kind of guy to it's it's a very standard you know it's a you know uh, rick blaine from uh, casablanca type of character but clooney you know i think it's up to that point i think it was like the best work clooney had ever done and had been asked to do yeah um and it's just a it's just a film that like i ice cube i mean shows he can act in yeah, the movie absolutely. too yeah, yeah. And uh, he hasn't really acted so much in anything since then. He just kind of have, he's goofing off, I guess. I enjoyed him in uh, Twenty One Jump Street. Well, I didn't see that. Oh, you um, enjoy it. All right, should we move on? Sure. Um, uh, well, you know what, Three Kings. I actually do want to say because uh, you, Josh, were talking about like these little flights of fancy these movies, the cut to, the cutaways. Yeah, and uh, I, I like that David Russell with Three Kings is able to do it in a way that uh, sometimes is outlandishly funny and sometimes is very disturbing like obviously you've got the showing the sepsis inside of Mark yeah Wahlberg. but the also like jumps between to the beginning when Mark Wahlberg shoots that guy the the Iraqi That's and right. then later Spike Jones is telling the story of it and says he shot him in the neck and his head popped off and it shows it again and his head literally pops straight up in the air in yeah. Spike Jones it's telling ridiculous of it. yeah. and it's it's like yeah it's comic. really weird uh, that movie jumps between being like really dramatic and really mm-hmm. like shocking and really funny yeah in a way that like aren't isn't movies aren't that bold. Yeah. Another thing I'll say about all these movies that we're listing, the visual styles of them are all drastically different. And I feel like movies today have a more of a like this is what this type of movie has to look like. Like this is what an action movie has to look like. Right. Or this is what this um, is what a, an indie movie has to look like. Speaking of bold visual styles, uh, if you guys, I know you have seen Titus. Damn right. No, I never saw it. Was that that's two thousand though? Uh, it's it was listed. I, yeah, I saw it listed as ninety nine. Oh, maybe I'm wrong then. I, I thought it came out in two thousand. Julie Taymor. I think I saw it in two thousand, but uh, but I think it's ninety nine. Yeah, I, I didn't see it till two thousand either. Um, but you never uh, had control. Yeah, you only thought you had it. What's that? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> what was the line? You never had a control. You only thought you had it. <laughs> um, see, that's the thing. Uh, the character from Instinct is quoting Shakespeare. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, no, uh, Titus is uh, also very, very bold and daring. And I think its, it's, it's detractors would say that that detracts from the movie. No, it's uh, that's one of the uh, most exciting, batshit crazy yeah, movies cause it in, takes place in the best in way. Ancient Rome, but they have motorcycles and they play arcade games. Yeah. And yeah, did we talk about Cider House Rules? Good night, you kings. Didn't we of already talk about it? Old. We mentioned it. Do you have anything to say about it? No. I haven't I mean, seen it in forever. I don't know if it holds up at all. Uh, just, you know, I mean, I guess it was an Oscar Beatty sort of a movie. I remember enjoying it. I remember, even though Michael Caine's accent is kind of dodgy in it, it, it he is really good in the movie. Yeah. And it was kind of like another one of those things like, hey, guys, remember, Michael Caine's pretty good. Yeah. You know? And it was kind of Tobey Maguire, one of his big pushes. Yeah. And also, it's it's like, uh, you watch it now, it's like, remember before Paul Rudd was a comedic actor? Yeah. Oh, is he in that? Yeah. He's like Charlize Theron's like uh, boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Is he like a villain? 
No, it, no he's, he's kind like, of a nice guy. But he's like antagonistic to Tobey Maguire's relationship with Charlize Theron, but he's still a nice guy. Right. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I haven't seen it forever. Uh, Toy Story 2, we talked about, I guess. I a little bit. Else. It's. I, I feel like this was uh, the film that sort of... I mean, people love Toy Story, and then A Bug's Life was like, okay, that's fine. And then they made to- Toy Story 2, and it was, for many people, better, or at the very least more ambitious than the first one, and really manages to explore these characters. And I think that's the one that really kind of made it clear, like, Pixar's not going anywhere, and it's only getting better. Um, I mean, I saw it twice in the theater, and I and both times I was like, this is really, like, amazing what what they're doing the first one is very good but again like they mostly stay in the house uh, stay in houses and stuff like that whereas like i have better memories of the first one and i'll tell you why okay because the second one has a big uh fart joke in it and i find that stuff so unpleasant which one is it uh i think it's the kelsey Grammer character is like because he's like in his now that is that is during one of their uh little uh faux bloopers at the end that is not in the film itself oh well that it, it, it stuck with me to okay. the point that it is like colored the whole film okay. as like this uh, it's a medicine with the fart jokes yeah you and i don't don't uh, care for uh, those those fake bloopers but it was not in the film proper yeah uh, I, just, I don't cotton to that kind of humor is all i'm saying i know you don't and i don't either actually um unless the fairlies do it because they seem to make it work yeah they do it with heart somehow uh, <laughs> uh Angela's Ashes. Did any of you see that? I one? Never saw, I it. saw it in the theater, one. and it was very good. But ultimately, like, uh, this is going to sound mean. It was really good, but who gives a shit? Yeah. Like, it's just it was. Uh, it did a really good job of being very depressing, and yeah. good performances all now, around. Did Alan but, Parker do that one? Yeah. That's like the last. He made one more movie a few years later, and then he just went away. He hasn't made anything since. Yeah. Then. You know who we like, skipped. What movie we skipped, speaking of Allen's, is Breakfast of Champions, directed by Alan Rudolph. Oh, interesting. I never saw that one. A movie that I love. And <laughs> I just, you know what, I'm, I might like it more now. I think at the time I just was not ready for that kind of energy. It's, a, it's assaultive, that movie. Yeah. As is, as is Trixie, the next one he made. Um, I like a lot of his 70s movies and, uh, and 80s movies. Yeah, and he had this little, I think, to me, this resurgence with, um, uh, with Brexit Champions, uh, Trixie, and then The Secret Lives of Dentists, but it never got quite the... I think he yeah. might just be too weird for people. People, He's just like, he's not making anything that, like, he cares. He just, I feel like he's just like, I'm just going to make a weird fucking movie. I don't care. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Trixie is essentially like a 30s screwball comedy but it, with it, one of our favorite comedic lines of all time, said by Nick Nolte, yeah, in which there's a lot of uh, a lot of people roughhousing on a boat, and he comes out in his in all his Nick Nolte glory, and just says like, he, he's like, hey, hey, stop all this clowning around, and he's like, when my when my father took uh, when I was a kid, my father took me to the circus. And a clown killed him. <laughs> and he just says it like just stone faced. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, um, yeah, that's and then uh, Secret Lives of Dentist might be the most accessible. I mean, it's uncomfortable in its depiction of infidelity. Yeah, and basically the story of Secret Lives of Dentist. I know this is a 2005 film, but it really like it's basically a guy who finds out that his wife is cheating on him, and mm-hmm. then decides not to do anything about it because he doesn't want to upset his life. Yeah. And then it starts to eat him from inside. 
and it's then a really good performance by Campbell Scott. Yeah, and, but then there's a, like there's a sequence Scott. where uh, it's uh, his wife, uh, Laura Linney, right? Uh, or is it Hope Davis? Maybe it's Hope Davis. I think it's Hope Davis. Hope Davis, his um, wife, hot indie indie actress. Yes, uh, his wife and both his kids have the flu, and mm-hmm. he, and then he gets the flu, but he still has to take care of everyone, yeah. and that's where the movie becomes suddenly becomes very Alan Rudolphish again. But it makes sense in that context. Anyway, um, back to 1999. So. Uh, this was a movie that I never saw, um, and and I probably I don't know if I'll ever watch it. But I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, "Well, that was like a fucking bore." But it looks amazingly shot. Uh, did any of you see a movie called Snow Falling on Cedars? Never saw it. I heard no, it was I heard it was, I heard it was it looked beautiful, boring though. as crap. But the trailer, it's like, wow, that was really beautifully shot. Uh-huh. It just is like that. Looks like it's all it's got going for it. But yeah, it's Scott Hicks, the Australian guy who made Shine and yeah. a bunch of Oscar oh. bait shit. Uh, another one, Girl Interrupted. That's I'm right. not a fan. I skipped over it. No, in, no in interest. I mean, yeah, I, I think it was like just looks like crap. It was Oscar bait. Looked really stupid, but it, interesting. I feel like that was the end of Winona Ryder. Kind of, yeah. Like she well, was just she, because she had a few more chances, but they were all duds, and it, that was it. It had a that kind of weird thing where it's like starring Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie. Jolie got got an Oscar, yeah. and then that. And she had just been in a, a TV movie called Gia. Yeah. And so, which she had gotten something for. So she got that, Accolades. and she got an Oscar pretty early. That's what she got. Yeah. And she... She, and she showed her boobs. Ah. Oh, okay. In, in, G, in Gia. Ah. And let's not forget Hackers, of course. Uh, hey, let's not forget Hackers. And so, and so I think in that movie, it was supposed to be a Winona Ryder vehicle with this interesting supporting role. Yeah. And then suddenly it became... Like Angelina Jolie blew up, and it is one of those things where it's just somehow because that was the movie that kind of got her on the radar of of some people. Uh, yeah, it's almost well, it's also, it's almost like people traded in <clears throat> traded in Winona Ryder for a newer model, even though they're at very different types. What's of strange is is no one talks about Angelina Jolie in Girl Interrupted. Like no one says like, oh, she was so good in Girl Interrupted. Right. Or Oscar winner Angelina Jolie. They talk about how she's Angelina Jolie. That happens though. Oh like, yeah, jo- now they do. Yeah. Like no one like now, I mean, George- like who the hell remembers Girl Interrupted? But at the same time, like George Clooney, who by the time of Syriana was already a well established star, he won an Oscar for that. Did he? For supporting actor. No one talks about him in Syriana. He won an Oscar for supporting actor in Syriana? Yeah. That's what Tyler just said. Yeah. I don't yeah, it's crazy. I'm not lying to you. Also, James Mangold would go on to make a bunch of like to me, middle of the line studio movies. Three Ten to Yuma is a pretty solid. Film. Oh yeah, I like. I like it's a solid film. Copland is a solid film. Walk the Line's okay. Walk so, the Line, I find it. Jersey Heavy, the one he made, I guess before. No, is he good? Yeah, it's um, Pruitt, Pruitt, Taylor, Vince. I like him. I, like I, him. I was thinking classic I'm, character. I'm afraid actor. I'm getting the, uh, the names wrong. Uh, Liv Tyler and uh, Shelley Winters and um, Wow and Deborah Harry. Wow, and what a cast. Like, like yeah, Shelley Winters owns this like. Is it ninety seven? Ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, ninety six. I think. Yeah, Shelley Winters like owns this diner, and Prude Taylor Vince is her like grown and kind of. But J- James son. Mangold, we can agree. I mean, maybe he's made a couple solid movies. He's like a middle of the road, a list studio director, night and day. Oh, was that him? Yeah. You know, he just right. it's just like, who cares what James Mangold's going to do? <laughs> I don't know why I'm even talking about it. I just want a bitch. All right. Well, I was going to tell you the story of Heavy, but... Okay. Uh, well, I'll check, I'll yeah, check it out. Check it's it not out. 99. Yeah, check it out. Uh, uh, the only one left on my list is The Virgin Suicides. Well, yeah, we haven't talked about that, but we're also... Virgin, well, you go on Virgin Suicides. I think it's cool. 
I think I think it's really I, I haven't revisited it in a while, but uh, I haven't I, seen it in a long time. I do think it it really holds up, and it has. Um, I I guess you were talking about. Um, Josh, you were talking about like uh, movies like Big, like not actually getting what it's like to be to young, be a, to right? Be a kid, but in Virgin Suicide, it does. Like all the kids in the movie are trying to act older than they are, and trying mm-hmm. to act more mature, right? And try uh, and make these sort of, like they're they're dealing with these the the boys in the movie. Even though the movie is about the the sisters, I feel like the boys are the act, kind of the protagonist, even though they're not. You right. hardly even know their names. Right. Uh, um, but they're like sort of, um, you know, having these feelings about these girls that are very much, you know, uh, the kind of feelings you have at that time, these, you know, ho- hormonal urges and whatnot, but they're all trying to act like they're more, more grown up. They're trying to act like they're high school, high school seniors or more. And in and doing that, because I, that is, it is a film that when I think of it and I, I don't think of it very much, not because it's bad, but because I just don't remember it very much. But like one thing I do remember is feeling that it captured a t- it captured youth sort of in the same way that I think of like Max Fisher from Rushmore this idea of like somehow the older it, the older you act the more absolutely young yeah, right, you yeah, seem yeah, yeah. and uh, and I remember really like all of the all of the younger something characters something Wes Anderson is kind of um, uh, stuck with a little bit I didn't see Moonri- Moonrise Kingdom but isn't it, it's just kids acting like they're much older than they are? Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. just it, like, but and you didn't and see you can tell, but you have gotten. You I know, and I saw enough of it from the trailer to get but, that. Okay. Oh, that, that people. Everyone has said that. The, yeah, that I had a week, like a you. two weeks when it came out. Hey, you're really funny in the Wes Anderson movie. You're a great <laughs> job. I got about ten Facebook comments and and five texts. About I only it. saw it like two weeks ago, and uh, I was like. You and thought I said about to making my friend, joke. No, I, just, I wasn't going to make it to you, but my friend said, what did you think? I was like, well, I thought young Josh Fadon was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. but uh, And he's like, yeah, I know. He, he's, and my friend's like, he must have gotten that a lot. I'm like, oh, I have no doubt. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember following yes, you on Twitter. Very you clever. Like retweeting people like, and then saying, like, you're not the only one who thought of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I remember Virgin Suicide. It, it just really... I remember the whole cast just seeming very genuine uh-huh. and very believable in and also, their youth. It has a sequence... Um, that is one of my favorite sequences maybe in all of film where the girls are all in trouble and being homeschooled now and they're not allowed to leave their house uh, so all the boys get together at one of the boys houses and they call the girls and they end up spending the entire evening on the phone not talking to one another but playing songs for each other they just set the phone down and they take turns it's a very Sofia Coppola thing playing songs yeah. right. I, I, I but want... it's, it's from the novel actually oh is it yeah. okay it still feels very Sofia Coppola yeah, yeah. which was I, I wanted to for years hate on her really badly like but as uh, as time's going by and she makes more movies and, and like is really committing to like this is what I'm the type of movies I'm gonna make I'm appreciating her more and I'm appreciating her more now I love her uh, she's she's everything that I like in a filmmaker um well I didn't like Marie Antoinette when I saw it and then looking back I was like it's a pretty like ballsy it's a fuck you sort of a movie you know mm-hmm. it's like um, the the choice the things that she chooses to not include in in the movie you know yeah. like she's not going it's not a going to be about a historical it's it's all like this like m- mood piece about like you know a young girl like trying to like feel like a teenager and stuff like that and that's yeah. why she uses all these eighties mo- songs and stuff and then um, did you see somewhere. No, I just can't stomach Stephen Dorff. He's great. He's great. <laughs> no, he's not. He's, he's great. He's in never that. great. He's great in that. 
I looked at a little bit of it. I'm like, I don't want to look at his face. For like five minutes, I don't. He's just like gross to me. Uh, but maybe that's great. the point. Have you never seen uh, SFW? <laughs> <laughs> or Blade? Uh, he's good Blade. in The Gate. Uh, the right? Gate, yeah, like yeah. when he's a kid. Yeah. I liked him in I, I liked him in Cecil B. Demented. Uh, um, what's the one? The Judgment Night? The, the, I do like Judgment Night. What's the Uva Bill? Uh, Alone in the Dark? Alone in the Dark. <laughs> Alone in the Dark. Have you Was seen he Alone in, in the Dark? That's right. Yeah, it's yes, him yes. and Christian Slater and Tara Reid. See, I would rather watch. See, at least like Christian Slater's kind of almost has always been a step ahead of Stephen Dorff. I think in his career, uh-huh. I would much rather watch a crusty Christian Slater than a crusty Stephen Dorff. But I've also heard in in to Sofia Coppola's credit that Stephen Dorff doesn't really have to do anything. It's kind of that's the point. It's like. This guy sucks, <laughs> you know. It's a very good performance, and I think it's it's the kind of thing that if the film had gotten, <coughs> excuse me, if the film had gotten a little bit more exposure, like it, I think it could have like kind of changed the trajectory of his career a little bit. Um, did we talk about the Green Mile? Oh, I skipped right over it. Um, I never liked it. I never saw it. I, I remember like wanting to hate it when when it came out. Like fuck that movie, and then I just never saw it. I liked it at the time. I think it's you know it's Frank Darabont, and you kind of know what you're getting when. You mm-hmm. see a movie by him, but not uh, worth yeah. three being three hours. And I like the I, perfor- I like the, a lot of the performances. Uh, Sam Rockwell's in it, and uh, I like the Shawshank Clark, Redemption. Like Michael yeah. Clark Duncan. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I mean, like the Green Mile almost feels like someone, someone else trying to recreate the feeling of a Shawshank Redemption type movie. It, it, so I, I disagree almost. It, it doesn't feel like the Frank Darabont that I was that I thought I was going to see. Oh no! It feels like the Frank Darabont that would go on to make the majestic. Yeah, yeah. Every um, time I. I hear about the story of it, I always think like gross like it's isn't it's all about like Tom Hanks has trouble weird peeing problems or something or <laughs> yeah. like a weird pee pee infection or <laughs> yeah. it, it's graphic about it it's like I don't want to watch a three hour movie about a magical <laughs> guy and then there's a guy with a pee pee infection or something I don't know that's pretty much I think you nailed it I think is that what it's about it, yeah. uh, it does have a great cast though Tom you, Hanks uh, is there a Sam, lot of graphic pee pee infection in it I don't remember that I mean there's like, some does it does it like show his pee pee and it's infected? No, no, no. It's he just PG-13 talks about it. It just talks about it. Ah, oh, my pee pee sure is infected. Uh, I'm peeing well, painful. Okay, you got your Tom James Hanks. Cromwell. You got your James pee-pee. Cromwell. You got your Patricia Clarkson. Sam you got Rock- your uh, Sam Rockwell. You got your Doug Hutchinson. Michael you got Clark your Duncan. Jeffrey Demun. You've got David Morris. David Morris. Yeah, you you got said Barry, Michael Clark. Barry Pepper. Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark Duncan. I think is it Bonnie Hunt who plays Michael Clark Duncan. Did you forget to mention Michael Clark Duncan? I thought I said. <laughs> I don't think you said Michael Clark Duncan. Maybe you oh, said him first. He's really it. not that memorable. In the <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not. Um, all right. Of course. Um, where by we- the way, real quick, Michael Clark Duncan, here's something that you should do. You should go to YouTube, as I did after he uh, passed away, unfortunately. Um, type in Craig Ferguson, Michael Clark Duncan. Because when Michael Clark, uh, when Craig Ferguson went to Scotland for a year, uh, for like a, a week, excuse me, uh, to shoot uh, the Late Late Show, he brought over Michael Clark Duncan, who would show up in like every episode, and it's and so it's uh, so there's one weird little sketch where they're sitting in a bar and Craig Ferguson is telling the story about this guy, uh, like that he got in a fight with that like beat him up when he was young and uh, Michael Clark Duncan is just kind of like like being like a really good like Ed McMahon type listener uh-huh. and he's, he's, he's like yeah alright okay yeah you know he's, and 
and so like he's he helps him like amend the story so that he looks better uh-huh. and then finally like Mark like he's like you know what we should do we should walk around town walk around town start fights <laughs> and it's just and it's great it, the two have such a <laughs> wonderful chemistry that admittedly you would not assume right. uh, and it's uh, and it made me feel it made me feel bad that Michael Clark Duncan uh, passed away not yeah. that I not that I was thrilled about no, you were it, feeling but, good about it earlier yeah before that but uh, and you felt bad that you felt good it, it yeah, made me realize that like I, I yeah um, we kind of lost something with him uh, real quick we didn't say anything about Messenger Joan of Arc I just wanted oh, to right, say you brought it up I never saw it uh, I, I want to say. Luke Besson kind of dropped off the map after that. He just decided, oh, I'm going to write and produce movies instead. Mm-hmm. But He made my one memory, this year or last year called The he Lady. Du- he directed was, it? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Messenger Joan of Arc, I don't... It was just really violent, and but visually amazing, and super like intense and flamboyant, and in the same way as like Fifth Element is. Right. And I remember it was also, for me, an event movie, you know? And like Dustin Hoffman had a little small part in it, and... Uh, uh, I think it. I think it's worth mentioning because it's another one of those things where it was really trying. So they had really cool art direction, you know, and um, it was just really. You know, there's some amazing like weird catapult shots, um, and that's all. So I'm, I'm surprised you guys didn't see it. I, f- I feel like you'd I like it. See it. I like Luke. Luke there was a lot of mo- there's a lot of movies to see that year, and uh, um, but we the finally we we haven't talked about Magnolia. That's true. Oh, we haven't. haven't we? I, not no, really. We have like we did. I feel like that's fitting that we should probably end on that one uh, okay. because um, I was actually having a p- conversation with Pat where it's like Pat Healy, friend. Yeah, Pat Healy. Like no one talks about American Beauty anymore, but people uh-huh. are still talking about Magnolia. And Magnolia was a movie that was like, oh, it's weird. Oh, it's too long, or oh, it's crazy, or whatever. But I think it holds up. Like I need completely. to now. David hates the film. I didn't like well, it when I saw like it. it, but I haven't seen it since. I think it's completely watchable and it holds up. I think so too. And all the criticisms of it. I mean, for back then, that it's like it's the criticisms. I think were like, oh, it's self indulgent and it does it tries too hard or tries too much. I, I, don't, I, I think it's really going for it, and its heart's got in 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 you know in a very specific place, and the performances are great. As I've gotten older. The criticism self indulgent doesn't bother me so much anymore. Yeah, like when it like it holds up in a way that like you know American Beauty and Fight Club don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh, also, I really want to watch it. Again. It was extremely like ripped off by countless crappy indie movies, and um, it, it, a watered down version of it won Best Picture. You know in Crash mm. oh right yeah, yeah you know which is basically just taking this isn't I never actually saw Crash it was just I'm repeating what other people say now now and Crash is a watered down ver- version of a lot of movies <laughs> Traffic Magnolia Shortcuts Crash Crash yes <laughs> right. absolutely well like everyone, and then people say oh he's just ripping off this and that and this and that I think it's I think it's of note because of all these guys Paul Thomas Anderson is the one in my opinion who hasn't faltered as a director you know, I think he just keeps pushing himself. More he keeps and more. pushing himself in all these directions. Sofia Coppola, you know, I feel like she's kind of flailed a little. Like she hasn't made every. Not every film is perfect. Like David O. Russell. Um, well, I certainly don't think every film that Paul Thomas Anderson makes is perfect. In fact, I think I uh, think he's really. I think he's though. I think his record is more spotless than. The oh, I, I embrace the imperfection of his films. Like I like the I like the 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 thematic messiness. 
of the movies that he makes. Like as I've said on the show before, there's something there's something about the movies that he makes. Like it, it's like there's a story inside him or characters inside him that are screaming to get out and he just has to get them out right and that's it he doesn't necessarily know what it is i'm sure he knows what it is he's trying to say but that's not the big thing for him he just needs to engage with this these ideas inside of his head so yeah i i i think i think magnolia i mean there's a there was so many good movies that year but i I feel like magnolia it's like Maybe I talk about that movie with people more than mm-hmm. any of the ones that we've. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of. Them it's a good year for Tom Cruise yeah. too. We should. Uh, yeah, he had two big ones. Yeah. We should wrap up though. We didn't. Yeah. We didn't talk about the Bone Collector. Obviously, one of the biggest films. Of the right. No. Uh, well, um, as far as so I had my honorable mentions there, and you took my list. Oh, I did. Um, you can rattle them off. Oh, Buena Vista Social Club. Uh, um, the but, Cool um, Intentions. No, uh, but I, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, was a movie I, I, I oh, liked. Yeah. Uh, a lot. Oh, you know what? Uh, uh, it came out in 98, but it feels like it should have been 99. Is um, um, What was the other one? With Slums of Beverly Hills. That movie's, mm. oh, yeah, yeah. That movie's super good. Yeah. Um, I mentioned Beau Travail, um Girl, Girl on the Bridge. Have you ever seen uh, Patrice no. LeCon's Girl on the no. Bridge? It's an awesome... Did you watch it when we did our Patrice LeCon episode? Or was that one I don't think so. That was one that I missed, I think. Uh, that's, that's a really awesome movie. Uh, and, and also doing things that are more sort of formally uh, uh, propulsive and exciting than uh, other Patrice Lacan stuff. Patrice Lacan is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I feel like I've purged myself of something that needed to come out. Yeah, this was good, and I, I definitely yeah. think I'm so going to split this up into two episodes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll release one. What, we release one uh, one week and one, one the next? No, we'll probably do like a Sunday and a Wednesday. Ah, oh, interesting. I, yeah. I feel like... Uh, oh, you think we should take a week off? N- no, I think this should be one big giant thing of like, <laughs> we've, been t- we've been threatening to do this episode for years, and now... We, you know what? An hour for every year we've been threatening to do it. <laughs> I, I feel like we weren't even like this one. We haven't really like. I, I feel like I've been maybe I've been more low key than usual, but like uh, that's okay. I think that I, allowed us to get through more stuff. Yeah, yeah I feel I feel like it's like oh, I really maybe I really did care about that. I was like, oh, this was a big year for me in movie liking, yeah, movie yeah. watching, and that's the thing is like I mean. Going through the movies, but I hope I don't just, sound like like oh Josh, he, who does he think he is talking about all these movies? Some sort of asshole who thinks he talks about some sort of Tyler and David. Yeah, what show are you on? Yeah. Do you think yeah. you're on? Yeah. yeah, we don't have any more qualifications than you do. Right. Um, but uh, it is one. Listen, of the, that's what that's why we're qualified. So we've just gone through for several hours talking about these movies, and really, this is the Satan Tango of podcasts. That's right. This is the. Yeah, al- this is the, that's about right. Alexander Berlin, Alexander Platz of <laughs> yeah. director's cut of greed. That's this director's yeah. cut. Yeah, but um, Fanny and Alexander, the TV. There you go. Version. Uh, this is the cure for insomnia of podcasts. <laughs> oh. um, but it, it's one of those things. I do think now that we've gone through like movie by movie, and some of them we didn't explore as, as thoroughly as we could have, but nonetheless, like. This like I think you can now objectively say ninety nine, maybe not the best year, but maybe top five movie years of Actually, all time. You could say uh, yeah, of all time, top five of all time, or uh, definitely the best year of like maybe the past twenty five years. Yeah, since the seventies. Yeah, you know you could you could single out any one of those years and say, well, look at this. But I think like most interesting year, if not best, most interesting. 
Yeah, and it's and again, the stars like, were aligned for the movie makings. Yeah, and it's not merely just a year where a lot of good movies happen to come out. Like you said, like it's the type of movies that came out. It's what the what directors new and old were doing. Yeah, and, and for whatever reason, everything just happened. Emerging of generations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it's that's like, a, when it's is exciting. Waiting is like when's that going to happen again? If ever. I mean, to, again, 2007 was a really good year, but even then, like, only about... Okay, well, okay, 2007 was Literally Blood, No Country for Old Men, Zodiac, Gone Baby Eastern Gone. Eastern Promises. Eastern Promises, yeah. That's a yeah. great one. Um, before the Devil Knows I, You're Dead. I have the, yeah, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. That's the old school, meeting the, yeah. meeting the young. You got... So you guys will meet back here next week and talk about 2007? <laughs> I wouldn't no, necessarily it, be opposed to it. I, I have I have the uh, my list for that on my computer. It's not as long as the 99 list, but... Yeah, yeah no... There's no, at least like no 15, will. 20 on there. All right. Um, you can find us at battleshipretention.com. You can email us, david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. And you can find my other podcast, the occasional television wrap-up show previously on at previouslyonshow.com. What is it? Uh, What do you you want? Just wanted to (laughs) let everyone know that uh, there is a a new episode of More Than One Lesson in which uh, Josh and I talk about, not this Josh, Josh. my my co-host Josh, uh, sidekick, sorry. Uh, We talk about the the George Clooney film, The Ides of March, because uh, what with the election coming up we wanted to talk about politics josh where can people find you on the internet you and your work uh hell i don't know okay josh fatum josh twitter josh at josh fatum uh you can like me on facebook or friend me on facebook as joshy fatum or gosh what else i mean i'm thinking of figuring out a podcast to do myself about some topic i don't know what it would be you guys could be guests if you want damn right talk about something other than movies or just movies uh i'm thinking of thinking of Thing is, getting a tumbler. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I might get a tumbler. I don't know. I tried to buy back my or buy back my domain name joshfatum.com today because it got hijacked by some weird Japanese website when I let it expire years ago, <laughs> and I haven't been able to get it back since. I was actually on the phone today, like, "Hey, how do I get this back?" And they're like, "We can't help you." It's like crap because <laughs> it expires in two days, but. If the Japanese people don't renew it, then I can get it back oh. after forty-four days. So uh, if they, if they don't renew it in forty four days, which doubtful they'll renew it in like a couple days. Oh, oh that's a shame. I hate my life. All right. Well, on see that how, note, see how tough my life is. It's pretty pretty bad. On that note, uh, thanks for listening. We'll you can you. email me. <laughs> you can talk. You know, we'll talk. You want to talk? I'll talk. We can talk. I'll talk with you. Josh, thanks for being here. Uh, Funny or Die. I have a lot of videos on Funny or Die. You can find me there on Funny or Die. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. We'll get to you next time. Thank you, guys. We'll get to next time. We'll get to next time. We'll get to next time.